Stay calm. Concentrate on the screen. You are about to experience the future. Never before have you had to cope with advanced 3D graphics. 360 degree rotation. 96 level. 
and asked if I'd like to try out my Super Nintendo to check if it worked. I burst into tears, ran across the room and locked onto him with a giant hug. He fetched the console from the attic and we set it up together before he sat quietly and watched me play it with a grin on my face that looked like it would need to be surgically removed. I'd never been so happy. After half an hour or so, he got up, kissed me on the head and softly said, Merry Christmas, now don't tell your mum. To my eternal delight, I was allowed to keep the console as an early present on the understanding that I stopped moping around and started smiling. That wasn't going to be a problem with this console in my life. While I still felt slightly guilty about how the console came into my possession, it did teach me at an early age that every now and again, the reality is even better than the dream. Oh, and I chose Ken. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Even if it's been embellished for artistic license, I don't care. <laughs> what a lovely way to open the show. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, we try to cast our minds back? None of us would have been quite as young, I don't think, as Porco there. But uh, no doubt we've still got some uh, excited recollections of when the Super Nintendo came into our, and into our lives. And perhaps just beforehand as well, was there, was there a big lead up to it, Ben? Yeah, there was. Um, I wanted one so bad, but it was at that point where I think I'd had uh, I'd had an Amiga for Christmas, kind of ninety one ish, um, and so that had kind of. To be fair to my parents, that had uh, stretched them financially quite spectacularly under the yeah. guise that I was going to uh, use it for homework and such <laughs> and such, such things uh, as, as that happened with Spectrums for the generation before. I'd imagine, um, yeah. but I uh, so I. I noticed throughout the the next year that um, a few of my friends started picking the uh, Super Nintendos up, and I Street Fighter Two was the big thing. It was like such a massive part of of everything around about then. And uh, I remember playing the legendarily horrific Amiga version of Street Fighter Two, and I just thought to myself, "There's got to be more to life than this. Like there has to be. <laughs> this is one of the worst things that's ever happened to me." And I'd been beaten up badly about three weeks beforehand. I remember it was quite a bad month, really. Mm. But but um. After that, I'm thinking it was it would have been about January, February, um, '93. Um, I was uh, sharing a room with uh, my brother. He'd come back home from university, and he was living back uh, living back with us for uh, for a while. Uh, and he just randomly bought one on a Friday, and because he had a job, you see, he worked full time, and he just randomly came home one Friday with this uh, with this Super Nintendo with uh, Mario All Stars. And so I'm like, what, twelve? And uh, it just completely completely blew my mind like uh excitement measured to the fact that i didn't have any tea which was always kind of a, a good kind of barometer of how excited i was about about anything when you say tea do you mean a cup of tea no, or do you mean your dinner a, an evening meal do you know what I mean? an evening meal yeah but it's important to to get the cultural point across yeah i didn't have it i didn't have an evening meal i he came in at about <laughs> five and i just sat there playing uh, my, uh yeah my all-stars that entire time but the crazy thing and i never forget this as well he bought it from me uh, he bought it from uh a video game shop, obviously, that sold some second-hand stuff and uh, plugged it all in, and it didn't work. And it just flat-out didn't uh-huh. work. He plugged it in, didn't work. Didn't. And what it was was the uh, the power adapter had uh, some... There was a problem with the cable that connected it. Uh, so you had to kind of fold it under itself and then plug it in, and we finally got it working after what right. seemed like an absolute uh, an absolute lifetime. But I still remember like the kind of strange figure four knot I had to do to make it to make it kind of sit right. Not long after that, he uh, a couple of days later, a guy he worked with, um, he bought a randomly bought a, a a converter so he could play NTSC games, and uh, the bloke was sold it. It sounds so shifty. The bloke had like a carry bag full of American American cartridges, which I'm sure he must have nicked. 
Um, but but I had right. uh, within a couple of days we had uh, a, such a random. So they were all dead random as well. We had like Super Star Wars, Bubsy the Bobcat, and something else random, <laughs> and American, and obviously uh, and uh, Mario All Stars. But uh, I just I don't know. It's it's one of those I just never forget him seeing seeing him walk up the drive. I could see it out of the bedroom window with a big carry bag, and I thought I wonder what he's got there. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'll I'll kind of never. I'll I'll really never forget that. And like like you said, it's it's I uh, just that feeling of like there is nothing else in this room apart from me and this TV and that console. I didn't beat that for a very long time, really. Mm. And so this machine stayed and became something quite important in your life. I believe most of your, if not all of your, uh, sort of challenge runs and things on on one credit classics have been using a super nintendo style controller so like that thing became an extension of your own limbs yeah exactly like as soon as i started looking at usb controllers i just i just googled uh, best usb controller snes and found like the uh the now legendary buffalo that's still uh, Mm here that's kind of still going strong and it's weird because i play everything with that obviously and especially now like with the a couple of new emulators like uh, Neo Geo Pocket stuff and uh, PC Engine stuff. It all f- feels, do you know what I mean? It just fits right. That controller does. It's just, mm. it's absolutely, uh, yeah, it's absolutely perfect. And it's, it's one of those things where I, I never, um, m- my brother like moved out and let me keep that SNES. And then I, years and years later, I ended up selling it and uh, and selling it in all the games to buy something else. And then when I met uh, my wife and Alison, we, uh, Moved in within about I don't know six months, and uh, she bought me a uh, Super Nintendo as a moving in present. Oh. And uh, I know I knew that. Well, I knew a lot without than a that, dodgy really. power cable. No, exactly. <laughs> um, and probably the only yeah, the probably the only bit of legitimate kind of hardware I've got uh, now is a uh, like you say a a PAL Super Nintendo that I've kept kind of in a, in a kind of cupboard. So it's so it's uh, you can still play it, but it doesn't get bleached by the sun. And uh, a drawer, all yellowed. A, yeah, and a drawer full of. Uh, I've got a drawer full of. I must have fifty or sixty original cartridges. Yeah, it's it's just perfect. So I mentioned the the physical uh, customization that you've had done to yourself. Um, it's a remarkable thing. Uh, I'm an untattooed person, but I can admire a good one. There you go. And there was something about. Uh, there was something important enough about Super Nintendo for you to mark. A fairly significant chunk of your body. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I had um, it's weird because I think I've only got I don't I've got like one big tattoo, and then uh, I don't know one, two, three, four smaller ones. And of the four yeah. smaller ones, only two of them aren't video game related, or more to the point, uh, Super Nintendo sort of related. Really, I mean, I've mm. got like a I've got a pixelated Zelda heart on my chest, and and uh, the instructions on how to do a fireball on my left arm. But on, on my right arm, like I say, I've got a, a massive, uh, like, Super Nintendo kind of sleeve, really, with Ray from yeah. Street Fighter 2 at the top and a, a SNES controller on the uh, inside of my bicep and then a, a load of Super Mario stuff all the way down and uh, bomb arms and Bowser and bullet bills and, and a star on my elbow. The apps, that hurts so much, honestly. Um, that that <laughs> probably hurt that, that the most, I think, yeah. But, Invincibility um, star. But the crazy thing with uh, that is that whole thing took mm. uh, because. I was working quite a bit away and doing bits and pieces, and that whole that whole sleeve took on and off maybe about I don't know maybe about two year three years maybe in that mm. kind of neighbourhood because there's quite a lot of blocks of colour in it. 
So I'd literally go in. Yeah, it's properly colourful. Yeah. I should stress that. It's not it's not one of those kind of just bluey kind of those tattoo colour tattoos. This is a it looks like sixteen bit art come to life. Yeah. Technicolor. It is indeed. I'll send you good people a, a picture of it at some point on my social yeah, yeah. media. But um but the funny thing was as soon as it was finished, I kind of felt like I'd always had it. As stupid as that kind of uh, <laughs> as that kind of as that kind of sounds. But yeah, it's, You were born without it. Yeah, it was, that's the uh, thing. She missing. just she yeah. just coloured in the dots. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> was it your design or how does that work? I am um, the lady who did this did, did all the, the the tattoos for me. Really, it started off with the the Ryu one at the top, which was like a quarter sleeve, um, from my right shoulder down to kind of halfway halfway down my the, the top of my right arm. And then um, I said, oh, I want a, I want a, a sleeve doing it. She was like, okay, what do you want? And I said, oh, kind of sixteen bit stuff. So I sent her a load of pictures and what's it. And then within a couple of within a couple of days, she came back to me and said, right, well. Like, I can't really do this or I, that won't work. But however, like all the stuff that you've sent me that's kind of Mario or Mario related would work really well because it's all really quite colourful. Um, mm. And it and it's not too kind of pixelated, so it'd look good because your arm's dynamic and be moving a lot. And so I was like, mm. okay. And the funny thing was, until she finished it, I didn't know what it was actually going to look like. So it's funny because like, no, like right. with anyone mm. else on, if you look at social media or whatever, you get these reminders that three years ago you were doing this and I can tell where I am and what I was doing by how much of my arms colored in pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. cause she did all the outlines first and then, yeah, I had a miserable mm. maybe nine months where literally she just, I just go there, sit there for six hours and she just color my arm blue. Like, Be a coloring book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terrible. <laughs> could you, yeah. could you even uh, practice your, uh, kickboxing and, uh, BJJ at that time? I couldn't do any. No, I couldn't do any of it. I had to, I had to, huh. stop, I had to stop quite a bit. The funny thing oh, yeah. is, like that now I've started training the BJJ back again quite quite a lot. Um, I uh, I had the last bit of the tattoo finished, and I haven't had any other work since because, like you say, I wouldn't be able to. I kind of wouldn't wouldn't be able to train. So it's like mm. I can't see me getting. I don't know. Mm. I say never seen ever, but I can't see me getting a another tattoo really. And if I never do, then I'm really happy that this was the one that I. This is the one I signed off. Arthur with. and Prin Prin, surely. Yeah, maybe back piece. <laughs> in a heart. Uh, do you have to go in and get this one touched up at some point in the future? Keep it neat and colourful. Um, maybe I don't know. There's so much colour in it. Like I, I, I like uh, the, I still keep in contact. So it, down twenty years down the line, maybe I'll have to. Right but in the interim. Okay. It, yeah, in the interim. There's there's that much colour in it. It's uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's really quite. Uh, it's lasted really well. Like I say, I had it finished. I want to say about. Maybe three years ago, something like that, in mm. that neighborhood, three, four years ago. And yeah, it just feels like I've always had it now. It's cool. Amazing. Right. Brian. Yes, sir. So you are our US correspondent on this show. Mm -hmm. You got the Super Nintendo in your country earlier. Yeah. Were Joe, you an earlier doctor? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, uh, let's see, the SNES original release in the US was 91. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So I would have been eight going on nine when that came mm -hmm. out. So I was not in any position to procure one for myself. Um, I remember begging my parents um, for one. And I remember for my birthday and for Christmas that year uh, receiving um, two separate NES games and my uh, dad being adamant that, you know, at the time, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, like the transition from a old console to a new console and it doesn't play the old games and everything. It was a foreign concept especially in a lot of homes, especially for parents, you right. know, like I'm yeah. not going to buy you this new thing. It doesn't play all the stuff that we spent the other money on. And yeah. So what I did is that I saved my allowance basically that entire spring. I think I got, it was like two or $3 a week. I got uh, for allowance for my parents. Um, it was basically if I, 
if I didn't, if I made my own lunches and didn't use my money for school lunches, I could keep it type of thing. Um, cause that's how American <laughs> school lunches work. Um, you know, capitalism. And, um, so I remember I saved it so that I could rent a super Nintendo from the local video shop over the summer. So I saved it up and I think I saved up enough money to rent a super Nintendo for either two or three weeks that June. And I, it was just, it was, it was the June of 1993 and the game that actually pushed my dad over the edge was WWF Royal Rumble. Um, I rented rented it. I got Super Mario World, Street Fighter 2, and Royal Rumble for essentially two or three weeks, and I spent the nicest part of the summer just not seeing the sun and staying inside and playing all those games. Yeah. And I remember my dad specifically saying to me, we were sitting down playing a Royal Rumble match, and, and he, he just kept commenting on how real everything looked, how great everything <laughs> looked. Like He could yeah. really see the change, like see how much better it was, and that right. was all the really all the convincing he needed. And uh, which I didn't realize at the time I was nine going on 10 and my birthday's in September. And on my 10th birthday, I received a, um, I received a super Nintendo for with, uh, with super Mario world and uh, WWF Royal rumble. Um, so I, I was floored. I really, I didn't expect it. They didn't do anything. I have, I have a really nice story about how I got a N64 as well. My dad, again, my dad was responsible for it. Um, my dad actually, uh, I think, I'm not sure if I've told this on the podcast before. I didn't realize it at the time, but my dad had an Activision River Raid patch from taking a picture of the screen yes. and setting his score. I still oh, have fantastic. that. Yeah, I still have wow. that. Um, nice item. But I didn't realize at the time how much he was actually into games at the forefront. He just, to me, he was just dad. He didn't, you know, he played some kung fu with us on the original NES, but not a lot. Sure. And uh, so once he saw my excitement and saw the graphics, he he really spearheaded getting the next one. Um and yeah, I played, uh, man, I, I was lucky enough to have a neighbor uh, across the street who, who had had an SNES previously. I'll talk about that a little more later. He kind of br- brought me over a treasure trove of games to kind of start out with. And from that point, I mean, it was kind of getting a little older, for, you know, as a kid older to where some of the more complicated games weren't as complicated for me anymore. And, and SNES, I think, is just primarily responsible for what has turned out to now be a 30 plus year kind of. Uh, for lack of a better term, obsession with the video games and the medium. So, yeah, Super Nintendo is very important to me. And um, as I got a little older and was still and kind of got more into collecting games, um, I still have my original SNES. I still have the one that I had in my original card of Royal Rumble and Super Mario World are over on the counter. But um, cool. since then, I've I've got now um, like somewhere between 130 and 150 cartridges for SNES that I have and still play good. at semi-regularly. So. As often as I Any can. Any tattoos other uh, than the, the the American flag? And, yes, and yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I got, oh, no, I was going to say something super inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I have a I have a Legend of Zelda tattoo. I have um, uh-huh. uh, Triforce and Master Sword on my left arm. Um, but that oh, was right. wholly inspired by Ocarina of Time. Uh, no SNES okay. tattoos, but um, I'm, I'm not ruling out a Nintendo sleeve somewhere in my future. <laughs> got it done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we've got uh yeah, we've got an increasing number of game tattooed uh members of the the Kano Rince contributory team. Uh, Mikhail. Day 1, baby. Day 1 well, day, in Holland, which day, was in the day EU 1 in Europe. Day. Exactly. Was that April 92 around then? I know that was the UK date. Yeah, I want to say May because Oh no, it's June. Sorry, it was June in June. In, yeah, it could be, but EU. yeah, it should have yeah. been very early June then, because yep. uh, a little bit of uh, local Dutch lore here. Thirtieth uh, mm. of April was uh, Queen's Day at that time, the the birthday oh, of yeah. the Queen. Uh, you have a royal family, of course. Exactly, as, as we do. Yeah. 
Yep, yep. Yeah, and, eat um, that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, think our guys, I think our guy's working on that right now. So, um. <laughs> right, he's already. Uh, he could be inducted into the House of Orange. <laughs> so, um, yeah, me and my brother had a NES leading up to this with a ridiculous amount of cartridges for yeah kids of our age because uh, we we bought it from somebody with the whole uh, library of cartridges going back slightly i've been talking about this on a number of podcasts but in 91 i got this when we were on holidays in Fra- france i've got i got this um french magazine called console plus uh which was chock full of screen screenshots of uh super famicom games so I already knew what time it was. I already knew that this looked really amazing and I wanted uh, I wanted it in my life. Uh, maybe one of the main reasons was that there were screenshots of Final Fight in that magazine for the Super Nintendo. Uh, and I couldn't believe how much it looked like the arcade game, which I was absolutely smitten with. Hmm. Um, so yeah, um, flash forward about one year later, uh, Super Nintendo was coming to Europe and me and my brother went on Queen's Day. We sold our complete uh, NES and all our games off. And we made a killing because the uh, the NES was still kind of hot and the cartridges we could sell for, for pretty decent prices. So we mm. must have made something like 1,200 guilders, which would, would now be about 600 euros on that, uh, s- selling wow. our whole collection off uh, on, on that flea market. And we... We actually had people coming up in drafts to our little stand and uh, asking us, do you have this game? Do you have that game? And yeah, it was like really, you know, it was cartridges were, uh, cartridges were flying off the proverbial shelves, basically. Um, Gilders is a real currency, by the way, Brian. That's not a made up uh, yeah, Final Fantasy kind just, of situation. Yeah, I didn't know. My, I, my, no, my eyes actually, glazed back in my head and I was thinking about <laughs> rupees and other things like that. And he said that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Gil. Gil is short for uh, Gilders, basically. That's <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, Dutch, cor- Dutch currency. Yeah. Now I can understand. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. That's where that came from. And um, yeah, and and we had two um, yeah two households in our block of uh, of houses um, where you know that where uh, two two groups of uh, neighbor girls and they also had NESs and they were telling us we were crazy for selling out our uh, selling off our NES with all that stuff but we were telling them just wait until you see the Super Nintendo thing just wait until right. you see it and yeah about a month later we we were without console for about uh, for for one month about a month later we got our Super Nintendo with Super Mario World and everybody would be just in our house all the time playing on it just playing <laughs> Super yeah. Mario World and just being absolutely mesmerized with it and, uh, you know, we still didn't have Final Fight. At that time, I think I was aware of Street Fighter 2 also coming to the Super Nintendo. So, yeah, yeah. We, were, we were kind of aware that that was coming in the same year still. Um, and But the funny thing is, uh, I was just reading forward a little bit. And the launch games for the Super Nintendo, things were a little bit funny in those days. Because it's not like now, like, oh, we got a release date on this game. And now it will be in shops everywhere on this day. You know, it was totally... Uh, dependent on distributors and if a if your local local store your electronics or your toy store would be stocked or uh you know what kind of distribution deals they had going on because for us we went i remember after we got our super nintendo just getting on our bikes with the side wheel reflectors of course uh and 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 (laughs) 
you know, just riding off to uh, to the local toy store where we used to buy all our stuff religiously because the guy gave us good discounts or he, he would just give us games that we could take home. And if we didn't like them after playing them for a couple of days, we could return them and, and look for something else. And we would go there every Friday to see if he had uh, any Super Nintendo games in, but nothing. So we were, I think for at least one and a half months, we were just playing uh, Super Mario World only until we finally got Super Tennis and F-Zero uh, maybe one and a half months later. Yeah, mm. but very, uh, very exciting times. Yeah, I was a little bit older than everyone else here, but I was probably by the time I got my Super Nintendo, I was probably every bit as excited. I was uh, uh, basically the, the NES was not a huge deal in the UK at all. Uh, some people had them. It, it was released here latterly, but I didn't have one. So my experience of, of Nintendo stuff was a little bit of Super Mario Brothers at the arcades. And I was aware of some of the games that were uh, going to be a big deal on the Super Nintendo, having played earlier incarnations or variants of them elsewhere. But I'd never sat down and played much Mario sort of intently or, or anything like that. I knew that they had this reputation of being these amazing, fascinating games uh, Zelda as well, but it wasn't something that I'd craved for specifically. I had a Mega Drive and an Amiga. I felt like I had kind of all bases covered and that I wasn't really missing out. Or also, um, it was expensive. Like I was uh, recently moved out of home, had a job in a burger bar. And so just to go and shell out a couple of hundred quid on a console and another couple of hundred quid on, on games to go with it was not something that I could just do on a whim. Um, it was actually early 94 I ended up getting my Super Nintendo. So I'd already got uh, Street Fighter 2 Special Champion Edition on the Mega Drive and thoroughly enjoyed that on there and got a couple of six-button pads and whatever else. But then it was a friend of mine who I did a lot of gaming with at the time, a colleague of mine at the Burger Bar. We used to we used to play after night shifts until the wee small hours, various games also used to play on the Amiga as well. But he decided, I think he already had a Game Boy. And so he'd sort of, that was the sort of gateway drug of, of Mario and Kirby and, and Zelda and all this stuff. So he was really keen to get the, uh, the, big, the big brother version of that. So he got a, a Super Nintendo for Christmas. I think it was the Super Mario All-Stars kit. And he showed me a photo, I think it was of him. Um, this would have been an actual photograph, of course, because this was 1992, of him receiving his SNES with his, uh, his, his wife, I think, or his, his fiance at the time having gifted him that and he was absolutely overjoyed uh, i guess he was even a bit older than me and and that sort of that sort of kicked in the sort of yeah and i, I kind of I, I feel like i'm missing out here on something then he brought it round and we played some pilot wings and i was like yeah my my other machines can't do this stuff uh and so yeah i somehow managed to scrape together the money um to buy one early in 94 power super nintendo got it from argos or somewhere i think and uh yeah never looked back for well for the next goodness knows how many years that super nintendo got absolutely uh played to death even once the the next generations came along that super nintendo was still uh ready to be used and hooked up which is the way i do at some point though i did sell that one and if i ever do replace it it'll be with a uh a 60 hertz enabled uh, multi-region Super Nintendo that can output a uh, better video signal than composite, <laughs> such as the original PAL. But um, I've kind of replaced it for the time being, at least with 
Wii Virtual Console, Wii U Virtual Console, three N three DS Virtual Console, uh, and of course the SNES Mini and emulation. So uh, and now the Switch Online collection as well. So I still keep uh, the vast majority of that the library of that machine that means a lot to me. And we'll talk as always in these uh, shows about uh, specific games later on. Obviously, not every single one, but as many as we can that we need to talk about. Uh, Dave Lawrence 8 from the forum says, My favourite Christmas of all time was 1991, the year that the movie Hook came out. My family was nearly homeless, but my mum still scraped enough money together to buy me a Super Nintendo. My mum paid enough attention to know that the SNES was my must-have Christmas present that year. She delivered, and it was amazing, as I had hoped. In fact, with our financial hardships, it offered a much-needed escape. I kept it well into the PlayStation era, playing and enjoying games like Yoshi's Island and Killer Instinct. A Link to the Past is still my favourite game ever, and I boot up Yoshi's Island just to hear that amazing soundtrack. I still have my now very yellow Super Nintendo console. Still works. Favourite Christmas ever. Favourite console ever. Everything about it was, indeed, super. Apparently that yellowing is specifically bad on certain models of the Super Nintendo. It was to do with some anti anti-flammable chemical mix that they used for the outer shell and yeah. it was some are particularly prone to it but there are there is now somebody worked out a, a concoction yeah. an amalgam of chemicals that you can use to clean to clean it with yeah you can you can get rid of the yellowing I've, it's funny mm. i have two pal super nintendos one modded uh one unmodded the modded one has yeah. a 60 hertz uh, switch on it the the yes. modded one only has the t- only the bottom of it is yellow and the top is uh nicely gray and the unmodded oh, one well. is, uh, is all yellow yeah who looks at the bottom yeah <laughs> And yeah. by the way, uh, Leon, the original Super Nintendo, PAL Super Nintendo, could output RGB signal. It's just that you have had to have an RGB cable for it, which weren't very common. It's and mine. The one that I have is aftermarket. Okay, mine. What did I have? Yeah, I had a, I I had a composite SCART, and I had an SVHS cable, which one mm. of my TVs could use, and that that mm. offered a much better yeah. picture. But the RF composite was it was what we were used to but once you've experienced better it's hard to go back it's that kind of situation yeah definitely especially once you've played all the the modern versions with the uh with the you know super crispy graphics and then optional crt filters uh, which nintendo's own are, are pretty decent one thing we should address is the pronunciation of the name so one of the things we often get called up on is I think this is one of those things where if people have a their own version, their own, uh, own interp- interpretation or incarnation of this pronunciation, I think because especially back in the day, this was mainly written down in magazines and then talked about in playgrounds. Some people were calling it the SNES, some people calling it the SNES, some people calling it the Super NES. Of course, you can just call it the Super Nintendo. I think so far we've all been SNESers, but I know yeah, some people I, have a problem with that. <laughs> I, I tend to write down SNES and say Super Nintendo. Okay. That's kind of my, yeah, but it's my, always, my it's, MO. We always said Super Nintendo, but now I refer to it as SNES. I think emulation yeah. did a lot for that because, you know, just like just typing SNES, SNES over and over again. Not that I would ever right. emulate anything ever. But um, but yeah, they uh, the they just for some reason after typing SNES feels right now. But as a kid, we all just said Super Nintendo. 
I think some people prefer it as with a with a kind of soft S at the end, like a Z, so like a SNES, <laughs> which doesn't work for me because system, the word system, it starts with a sharp hard S, doesn't it? So SNES would be <laughs> Super Nintendo Entertainment mm. Zisdom. <laughs> anyway, like uh, so we may use different ones throughout. You'll hear. Uh, you'll have to forgive us if it's not your choice. We should, of course, really, as it is a Japanese console, we should call it the Super Famicom. If we were cool hipsters, but maybe we're not. Um, Korea, we could be Korean. We could call it the Super Comboy. Mm. And there's a whole range of comboys in Korea, depending on which Nintendo you've got. Sounds a bit shady. Slightly shady. Uh, yeah. There's not actually that much available about the, the creation and uh, development of the machine. I haven't found. There's some pictures of prototypes and potential uh, ideas of uh, concepts of how the the machine might look, but it seems to be that Nintendo R and D two were almost somewhat reluctant, even though they ended yeah. up getting together this kind of uh, a, a pretty strong team of different chip manufacturers and and whatever, um, and and they kind of worked on this very high tech and presumably quite expensive project. The the sense you get from the launch was that really they didn't see why they had to do this because it was really Sega kind of forcing their hand. Sega Not really. making a No? I think no, it was more uh NEC actually. The PC engine was uh, really threatening Nintendo in, over in Japan. Sega wasn't doing okay, much. Okay, yeah, no, fair, fair. Yeah. Right. But, so that uh, was but yeah, they were machine. pretty com pretty complacent because of the success of the Famicom and uh and right. the NES. Yeah. Mm. But maybe in the international market, the fact that the Genesis was doing so well in America, starting to just yeah, maybe impinge some upon pressure the from NES the subsidiaries could be. Mm. Yeah. So the NES, uh, sorry, the NEC PC Engine or the Turbo Graphics was an eight-bit system, but had sixteen-bit graphics. So, so the games looked uh, sort of significantly smoother and more colourful than a lot of NES games. Yeah. Even though and by this stage in in the NES's life, they were using a lot of kind of extra onboard custom chips to enhance those yeah. games yeah i mean what you would get is that the pc engine uh, was uh, sort of delivering arcade perfect quote-unquote uh game experiences yeah. for a fraction of the spy uh, of the price of something like the sharp uh 68 000 or something mm. like, like those supercomputers yeah so it, when it was released in japan on november 21st 1990 they only shipped Initially, 300,000 units. I think there was something like 1.5 million pre-orders mm. and that wow. shipment sold, sold out within hours. Uh, there were, it was a Wednesday, so there were queues in the streets outside consumer electronics stores, people taking the day off work, people calling in sick, people not going to school. Uh, and this led to the Japanese government asking uh, game manufacturers to be releasing their future machines and games on weekends. I think uh, traditionally it's, it's quite, it certainly used to be, maybe it's changed now, it's more global, but for a long time games came out on a Sunday in Japan, which is, seemed quite strange to us when we didn't, uh, up until the 90s, we didn't even really have sun, extensive Sunday trading. Uh, and anecdotally, at least, the system's release gained the attention of the Yakuza, Leading to a leading to the decision to ship the devices at night to avoid the trucks being uh, turned over, which I, I believe has happened in mm. uh, in the past with um, with these things. Because obviously, 
yeah, it's an easy target with uh, with a lot of valuable stuff on. Yeah, we talked about the release dates. So uh, it was August 1991, uh, So uh, almost uh, getting on for a year later, the Americans got it. Then we waited a further six months or more until April in the UK. Another couple of months until the EU got it. Then uh, it was uh, Ireland got it at the same time as the UK. Australia was July ninety two, and Brazil was August nineteen ninety three, and that's interesting in, in itself. The whole history of consumer electronics and video games in Brazil. Both the NES and the SNES were released in Brazil in nineteen ninety three by Playtronic, a joint venture between the toy company Estrela and consumer electronics company Gradiente. Uh, and of course, they also have a hugely uh, sort of um closely tied relationship with sega and uh, is it tech toy the company releases all tech the toy sega that's stuff, the company yeah i think yeah. tech toy releasing all the sega stuff uh there way before uh, Ni- yes. uh nintendo's products arrived there they they already yeah. had the market hemmed up so everybody yeah. every, almost everybody there really remembers sega very fondly and don't yeah, they right. don't have much affinity with anything nintendo and their consoles are still astronomically more expensive in brazil than they are almost anywhere else yeah. So you can get a PS4, but it'll cost you about twice as much as it would, hmm. or 50% as much again as uh, up in North America, for example. Yeah. Some more launch stories. Gingertastic01 says, I can remember going into Dixon's every Saturday while my mum did the shopping. My brothers and I would endlessly stare at the glassed off kiosk in disbelief at Street Fighter 2 running endlessly on its attract mode. We simply couldn't believe how good it looked. To our young eyes, it was arcade perfect and represented a massive jump in graphics and sound from what we were used to. And Dusk versus Tweak says, I first started playing video games on the NES with the original Mario Brothers game, but I was still very young, young enough even to not be aware that the Super Nintendo was on its way. So on Christmas of 93, when I opened my gift wrapping and found a Super Nintendo inside, packed in Super Mario World, I can tell you the shock and surprise was massive. What was this? A NES, but different? This machine shook my world. So many of my childhood memories are wrapped around this console. When the NES Mini was released, I passed. I didn't need to play those titles again after all these years. When the SNES Mini was released, I had to have it. Even as incomplete as that system's library is, a partial collection of SNES games is still a treasure trove. Except for Mario is missing. Just to be clear, you can put any ROM you like on the SNES Mini, as I have done. So don't worry about... I mean, the the lineup is pretty stellar that you get out of the box, but it's very easy to add uh, any any SNES game that you would like to play. Um, so yeah, there is that. Launch prices, this is, I always find this interesting. So it was 25,000 yen in Japan, which translates to about uh, 28,500 yen now. US, it was $199, which translates today to about $375. Uh, for reference, what's uh, what's a what's a console over there in the US right now? Uh, if you're getting a brand new Xbox One, you know you can probably get it for about three hundred dollars now. Launch prices were four hundred, if three ninety nine for both. Yeah, so yeah. so it it tracks pretty pretty current. Yep. Yeah, and Britain we launched at one hundred and fifty pounds, which was considerably cheaper than the Saturn and PlayStation would launch in ninety four ninety five time. Uh, but it does translate to three hundred and fifteen pounds, so it's around the around the price of a switch slightly more than a switch the equivalent yeah we um, were covered with covered with uh, the sale of our nes because we uh 
ha- yeah. easily had enough money, the, the 399 guilders, to put that down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound real. That sounds like you gave him, like, piles of grain or something. Why, why does that sound, why, why does it sound it, funny to you guys? It doesn't sound real. Okay. <laughs> well, well 400 guilders. Yeah. You could, couldn't even be bothered yeah. to put the grain in sacks. It was no, in piles. It's, of still, grain, it's just yeah. piled up. I still, I still, I still have some. I still might have some guilders uh, laying around if you if you want them. Yeah, I've got some guilders in my uh, coin collection. I think. There you go. <laughs> uh, yes. I pretend to spend them in uh, old inns and weapons shops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Alex79 UK says, I still remember the Super Nintendo coming out and being a really big deal. If I recall correctly, the Sun newspaper <laughs> at the time ran a competition to win one and a kid at our school claimed to have won it. While I doubt the legitimacy of this boast, the rest of us were hugely excited about the console's release. Being a fairly poor kid... I never got one at launch, but my brother eventually got one for his Christmas and birthday present, and we absolutely rinsed Super Mario World. We were blown away by the graphics, audio, and gameplay. This was, I think, the first Mario game I ever really played properly, and it was just so exciting trying to find those secret exits. The game remains an all-time favourite. Yes, I, I did get more than just the one game with mine, but Super Mario World was the thing I spent most of the first month pretty much playing mm. until I'd got uh, 95 exits. You can hear how that story ended on our Super Mario World <laughs> podcast. Mm. The machine was only discontinued in Japan in 2003, wow. officially, September 25th, wow. 2003. Didn't last quite as long in America or the EU, 99 and 98 respectively. Also lasted Still fairly until, long. Yeah. yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. S- seven years, uh, six, seven years. Brazil and Korea, it lasted until 2003 as well. And the lifetime sales after that initial shipment of 300,000 units, it went on to ship almost 50 million, um, with 23 of those being in America, 17 in Japan, and eight and a half the rest of the world. It was a cartridge-based machine, of course, and uh, I won't go through all the specs because it's just a bunch of numbers. Um, The power machine was slower. You need to know that. Uh, So those of us who had PAL Super Nintendos, for the most part, we were getting unoptimized PAL games with with slower game speeds and big black borders around the edges. Leon, can I ask a question about that? And this is something that no one's ever been able to explain to me. Maybe I just haven't asked the question the right way. Um, Was there a technical reason for that? Was there something about the... that uh, maybe I, that I wouldn't understand uh, about the power supply or about how yeah. the video output. How, how why why was that necessary? Uh, so our TV uh, display was based on fifty hertz, basically. Okay. So yeah. yeah, most most TVs that you bought in Europe didn't actually display sixty hertz signals. Some peculiar ones did. Some occasion you could you could get a model that did. Normally, if you tried to run something in 60 hertz, it would just uh, endlessly roll off the top of the screen. Mm. Um, you could get adapters so that you could, uh, so that it would kind of down speed them. Mikhail knows more about this than right. I, I do. And was that was that a manufacturing thing? This might not be the conversation for the podcast. I apologize, but was it was it a manufacturing thing? Were just the European companies just that was the the standard for Europe? Or actually, the Pal. Uh, TV system, uh, PAL 50 hertz, is based yeah. on more uh, vertical lines of resolution. So okay. uh, you, you, 
yeah. it could actually display more vertical lines of resolution um and uh but it uh, the refresh rate was only 50 hertz as opposed to ntsc 60 hertz mm-hmm. so it's a little bit of a give and take situation there but since most of the games were developed in either the us or japan uh yeah developers usually just would would exactly and they wouldn't bother to optimize it for the pal region so for those extra lines of resolution and the uh slower refresh rates Uh, so Mm -hmm. what you would get is basically a lot of roms would be of course the title screens would be altered a little bit uh, for for copyright data and uh, and that sort of stuff but that would be the extent to which they were uh, localized yeah no i mean there are other alterations of course but they they wouldn't really optimize them for the pal re- region so what you would get because uh these were basically ntsc games played on a system that was uh, downgraded for 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 mm-hmm. pal uh so to speak uh yeah it couldn't display the image across the full uh, verticality of the screen which is why you get those extra black right. borders on the top okay. of the bottom of the screen and they would run slower but there are games that uh, were optimized for the PAL region as well. Some. Yeah, and very yeah. occasionally they would even take it. Often it would normally be stuff that was developed in Europe. That you would even get games that had that took advantage of the extra resolution that you could you could have on the screen. That was that was the real rare treat. But yeah, normally that, um, that percentage of around about 16, 17% mm-hmm. of difference and again, I should stress, and I know sometimes you get people when we talk about this are like, oh, we didn't care. We just didn't care. But it was it was something that became more and more apparent, especially if you were an arcade gamer. And so you were used to playing mm-hmm. these games at their intended speed because the arcade monitors would be wouldn't be PAL. They'd right. be uh, right. bespoke monitors. So even though you knew it was a conversion, so you would put up with a certain amount of you know, the the game being running slightly slower. But if you were reading a review and it said, this game is blisteringly fast and plays the same speed as the arcade game, and then you played it, it was like, yeah, I don't know about that. Right. Um, and it's <laughs> one of those things that rather like with uh, people talk about their sensitivity to frame rate or uh, tearing or, or, or whatever else, it's something that some people are more sensitive to than others. But mm-hmm. it is also one of those things that the more you become exposed to the differences, the more apparent it becomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the harder the, it is to go back. So yeah, for sure. Since uh, since well, I was, got my uh, my uh, Super Nintendo modded with a sixty hertz switch, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to go back to PAL speed after afterwards. Mm-hmm. With there, this, was, uh, there were the one or two. Yeah, and there there were a couple of uh, games where the slowdown wasn't as bad on the PAL system because you were yeah. starting from a slower place, so there was less load on the uh, on the CPU kind of That's thing. That's definitely uh, true as well. On yeah, the GPU. Mm-hmm. We saw uh, that so, when I was playing through Super Castlevania Four last year. Right? Yeah, on the mm. I was playing it uh, the NTSC card uh, on the yeah. modded sixty hertz PAL, si- PAL system, and there was uh, in some spaces the slowdown was much more noticeable than it was hmm. on yes. the regular PAL fifty hertz version. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, UN Squadron's another great example of that. And in fact, this was talking about shortcomings for the Super Nintendo hardware. This was an area that was they seemed to get around it as as development for the system went on and they learned how to kind of work with it, but early a lot of early Super Nintendo games were kind of suffered with crippling slowdown. Not so much the first party stuff, yeah. but Capcom and Konami stuff. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's easily the most I've learned about that. So I knew that PAL games are slower. I didn't know about the specific lines of verticality. 
And mm. you know that as an American, like, it, I literally have a headache now learning things about other cultures. So, like, and about how other things work in the world. Go and have so, a lie down. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to try to suffer through it. I mean, I'll, I'll drink, um, I'll just have to crack a Budweiser or something. But, um, uh, but no, that's, <laughs> yeah. so it, in, with all joking aside, that that's something that I always knew that pale, and I knew that 50 hertz versus 60 hertz would make it mm. uh, slower, but I didn't know to that level of detail. So, if this wasn't the appropriate conversation to have in the podcast, I apologize. But um, it would, now, now I, can completely understand that must have been especially for you guys as as arcade lovers must have been you know fairly fairly difficult to see the the transition yeah and it and it was still an issue as recently as uh, the wii virtual console because they started re-releasing mega drive games and super nintendo games and in the eu we were getting the pal roms oh so so it was really really frustrating interestingly they've just recently released one game on the switch snes service which is pop and twinby mm-hmm. and the uh, and this will be the this will be true in the us as well i think it's the pal version yeah. and it's got the it's got the little bar on the front of the box if you go into the uh the description of the game it says this pal version has been specifically modified to run at 60 hertz as per the original uh us and japanese version hmm. so that's it they f- they finally got it. They, you know, they like they really get how important this stuff is. Whereas it took yeah. years of badgering. It was the Wii U era. They started actually re- releasing NTSC ROMs in PAL territories because people were saying, "Please, for the love of God!" Like yeah. we we tolerated this at the time, but we know now that we were being basically we were being screwed over right. uh, by it, just laziness, really, and greed. Uh, like, well, they don't know what they're missing, so let's just give them. Hmm. You know, the kind of bog standard. And, and, it, and it is true. I do sympathize with those people who say, well, we didn't care because we didn't know any better. But it, we did. And, so, you know, I was that bit older as well. So I became more and more kind of familiar with this stuff. Mm. And by the time we were in the mid, mid to late 90s, I was all about the 60 hertz uh, options and, and not playing the, the PAL ROMs wherever possible. So there we have it. Um other than that, well, the console had famously seven graphics modes. I won't go into detail about all of them, and I don't claim to fully understand. Mode seven is the one that you hear referred to the most often, which is the 2D image into 3D, as seen in Pilot Wings and F-Zero and Super Mario Kart. Uh, anything to be said about the other modes, Mikhail? You you might know more about this in terms of how they're are they adopted in together in different games, or is it each game displays in a particular mode? It seems to be to do with graphic layers each uses. Yeah. So on a screen, you've got different modes. Sorry, different parts of the screen using different modes. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, very complex parallax scrolling uh, has to yeah. do with the, the different modes. That's as far as I know, actually. Yeah, yeah. we're not we're not that technical about it. Uh, suffice to say, the graphics uh, they had a lot of colors. Um, is it uh, thirty-two thousand? Something mm-hmm. like that. The Super Nintendo yeah. had more than yeah, you could, other home systems. You could uh, definitely, you know, one thing uh, we would have over our Mega Drive owning friends is that, uh, yeah, we we could, yeah, the Super Nintendo by comparison would just have a spectacular amount of color on the screen. Yeah, and the other thing that I think really marks out as my perception of the consoles being different, apart from the some of the developers and obviously the Nintendo games versus the Sega games is the sound of the system. They they have very different sounding sound chips. 
So the Mega Drive, yeah. we've already done that show. The FM chip, not very good at speech samples for the most part, or certainly, especially not when they weren't afforded much memory. Whereas the the Nintendo SSMP was very heavily sample based, and you could do piano things that sounded more like p- real instruments, pianos and trumpets, and reverb was deployed heavily particularly in some of the early launch games as they as they would always do to show off the latest tech so mario is kind of yeah like we're in a cave now and it's all echoey and all this kind of stuff yeah that was really cool though i mean at at its worst the super nintendo stuff can sound very muffled and uh and farty and, and, farty and uh yeah way too heavy on the reverb but at its best, when it's crystal clear sounding, uh, yeah, Super Mario World did not blow us away completely graphically when we got mm. it. I mean, it looked really no. nice and it looked really charming and I loved the way it looks, but it wasn't something that, you know, a, gra- a graphical showpiece or anything like no. that, except for no. some slide mode seven effects, I guess, uh, when you defeated a boss, yes. it would stretch and disappear yeah. off the screen. But um, the sound was what really got us like, wow, I can't believe this is a a video game system that sounds like Mm. that. You know, even in the arcade still, you would have these sort of Yamaha FM synth uh, sounding harsh, harsh sounds. And then you got the Super Nintendo. And one thing that really jumped out to me was, for example, if you would um, reach the end of a level and then uh, hit the the ribbon that would move up and down between a gate in Super Mario uh, World. And then uh, you would hear this sort of uh, your your uh, the star count, the red star count that you would get at that moment would sort of be counted down uh, as a, as a score tally, and then you would hear uh, like these drum, uh, you know, like a drum roll sound that sounded so, yeah, so so uh, organic somehow. Yeah, and it didn't struggle with where. I played the, as I said, the Mega Drive version of Street Fighter 2 first, and the speech mm-hmm. samples in that were not the clearest and the cleanest. Whereas yeah. here, uh, they sounded much, they, they were still a little muffly and, and quiet compared to the arcade, but they were much closer. I think One they both did different things. Go on. No, go ahead, Ben. I think they both did, I think they both did different things, like the Mega Drive and the SNES sound wise, um, uh, in terms of the, what they kind of were best at. But I think, the SNES did more stuff better, if that makes sense. Like, um, I think that if you look at what the Mega Drive musically was good at, it was chuggy stuff like Thunder Force 4 that sounded mm-hmm. like Metallica yeah. and like mm-hmm. uh, like glidey kind of uh, chimey kind of stuff like Sonic. Whereas the SNES could really do anything adequate, adequately for me, uh, but the stuff mm-hmm. that it did well... It, it it could just like with the the kind of synth kind of horns and stuff and the the reverb and the samples and and and, and the speech as well like it, it put it kind of put yeah. everything together a lot better I think and I think arrangement wise like you say with I was used to um obviously Master System and and uh, Amiga Amiga games as well where you'd have like three or four tracks run at the same time and then if a game sample came in it'd cut one of the other tracks to be able to play yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. You, you didn't get that with the SNES. Like yeah, it, Thunder Force somehow, 2, for example, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you you didn't get that with the SNES. It managed to just keep everything layered and everything kind of arranged and kind of and 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 kind mm. of running and that was the, one of the one of kind of the big things things for me like I, I, I loved how it did that. 
And I also think like it's it's as someone who ended up evolving into a bit of a music nerd, like kind of through video games, like I didn't realize at first what I loved so much more about the music in, in, in SNES games. But then as you kind of you kind of parse it out, you were able to identify individual parts and voices yeah. a lot clearer. Like, I mean, I remember yeah. there's one track from I wrote it down in the later thing from from Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball. And I it, it stuck with me for years. It's always stuck in my head. And I realized that the reason is it's one of the first video game tracks I could clearly hear the baseline. Like, I didn't oh, yeah. know it at the time, but like mm-hmm. it gave that thumping along and you could really like it just it pulsated and, and, and drove in a way that you just I just hadn't heard before. I still appreciate a lot of the SNES uh, sound system and a lot of the music because of that. And then. And then you you can we can go in for long conversations about these different soundtracks that were allowed to just kind of like just sing because of the uh, the availability of the different types of sound and the different nuance that composer could give things. It just it had more of a voice where I think like like in, with the Sega stuff, there's Mega Drive and Genesis music that I love, but it does. I, I, I for some reason I I just feel a little bit more comfortable like see softer tones that come from the SNES that just kind of make me feel a little bit more like home. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it was certainly a, what? a noticeable leap from the NES, which, for the most part, apart from the the Super Famicom, uh, sorry, the Famicom and the Disk System, which had those embellishments, uh, still sounded very uh, the the US NES was still very chippy and low in yeah. number of voices. Yeah, it was a massive massive jump. Then when Super Castlevania Four came out that same summer and we bought it, it was just like we couldn't yeah. believe it. This sounds like actual music. Right. I remember specifically not to keep talking about the same stuff, but when I first put the secret of mana cart into my, into my SNES and started listening to that, it was like, it was like listening to a classical composition. It it, it blew my mind that I could be that engaged with video game music. Yeah. Same. Even. Mm. Yeah. And it just, one of those things that like, it just like that particular experience. And I think maybe that'll always kind of make me talk a little bit more, more romantically about the system. Is it like, like I didn't know that they could make games sound that way. Yeah, exactly. Even when that starts, right. When secret of mana starts, it's one of those points where like, there's nothing else. It's like the first time you hear like uh, how soon is now by the Smiths. It's like nothing Mm. sounds, nothing sounds like that. That (laughs) sounds like that. How does this sound? Come yeah. out of that, and Secret Man is the same with that that big noise. I'm like, what even is that? How's that? How's that? That it's yeah. like an alien whale song. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, oh, something so like great. that. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, uh, and I think these obviously we can't extricate our feelings for this from the nostalgia. That's not possible. That is our lens. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there is something to be said about these soundtracks that will always sound specifically like they sound. If you see what I mean, like there's no. Obviously, these have all had uh, interpret- interpretive versions by artists, professional and amateur, rock versions, orchestrated versions, whatever. And all- some of those things are lovely, and I love the fact that they exist. But there is no... that I think some of these soundtracks from the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive as well retain a personality that a lot of more contemporary stuff won't, as, as-, as amazing as some of the video game music yeah. is be- being written and mm-hmm. produced today. These sound like when and where they're from and yeah it, it, everything post the sort of seed i mean i don't know you could even start to hear the differences between the cd era and now just because of the cost yeah. of production has gone right. up and things like that but but these will always sound you can't like you can't make the distinction now anymore between oh this is an xbox 360 soundtrack versus right. a playstation yeah, right. 4 soundtrack yeah. you or know, a film like the, you know there's nothing if, right if, yeah yeah I mean, you yeah. could even extrapolate that into the CD era as well, like like in soundtracks like your Final Fantasy seven VII and eights that like are very specifically mm. for that era. I mean, certainly more like has more volume and structure than than the sixteen bit era, but still 
like is of a specific time that even now, like I think some of the more memorable soundtracks in recent years are soundtracks that have been trying to specifically limit themselves to being mm. of an era, like your Shovel Knight soundtrack and thing like that, um, where yep. it's it's like it, it it was the confines and the tool set they were given that inspired the creativity. It's it's really fascinating stuff, and the SNES yeah. just yeah. Uh, just sings where there's so many. Uh, even uh, I don't know. I could, I could talk about it for a long time. Just, and speaking of sinks, uh, maybe <laughs> one one final thing. We uh, Leon was also mentioning clear voices. One of my mm. uh, kind of hall of shame games that I bought back in the days was uh, Clay Fighter, that had a freaking <laughs> intro. That it had an intro song. Yeah, yeah. It had yeah. A, like a completely vocal intro song. Yeah. And of course, Square felt confident enough in the sound of this machine to have a little opera in the middle of one of their games in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VI <laughs> or three, as it was in the US. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think for me, the studio that probably got the most out of the SNES sound chip was Konami, talking about Super Castlevania 4 and mm-hmm. Contra 3. They really yeah. did a lot of interesting stuff with the, with that sound palette uh, that I don't think maybe, I, I'm not sure what, uh, I guess it came down to their their libraries and tools and whatever whatever they had to use, but some of the stuff they, whereas obviously they'd always made cracking, catchy tunes their games konami kind of rather than just trying to recreate the sound but with real instruments they seem to really their their musicians their in-house people seem to sort of really think about what textures they could bring to games like yeah. contra 3 going from this kind of very kind of upbeat kind of aliens war type story suddenly you've got all these pieces that are really moody and atmospheric and dark yeah. as well as that kind of action movie music yeah, yeah, it it. They, I think Konami just uh, pooped all over Capcom on the Super Nintendo in that in that aspect. Yeah. One one soundtrack that I love the sound of is uh, from Capcom is uh, the Super Nintendo version of uh, Street Fighter Two. I do mm-hmm. actually think that sounds really nice. But other than that, even though Capcom put out great tunes and great compositions, their their yeah. library of sounds was yeah. not up to par to that of uh, yeah. Konami. Yeah, yeah, UN Squadron's a great example of that. Cracking yeah. tunes, but some really quite harsh noises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that the one the one Konami soundtrack kind of gets left in the dark uh, a lot of times from the Super Nintendo was the, the Turtles in Time soundtrack, because a lot of it is mm-hmm. like Ninja Turtle-y, you know, it has that theme kind of behind it, so it kind of gets dismissed yeah. as the cartoon theme, but it just sounds... Yeah, it's just banging. It's just like every track is just like an in-your-face, like pushes you through the lot. I... I listen to that soundtrack fairly regularly, you know, on on its own. It just it just is it just is awesome. Hmm. Nice. Backwards compatibility with the NES was mooted, at least for a period during development. Uh, it would have used a separate cartridge slot, but sadly, it was rejected due to cost. So even then, uh, console makers not really seeing the uh, the worth or the value in backwards compatibility. Here we are, thirty years later, and we're finally about to get two properly backwards compatible machines at least with the previous generation um that would have been nice because it would have meant that mikhail could have sold just the console and kept his uh or at least most of his nes games and carried mm-hmm. on playing them on his super nintendo but uh wasn't to be now the, the actual design of the console so the japanese and the eu versions were very close and they have famously the four multicolor buttons, green, blue, yellow, and red, A, B, X, and Y. Whereas the US version was redesigned, they wanted something that was less toy-like, less looked like it was for, for kids. And so they got the remodeled version. Now, again, obviously, 
nostalgia and just the one that you had, the one that you were affection had affection for, obviously plays a part here. I know there are some uh, diehards who swear by the US version. My personal preference is for the Japanese and PAL one, but I never thought it was a particularly sexy, exciting looking machine, if I'm honest. It's nice and I have nostalgia I did. for it. You did? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. And this right. is a very embarrassing story, but when we first, I very vividly remember that moment when we first took it out of the box and I thought it was just a beautiful piece of design. And I actually put my lips on that fresh new Super Nintendo and I kissed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've got my i've got my mini right here and the mini i should say is a beautiful reproduction of it like yeah. it's the only sad thing is that unlike the mega drive mini the cartridge slot doesn't open but the reset button feels pretty much the same mm -hmm. the power button feels pretty much the same the eject button doesn't work uh mm -hmm. and it's 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 not unpleasant but it, i just think it's a it's yeah i just find it a bit plain they moved the vent onto the back so that people would stop spilling drinks into the works Mm. Uh, compared to the NES, this is, and the cartridge. Uh, sorry, the uh, the top surface is no longer completely flat to stop people putting their drinks on it, like the NES. Yeah, uh, Ben, what what do you care about the aesthetics of a console? I think it's weird with this one. I think like um, they both look like two versions of the same thing, right? It reminds me of the Toyota MR2 in that the American one is like the Mark One MR2 that came out in 1984. That's dead boxy. And that everybody loved and is dead iconic. And the every other one looks like the Mark II MR2, which came out here 1999, which is the one that looks like every sports car that was in every kind of 90s film. <laughs> like, I, I honestly think, like, if you look at those two cars, like, they're dead obviously versions of the same thing, but with a slightly different, like, uh, kind of uh, design aesthetic to them. Um, but I love him. Um, obviously, having never owned a, um, uh, an NTSC SNES, obviously, and never had a. Never kind of had one. I never had the chance to kind of get used to it. And uh, I, mm. uh, I I was going to get when the whole thing about the, the SNES minis came out and people were like trying to buy one of each region. I thought that was quite cool. Uh, and oh, I was yeah. I was thinking, but then mm. the prices went stupid because everybody was doing that, didn't they? <laughs> like right. every, yeah. every, everybody was starting. The, the, the prices on that, the, the minis went stupid after the NES one sold really well. Um, so I never kind of got around to it, but. Yeah, I think like uh, yeah. Back in the days, I was uh, also aware of the uh, uh, sup the American Super Nintendo because I also bought magazines like EGM in it. Yeah. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's it's funny yeah. that years down the line, when I rebought a Super Nintendo and I had it sitting in my apartment, and I had a friend from the US come over, he stayed a couple of uh, days in my apartment, and he just looked at my European Super Nintendo and he asked me, "What is that?" He had no idea. Wow! And yeah, said, right, and then he saw the controllers. That looks like a Super Nintendo controller, but what was with the colors and everything? He just had yeah, no yeah. idea about the other models. Yeah, to yeah, him, well, the Super yeah. Nintendo was just the purple box thing. Yeah, and I don't really understand that. Like, uh, I, I mean, there's probably some, obviously some marketing decision that that led to that, uh, but mm. um, like the the logo for the Super Nintendo was still the same. It was still the four colors in the U.S. Mm, so, right. so for me personally, I remember like yeah. I, I guess I didn't have a specific recollection. I was pretty young, but like I remember thinking like that that was very colorful, but it didn't match anything on the system. It didn't make sense. Like like when the the NES came out, it was the red circle Nintendo logo, and that was right emblazoned right on the front of the console. You know, so mm. like it didn't it just didn't match. And I didn't even know that the Super yeah. Famicom. The only thing I knew differently back then, just from reading things like Nintendo Power and and another video game publications. Um, 
was that the Super Famicom cartridges were shaped differently. We kind of had the hard yeah, lines, yeah. and the, those ones were rounder. But yeah. other than that, I didn't think there was any difference. It wasn't until I got much older and I saw a Super Famicom like proper. I'm like, oh, that's mm. really pretty. What's that? And somebody was like, oh, it's a Super Nintendo. I was like, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I um, I love the look of the the pale one and the Japanese one more than this. Than, I mean, I have nostalgia for mine. I have my little SNES Mini right over here next yeah. to me. and. Uh, but yeah, but no, I like the I like more colorful. I I don't know why that decision was made, but you know it is what it is. I my suspicions are, and this is not documented anywhere, but the the NES was massive in the U.S. Right? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, massive. and 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 in Europe, I mean, it was kind of big where I lived, but uh, on the whole, it was it didn't make as huge a splash mm-hmm. at all uh, in comparison. So here we nobody was really beholden to that type of design, and as we know, the NES is very much drastically redesigned from the Japanese Famicom. So I think I'm I really suspect that NOA must have felt like oh, we need to really put this in the market as a sequel to to the NES as well. So that makes make sense. it mm. make it all boxy like like the NES was like uh, you know the sort yeah. of VCR type of uh, type of yeah. design. and I guess. That that multicolored thing associated with children's toys does make a certain logical sense. Mm-hmm. The sort of the the shape sorting, color identification thing of the four those four very bright and obvious colors. But uh, for me, and I've always thought this, we have these sweets. I don't know if you have them in uh, Holland or America, but Palma violets. Palma violets all day. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 buttons on the on the American controller just look like four. Well, two of them look like Palma yeah, violets. The, top two. the other two. Look, yeah, that's funny. And so I could never shake that. And I really don't like Palmer violets. Brian, Brian, are they making this up? No, not as far as I know. Um, they, that, that's exactly what they look like. Um, yeah, I, I'm only familiar with those based on the comparison to Super Nintendo controllers in America. Yeah. I don't, yeah. We don't have the candies here, but um, but I will say though, like it makes sense from what McKeel said about the marketing perspective as a sequel. Because the NES was so popular in the United States that that literally, I remember my friend, my cousin, excuse me, had a Sega Master System, and when we would come over to his house, we would say, "Let's play Nintendo," and then yes. we'd play a Sega Master System. It, it just became like the <laughs> brand became yeah, just yeah. synonymous with video games. Like the way, like like we still in America, we say like, "Hey, do you have any Kleenex?" When it, we're, somebody's yeah. just asking for tissues, but it's just called Kleenex yeah. here. Like we say Hoover, yeah, for, Hoover, for vacuum cleaner. Yeah, Barry Allen Park exists. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So yeah. So it was. It I was really a brand name, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense probably to make the the design as similar as possible to make people know what they were getting. It took it, and it wasn't really until the Genesis took hold that that. Yeah. I mean, you just Nintendo was just the word used for video games. So mm. yeah. Yeah. And I think that has gone through phases. There was definitely a time when the PlayStation was dominant. Where and I think that still that still lasts to an extent. But you will also hear uh, some people probably around my age but uh, who are less invested who will say oh he's at home playing xbox but they might mean playstation 4 mm-hmm. you know so yeah um i think that goes on but yeah nintendo was absolutely ubiquitous particularly in the states i think was it one in three homes had one in the yeah, by the end of the 80s like i don't and, i literally didn't know for a friend of mine that did not have one in their house yeah. growing up like it was synonymous we used to trade them like baseball cards uh cartridges like baseball yeah. cards at school every yeah. single person had one yeah yeah amazing um uh, There's one other thing I was going to say about the US. But anyway, let's ho- hand over to Jobo Bonobo with another story from uh, the SNES Times. A common feature of my childhood in rural Catholic Ireland 
was when families in a parish would host what is known as the station. Long story short, the local priest would come to your house and perform mass while the neighbours would come around to attend said mass. Each family would perform a station once every few years and would be a lot of fun for the little ones, besides from the religious service itself. After mass ended, neighbours would stay around and feed and socialise with each other, while the children would play together and feed on their mother's finest cooking. One year, my neighbours hosted one in the middle of winter. Being as it was too dark and cold for us to be playing outside, the neighbour kids brought us to their room where they had a SNES. This was my first time encountering such a machine in the flesh as most of my friends had Mega Drives. Whether it was marvelling at the revolutionary graphics of Starwing, taking turns on Super Mario All-Stars or Donkey Kong Country, or beating the stuffing out of each other in Street Fighter 2, it was a fantastic introduction to Nintendo 16-bit. That night could have gone on forever as far as I was concerned, but eventually we had to retire for the night and I was gutted. I knew asking my parents for a SNES was futile as they felt such devices were distractions from studying, so I was only ever exposed intermittently to the console for most of my childhood. I've always admired the look of the console, by which I mean the Japan or PAL version. The contrasting shades of grey with the small dashes of colours representing the button layout on the controller tucked away in the upper right corner. Just a lovely little piece inviting you to play. It was so much nicer looking than the North American version with its garish purple buttons and the boxy VCR. NES. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. With the purple buttons. Are there games that actually refer to the buttons on screen? And were any of them modified to show a lilac or purple button in the specifically US version? Yes, there were. Um, I, I right. spe Specifically, I can tell you that um, in a game that we'll talk about later, Tetris Attack, um, on the buttons, <sighs> it'll have press X or Y or press A or B, and, and, the, and they are in purple um, okay. on the screen. So, yeah. Star Wing as well, or Star Fox. Yep, Star Fox, yeah, right. absolutely does. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Super Mario RPG. When that came to the Wii Virtual Console, it was of course the NTSC version because yes, it never came to PAL region, and that had purple buttons yep. as well. Uh, yep. These are these are the ones I've been playing as well on my on my SNES because it's yeah. nearly all uh, NTSC go. on the on the on the Mini and the Classic, yeah. and as I say on the on the Switch lineup as well. So there aren't many variations to talk about. Whereas when we talked about the Xbox, for example, they're all the and the Dreamcast. They're all these multicolored limited edition things, and even when we do the N64. Have we done the N64 already? I, think, I can't no. remember. I don't think <laughs> no. so. I don't think so. Uh, there's a Pikachu N64. Darren is probably so chomp, chomping there's at the donkey. Yeah, yeah, good point. There's yeah. a green Donkey Kong N64 as well. <laughs> exactly. But with the Super Nintendo, there really isn't a lot here. And I, I think this is partly just to do with the time that we hadn't quite got to that stage of the way of doing things yet. But yeah, there's the Japanese model. There's the North American model. There's the PAL model. There was a new style one in uh, 1997, Super NES, which is a sort of little slightly dinky, super deformed revision which came to America. Do you remember these, Brian? Uh, yeah, they had um, it just kind of changed up the look. They did the same thing with um, with the NES, too. They kind of we refer to it as the top loader that they released later yeah. on. Um, so I yeah. think it was just kind of one of those things, a little bit smaller, a little neater, fits on a shelf a little better, just kind of, right. you know, sate the American market to buy new versions mm -hmm. of things we already own. Yeah. Yep. And a similar remodification mm -hmm. based on the same design came to yeah. Japan the following year as well. Now, so. did the did the new style, did that have the eject button or no? I don't think it did. Or maybe it did. I can't remember. No, we didn't get that in Europe. Yes. Yeah, so, like, so the original SNES in America has a big gray eject button in the middle. And I remember... Yeah. 
you could actually you could hit it hard enough to and yes. me and my brother did this till we till we broke it um you'd hit it hard enough so that the game would pop up into pop. the air and kind Absolutely. of grab it like a piece yep. of toast <laughs> yes <laughs> completely yep. yeah yeah uh as i say it's sad sad that's one of the few uh it's one of the few disappointments about the mini is that the uh, the eject <laughs> button is uh is molded solid yeah, you can't launch anything from it. No, no. <laughs> but you can. It's small enough that you can actually launch the whole device at someone if you want to, and it's all solid state, so it'd probably be fine. Um, don't yeah. try this at home, people, especially not while under quarantine lockdown. Suits from the forum says, in 2015, I sourced a Super Famicom from Japan. The version I was after was a later, or younger version, referred to as a one-chip console. It's referred to as this due to a motherboard revision that combines a number of the separate chips on board into a single chip. This console has notably superior video quality to previous versions and is generally pretty sought after in the video enthusiast circles. I use this with an RGB SCART at 60Hz to a Sony Professional Video Monitor 20L4 and the performance of it is incredible. Used with the technology it was designed for, it almost seems ageless. That sounds nice. Yeah, it does. Suits is living the life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that monitors, uh, I, he very kindly offered me a, a deal to buy his previous PVM recently, but I just couldn't, sadly couldn't find the, the cash or justify it. Um, but yeah, PVM is uh, one heck of a way to play a legacy console by all accounts. Darren has had eyes on, um, but obviously there are cheaper ways to do it, such as uh, Mikhail has, a, was, you've got the Blaupunkt, have you? Or is it? Have you got the Trinitron? I forget. Uh, I've got a uh, yeah consumer Trinitron. Bang and uh, Olufsen. Uh, Bang and Olufsen is what I was thinking, not Blaupunkt. Yeah, yeah I've got a Trinitron me. and a and a Bang and Olufsen. Get my um, continental manufacturers <laughs> muddled up. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so even if they didn't mod the outside more than once, there were internal mods, as is always the way. The the chipset and things tends to get revised and. Uh, condensed as things go along so um, I don't know if there's any other issues because I know um, oftentimes people talk about the the later Mega Drives as being inferior in some ways to the earlier ones because they were made cheaper same we had this conversation with PSP as well so uh, but it sounds in this case like there's no downside to getting a a one chip Super Nintendo I know that on the classic there's a couple of very minor emulation issues which are apparent in yoshi's island in particular on the touch fuzzy get dizzy stage there's a slight glitch when all the craziness is happening they fixed that for the switch version um but yes emulation is always imperfect of course you get this because uh, depending on the display mode if you don't display in uh pixel perfect which is the square display on the uh, super nes classic then you sort of get this uh yeah scrolling uh you know sort of scroll tearing yeah, slightly noticeable. Yeah, yeah. I always recommend Pixel Perfect for emulation where it's offered one to one. M two always offer it with their emulations. Don't don't stretch it out of proportion or do anything weird with it. Um, yeah, but that, the that's the thing. That's the thing, though. The mm. just very very brief aside because uh, mm. Pixel Perfect actually does not display it the way that it was intended because you get more of a square image so certain mm-hmm. shapes don't don't look as they should so for right. example where yeah. you know, because the the games were sort of drawn for a slightly wider 4 by 3 aspect ratio oh yeah well that's an option too yeah. isn't it the 4 by yeah. 3 but yeah. there in, in by 4 by 4 by 3 you often get sort of uh yeah scrolling issues 
yeah. the in the background. Yes, it's so a, it's always a tricky a, tricky thing. A balance to be found. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So that controller. Uh, we've already heard that um, Ben has lives with one, basically glued to his hand, mm-hmm. except when he's walking the dogs <laughs> and possibly doing one or two other things, washing his hands, for yeah. example, Frequently. in the current climate. Um, yeah. So I still like. I've, I've, I love this controller. The buttons feel great. The D-pad feels great. I've got the replica here that came with the with the mini. It's as far as I as far as my brain knows, it is the same. I think they they remade these. As as far as I can tell, perfectly. If not, then I don't know. And I think it's also the case with those, the Buffalo and the Eight Bit Do, and and they're all they the, these are. There's so many high quality versions of this controller around. Obviously, this is also the one that you could you can order these for the Switch as well. I think, can't you? Certainly, you can get NES ones. I think you can get SNES yeah. ones as yeah, well. Yeah, SNES ones as well. Yeah, I think Eight Bit uh, Do makes those. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, why is it such a classic? Can I ask a quick uh, question about the European controller just to make sure that I have it right? Did yeah. were your A? I hope I'm not screwing them up. No, Tell me if not, I am. Were the A and B concave and the X and Y convex? No, no, no. All of them were uh, all of them were uh, round on the top. Oh, they were yeah. okay. Because that, mm-hmm. that's a, that's the thing I remember vividly uh, with with the SNES controller in America is that I could I. I thought it was amazing that I could tell which buttons I was on without having to look down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was, uh, that was really something that I, I we talked about a lot because we, we played a lot of Street Fighter 2, as most everybody did who had a SNES. Um, and mm-hmm. just being able to know where my quick jabs were and everything else without looking down at the controller was, was pretty remarkable to me at the time. Yeah, it's true, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I am still, I still have to take, I don't know, quarter of a second or something when using Nintendo controllers to think, y x b a mm. rather than mm. a b x y but other than that it's slightly I, I think it's ever so slightly smaller than my hands would like the snes controller like just because i've got quite long fingers but other than that um my only issue with it is that i do prefer my my six button mega drive pads and my six and satin pads had the three and the three more like a street fighter fighter Street Fighter, Amazing. Street Fighter <laughs> arcade machine, um, which and I always found it hard to do the mental gymnastics of Y X L for punches and B A R. But I know that for a lot of people it became completely yeah, second nature. Definitely became second nature for me. I even didn't. I I even could reliably do a fierce Shoryuken with the uh, mm-hmm. L shoulder button. Uh, yeah, without, without like giving it, it much thought. <laughs> yeah, I I I specifically. It's such a weird specific memory, but I absolutely associate the R button on the SNES controller with the low Chun Li kick. That would just yeah. instantly air. Bo- uh, I yeah. the the way that felt when you connected that right and the guy and the other player went in the air. It just I. I can feel that in my hands right now with no tech yeah. feedback or anything. I can just, oh, I can just, it just, it feels so right. <laughs> I do n- now having a Japanese Saturn and uh, playing a lot of uh, Capcom fighters with that controller. I think yeah. it's pretty damn spectacular. But if yeah. there's one thing that I give the original Super Nintendo controller uh, a lot of props for is just how precise that D-pad is. D-pad, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really great. And um, I think Nintendo never really got it right with their D-pads afterwards anymore. Uh, that mm. is the weird thing, because I would agree. 
the uh, Wii Classic controller, for example, right, is sort of shaped like a mm. like a Super Nintendo mm. controller, the original version that is. And then we tried to play on the Virtual Console. We tried to play the mm. Super Nintendo version of Street Fighter Two Turbo with it, but yeah, it's felt like yeah, the 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 inputs felt you would miss many inputs, and it never mm. felt felt as precise. For example, well, the N 64s D pad was notoriously. The GameCube's yeah. was tiny. The GameCube yeah, controllers was tiny. Yeah. Exactly. Or maybe the some of the GBA ones were decent, actually. Um, yeah. yeah, they really the, struggled after this, didn't they? The yeah. Pro Controller on the Switch is just a gorgeous controller, apart from the D-pad. It's got some issues. Yeah, D-pad's yeah. So, yeah. ridiculous. It's okay at best. Um, I found a lost art. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And they own this, like, they own this particular design, hence things like the PlayStation and Xbox controllers having different-looking d-pads right because nintendo pretty much had the patent on yeah. the cross pad of yeah. this in this particular configuration yeah very odd hmm. i think for me with it it's like uh why i use it so much and why like i uh yeah when i went on to emulation and my thing was getting a snes pad that i could play these games with and why i've got a snes pad tattooed on my arm is the fact <laughs> that i honestly think that uh it's the the controller that I learned to fireball and dragon punch with, as, mm. as basic as yeah. that sounds, like, and uh, I, I can't think of, I can't think of another controller that I can play Street Fighter Two as reliably and to that kind of standard with. Like, I, I'm not, right. I, I, I don't have to worry yeah. about like whenever I play a version of Street Fighter Two, if I'm not playing it on a SNES controller, I'm waiting to mess an input up. Just mentally, I just yeah. have that kind of, yep. I have that kind of block. Yeah, it's like this French uh, top player, uh, Luffy, who has yeah. to play uh, Street PS1. Fighter on, on a, PS, a modded PS1 controller. Yeah, yeah that's it. And, it? and like, Ben, just... you're no stranger to an arcade stick either, because you, you enjoy that too. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I, I, um, When I go uh, up to arcade club or wherever and, and play various, various coin-ups, yeah, I, I have put a lot of time into to different kind of things. It's a different kind of feel, and, um, but I just, I don't know, like, I'm just, I'm confident that if my life depended yeah. on it, I could hit like <laughs> 97 out of 100 dragon punches or something on a SNES controller. Yeah, yeah. That's just, what it is, yeah. Yeah, I just get that kind of, you don't think about stuff and you can kind of flow a bit more and, and that's the kind of thing. Like I just, uh, yeah, it's just, it just sits. It's complete muscle memory. Yeah, it just sits perfect. It just sits absolutely and, uh, perfect. What about, because we know, I know you've, you've shared pictures of you uh, popping in various game centers and arcades around the place, uh, setting some pretty impressive scores on things like Golden Axe and... Uh, and your beloved ghosts and goblins, ghouls oh, and ghosts. If if you had if if you could take your SNES pad with you into the arcade, would you would you would you plug it into the machine rather than play with the with the controls of uh, on the panel? I don't know. It depends if I was struggling. Like to be honest with you, <laughs> right? Like um, I honestly think <laughs> yeah. uh, it's weird. Like the arcade thing, something completely different. Uh, like there's something about that thing yeah. of. of standing up in front of something and kind of the, the, the physicality of having to use a, a stick like that. Yeah. But I think that, like, for me, for, like, I'm way better at fighting games on a control pad. Way, way, way better. Mm -hmm. Whereas with it, with it stuff like, like you say, with, with uh, if you, you have to play different stuff with, with an arcade stick, and it's a different kind of... If, it is, if it's something yeah. that's not too complicated, then generally you're all right. But as soon as you start throwing complicated input, mm -hmm. like, say, if I'm playing, a, I don't know, like, Girls and Ghosts or Golden Axe or... A, or, uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, incidentally, uh, officially now, the uh, best Golden Axe player in Dublin. I don't know if I told you about this. I went to an arcade when I was working a show, 
and we went to there was a golden axe machine and uh, the high score was 250 and i set one of 278 oh. and i got a photo with it and they stuck my name up on this wall so yeah that's <laughs> a, i saw i think i saw the saw the photo that's a thing Superb. now so best uh, best golden axe player in dublin just uh, right. just throw that in there how many more <laughs> cities to go once, once we're allowed out again you can uh, start conquering yeah. the world yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, if we don't all get attacked <laughs> by wild dogs, but I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, I really don't. Uh, uh, the thing with fighting games is it's a, it's that thing of when when I've got that SNES, SNES controller in kind of my hand, like I'm, I, I mentally just connect to the fact that I'm going to yeah. be able to do stuff on command if I need to. Whereas if I sit down in front of it, uh, yeah. it's horrible. I sit, I sit down in front of it an arcade stick playing a fighting game. Somebody jumps in, and mentally I get a split second of, you're probably going to mess this up. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so when you enter, when you start start your world tour of Street Fighter tournaments, you're going to be taking your uh, your universal Buffalo Yeah, controller. the mighty Buffalo, of course I am. All day. <laughs> yeah, we spoke about this uh, on the most recent video with this podcast that came out, um, that we started playing Street Fighter 2 in the arcades, but where we really started learning it was at home because we were not you you could just play it for eight, for for hours on end without having to throw in quarters, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that that's so. that's how the game really mm-hmm. became map map to muscle memory. Where yeah. You, like Ben says, like you don't need to think about it anymore. I started with the arcade version and then got the Mega Drive version, but I bought two six button pads with it because you could not play it like Although yeah. you could nominally play it with a three-button pad and press the start button to tra- transition oh, between yes, punches yeah, and kicks, tough. that's absolutely nonsense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and in fact, when I bought my Mega Drive Mini recently, which also has Street Fighter 2 on it, I bought the six-button controller with it because uh, you don't get it out of the box in, in Europe. You get a th- you get three-button pads. So. This is an interesting point about the Super Nintendo controller because when that was designed... There was no such thing as Street Fighter 2 yet. Uh, Street no, Fighter 1 was this, there with six buttons, of yeah. course, but that wasn't as successful. But it was pretty crazy how many buttons that were on the Super they Nintendo tripled. controller. Tripled, tripled from the buttons. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and people were, a lot of people were looking at this controller like, there's way too many buttons on there. I remember Absolutely. specifically kids saying that, yeah. like, how are there so many buttons on this controller? You're like, hey, you got buttons on the shoulder? Like it was confusing to people. A lot of people were still in Europe. They were still playing home computer games with a single with single fire button joystick. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And obviously, we had with an Amiga. We also had keyboards, which could open up the possibility of uh, have many sixty odd buttons. But generally, most action games were still being played with one yeah. button and possibly one button and the space bar, yeah. or two buttons if you plugged in a Mega Drive pad occasionally. But yeah. It's not, and not to speak too romantically just about the controller. We haven't gotten to the games yet, but it just, it shows you, it's for me, I remember learning how to use the controller. It just kind of, it kind of blew open your mind for the potential of what games could be, where they could go, like what you could do right. from your living room. Um, I'll never forget playing Star Fox for the first time. I have a, a really long story about how my dad bought it for me. It was really kind of a touching thing for, for my life. But then, you know, having your lasers and your boost and your break and your... Um and your bomb all on the four mm. face buttons and then actually having ship control with the L and R to turn left right mm-hmm. like it just like like it just it, it it makes sense obviously from a design perspective but as a as a twelve year old like picking that up and playing it or eleven year old like <laughs> I'm a just, space pilot exactly blew my mind and a lot of that is just because of how versatile the controller was you can't you yeah. can't make that game without that without those shoulder buttons you know and it just and I, th- I just think about the importance of, like, learning how to play video games on that controller to me that, like, when we made the jump to the next co- uh, generation with, with analog sticks, it wasn't 
it was no longer a like like a hill to climb. It was like the potential of what could be. You know, that's kind of where I started feeling that in games yeah. was with the SNES controller. So I, I uh, like I was saying earlier, I had the Super Nintendo from the day it came out in Europe, and we had only Super the packing game Super Mario World for at least a month. And that only used the shoulder buttons because the shoulder buttons were introduced with the Super Nintendo pad. So Super, Super Mario World only used the shoulder buttons to scroll the left in the, the screen left or right uh, independently from Mario, which was not something you would actually make a whole lot of use of with that funny sound mm. effect that came along with it. Yeah. But then yeah. the next two games we would buy were Super Tennis and uh, F-Zero. And F-Zero, those immediately... Yeah. Those two games immediately made clear why there were sh- such a thing yes. as shoulder buttons. Because mm-hmm. before we got those games, we didn't really see the use of the uh, the shoulder yeah. buttons yet. So mm. yeah, in Super Tennis, you could uh, add uh, effect to the left and uh, and right to the ball, and that game, by the way, controls wonderfully. It has a lot of nuance to its controls. Yeah, I'd forgotten and... about that, which is why I haven't been doing very well at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, you you could you could hit shots. Uh, if you were ser- serving with specific characters that had very powerful serves, you could just yep. you could just do uh, un- give un- serves that were un- un- yep. unreturnable serves, yeah, yeah with, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. effect and hitting in, in a specific corner. And F Zero, like uh, Brian was saying about Star Fox, uh, uh, gave you additional control control over your craft, so you could add yeah. weight. You could actually see the little pilot character if if your ship would uh, show that, uh, see them lean to the left or the right to. Add extra weight into uh, for for cornering. Mm. Mm. Blue Weasel Breath says, in retrospect, the rainbow coloured buttons of the other regions were cooler, but at the time, the North American purple and lavender buttons struck me as sophisticated and advanced somehow. And the fact that it had new buttons labelled X and Y, bananas. C and D buttons wouldn't have blown my skirt up, but X and Y <laughs> blew my six-year-old mind. Yeah, <laughs> that is just too crazy. <laughs> Uh, Toon Scottoon says the design aspect I remember most about my original SNES was the reset switch that that purple plastic pad issued such a satisfying soft squeak when you flicked it, even when you flicked it out of anger. That reset switch and the SNES it was attached to came into my life when I was 10 and my brother was eight. Our parents bought the machine for us as an early Christmas gift after our father made some extra money playing in a golf tournament. He didn't know much about games, just that he liked actual duck hunting more than duck hunt. But both our parents knew we'd be ecstatic about the gift. Ecstatic might have been an understatement. To this day, perhaps my strongest gaming memory is jamming my Street Fighter 2 into my SNES for the first time. Good to hear. We'd mentioned briefly the video output options. So, yeah, uh, it came out the box, as many consoles did right up until... The previous, previous gen, uh, I'm talking the mid 2000s when I got my Xbox 360, it didn't come with even an RGB SCART. Uh, this came out of the box with an RF composite lead, just the old aerial thing that you just whacked in the back of your telly. It didn't even come with a selector like the, uh, the next, the next set of consoles would to, so that you could switch between. You just had to pull it in, you know, you, cram it into the back of your tv when you could and pull it out when you wanted to watch the tv that's how it was i do remember buying a a, a scart connector but i don't think it was rgb i don't think i'm pretty sure my snes wasn't rgb enabled uh mm. maybe it was maybe maybe they took it out 
as the models went on? No, by, 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 by default, it is RGB enabled. You just need to get an actual RGB SCART cable for it to, I'm sure, to be able I'm to sure make I, use of it. I'm sure I had an RGB SCART anyway, because um, I had one for but my I, Mega Drive. But I don't know for sure if uh, RGB SCART cables were officially manufactured manu- Maybe that manufactured was the by, uh, by Nintendo for the Super Nintendo. So pretty much all the ones that I know of are aftermarket ones. Uh, that was probably the issue. Maybe I just couldn't get one. But yes, I had an yeah. SVHS, which is a, an odd connector, which I think was... Um, I ended up with a nice TV, which had an SVHS, but I didn't even know what it was until I read about that my Super Nintendo could be improved with SVHS. And I suddenly found myself with a telly with SVHS, but I've never had anything before or since which actually uses that standard. And I don't think it was... It wasn't It wasn't as good as RGB SCART, so... But it was better no. than RF. But it's a step up. It's a step up uh, from composite and RF, definitely. Yeah. We had a small uh, Grundig, uh, Grundig branded uh, color television that we bought pretty soon after our grandmother's television uh, gave up the ghost. And even though uh, the input w- that we used was the composite SCART cable, it still gave a pretty crisp uh, picture quality, actually. Mm-hmm. So I only upgraded to. RGB on my Super Nintendo when that television finally died and I got the Trinitron to hook my cartridge systems to and all of a sudden that signal was not cutting it anymore. Yeah. And I remember one of the things as well, even if you did have a TV in the UK that could show 60 hertz images, there were issues with NTSC playing black and white unless you had particular cables. So that was always a, a minefield as well. I remember lots of because the Super Nintendo was around or the Super Famicom was around for a good couple of years before we could get hold of it. Officially, there were a lot of import ads in CMVG and Mean Machines, but it seemed, again, and not only expensive, but a bit of a minefield. However, a lot of people were doing it. There was this was, this was the first era when importing started to become a thing that not only the absolute hardcore did, because people were just desperate to play Street Fighter 2. Yeah. So people started to import. I remember importing the, a Japanese copy of Super Star Wars because I was very excited to play that. Turned out huh. it was it was kind of an unofficial card that uh, oh. in which you couldn't die, so we, you would just play through the whole game without losing oh. health. <laughs> well, you that, there was no toggle switch or anything, so it just basically quite an annoying. Yeah, game, it was like so. a, a hacked. hacked <laughs> it was a hacked pirate game, but it's not much right. fun when you just play through the game and nothing harms you either. You yeah. Know? You see, the whole pi- yeah. the piracy thing's my gimmick, man. You should have told me about that. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, so the... Man, piracy. <laughs> the uh, Super Star Wars came out as a downloadable game for PS4 and, and other current-gen things not so long ago. That's, the, uh, that's one that you can actually buy and play, unlike the follow-ups, the Super, yeah. Super Empire and, and uh, Return of the Jedi, or the Indiana Jones one. Um, so, yeah, there were, there were various ways of... Enabling imports, I imagine that um, Ben, as, as a young younger lad, you were just happy to play with whatever cables you had and whatever uh, games you could get. I, 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 I guess you weren't at that point of thinking I could make this look better or I could get the latest games from Japan at sixty hertz or whatever. You yeah, were just not really having too much fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It wasn't till um, when obviously when Alison bought me this one and we kind of moved in. Obviously, that was. What two thousand and ten ish? So at that point, uh, I had to try and find uh, a few different cables, and because I was playing on a 
uh, a 2007 uh, flat screen Sony Bravia 1080p. Quite, I still got it. Uh, good TV, but um, mm-hmm. I was noticing there was a few. I'd, I'd never played a SNES like on a TV that size before, um, and so I started having a look around on Amazon and eBay and a few other places, and I went through a phase of buying a different like unofficial SCART cable type thing every week. I bought about three or four. I bought an, I bought an yeah. S Video one that wasn't amazing, and then yeah. I had I had a couple of. Uh, and in the end, I it was it's the same. It's something really random. Like it's the same um, uh, input on the machine as the uh, as the like the, the GameCube or something. The the, the actual mm. SCART board. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I just yeah. used, I just bought same a GameCube. Board, yeah. I bought a GameCube one, and it was perfect. So like yeah. I ended <laughs> I ended that up works just, definitely. Yeah, it works dead well. Yeah. And I've I've still kind of uh, yeah I've still got that, but I mean at some point like yeah, I was gonna this month or last month I was gonna uh, buy a couple of new TVs, um, but obviously that's all changed. But uh, I, I both of my TVs I've uh, still got ones from about 2012 and ones from about 2007, um, and both of them have still got um, uh, like SCAR inputs, so like I'm I'm able to kind of play that on uh, on on wherever really. But yeah, at the, the time. Mm. Well, like I say, we had a, um, a universal adapter um, to play American games and Japanese games, and it was one of those ones that you plugged in. Uh, you plugged in straight yeah. into the snares with it, a ja- uh, and you had to plug a PAL cartridge in the back of it, and then you plugged the actual yeah. thingy, the the import cartridge on the top of it. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, st- I still use that for my uh, cards from other regions. Yeah, it play right. it play anything. Do you know what I mean it play absolutely anything? Mm. Um, yeah. Um, Apart from like 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 this, like anything really, like as you get further into the the run and stuff, you found that games were like um, you had to have a more complicated uh, a universal adapter that you'd have to put a code in or something like that. But most of the, I can't think of it, it. Never didn't work. Do you know what I mean? I, ne- I never, yeah. I never, I never. It got, probably doesn't work on on games that use the um, the uh, Super FX chip or something like that. Like something on yeah. s- like Star Fox would mm. probably nah, not that work on it. No, I had Star Fox. It that worked. worked. Yeah, right. yeah, that worked. That's good and to it, know. I randomly had an Amer- for a while. I randomly had an American uh, Stunt Race FX, and that worked as well. Um, but yeah, um, it yeah, it was just it was it was really good and. And uh, it wasn't like I say it wasn't till a bit later. Like you got to think, I was what twelve, thirteen. I was just kind of getting games and playing through them, really. But it wasn't till a bit yeah. later that I looked into kind of that. But at, at the time, yeah, if it, as long as I plugged it in and the, and the picture came on, then yeah, I was happy. Yeah, Brian, what about you? Did you, was there a point when you started caring about video output signals? Um, not <laughs> not at that point. Uh, probably, no. probably a little too young <laughs> to appreciate it all. And also, yeah. <laughs> and this is and this goes. Um, and I make a lot of jokes about the American stuff on on the podcast, but this is just another example of it. Like, um, I, I, we didn't really know that there was anything we were missing. Um, uh, everything was kind of marketed for our audience at that time. So like Mm -hmm. we kind of got the best of all the worlds when it came to both, um, both the, this and the Genesis or the mega drive. Um, so yeah. I, I didn't really know there were things I was missing until much later on. And then once I did, I, I kind of sought out getting some, you know, I, I've now got a, a way to play, you know, Japanese carts on my, on my, um, on my SNES and everything else. But, uh, but yeah, for, for at the time I had no idea. Like I no. just, it was, this is the glowing, the, the glowing game box that made this, you know, the pictures yeah. come out of my TV. So for sure. Made by that perfectly fine American company, Nintendo. Yes, exactly right. Yes, <laughs> they they own the Seattle Mariners, American team. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was that? There was that thing some years ago from some fool su- suggesting that um, Mario was 
basically a sort of was designed to be a a sort of allegory for american um dominance or or whatever (laughs) it's like uh, that you've got the there's a there's a few issues with your with your thesis here yeah um yeah yeah mario (laughs) the classic american character mario who was made by a japanese man and based off an italian man (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um we talked a bit, I think, about the super, uh, the the Sony Nintendo PlayStation in our PlayStation podcast special. So check that one out. Obviously, that was supposed to be the next stage of life for this machine, but famously, it didn't come to fruition in the end. And Sony decided to uh, take their ball and go home with it, and ran off and made a thing called the PlayStation. And here we are. Uh, awaiting the PlayStation 5, so that worked out well for them, and they fell out with Nintendo for a while about it, um, or and Square, sorry, particularly, fell out with Nintendo over jumping to ship to Sony's PlayStation and so on and so forth. Sony was that, putting out games for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, uh, the, the sound chip was, uh, at least for a large part, designed by uh, Ken Kutaragi. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And the prototype of the one and only existing known prototype of this recently went to auction, didn't it? And ended up not yeah. making as much money as it should have done. Yeah, 300,000, uh, I think. Uh, was it $360,000? Something like that, yeah. It was yeah. in the 300 range is all I remember. Yeah. Uh, Greg L- Greg McLemore bought it, uh, entrepreneur, founder of Pets.com. Uh, he's going to mm. put it in a... He's going to put it in a museum. Yeah, in a museum. Where it belongs. It belongs yeah. <laughs> if you if you believe the accounts from the time, and I, I've, I'm specifically referencing the book right here, the console wars that, um, yeah. like the, the they were so far along in the deal, um, for this. Obviously, the prototype had been made, but the way that the Sony executives found out about Nintendo switching over to do the CDI projects was at Nintendo's uh, E3 conference that year. When back when E3 was only a trade show, they they the Sony execs were in the audience and got up and walked out. If you can believe the the the, wow. the accounts from the time, so yeah, mm. a lot of bad yeah. blood over that business uh, so, yeah. supposedly. Yeah, it was pretty insulting. Yeah, <laughs> some add-ons that did exist, at least away from Europe, <laughs> um, were uh, th- there sort of three online services: uh, Satellaview or Satellaview in japan only which i think some people will have heard of because some of the content from some games from that service have has ended up in other releases um there was x-band or cross-band in usa and canada mm-hmm. i mean i guess this was a pretty limited thing did you did you hook up no Brian? no but i do um i do remember some 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 friends who were who were you know early computer adopting houses uh um in the united states who who tried to do some of this X-Band stuff. Um, pretty Already? wild, yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, Hiroshi uh, Yamuchi, uh, the Japanese, uh, the uh, Nintendo see Japan, the time, yeah, see yeah. The, was was borderline obsessed with the idea of getting people to play games online uh, well <laughs> ahead of his time, um, yeah. to the point where his his uh, son-in-law, who came order, uh, who kind of... Uh, kind of came out to uh to to run nintendo of america's operations like like almost felt compelled to try to do things in the in the states that necessarily maybe they weren't um you know infrastructurally prepared for but uh yeah it's it's a pretty pretty wild thing if you really think if you think of now how nintendo seems to be so far behind in the online (laughs) services game it's amazing to think that they were once kind of the you know the boundary (laughs) pusher you're not wrong actually that is that is curious and i mean for me 
I remember reading uh, computer magazines in the mid 80s, which had online sections, micro, uh, CompuNet and things like that mm-hmm. on, in the com- on the Commodore 64, like proto World Wide Web stuff. But for me, it was just completely mind boggling and mysterious. And I didn't get online mm. until my Dreamcast arrived in 1990, late 99. So the idea of going online with a SNES was, I mean, <laughs> the services were just never going to come here right. at all. It just wouldn't have even crossed my mind to to attempt to do this. Although I, I suspect that I would have read in Superplay about sort of exclusive little bits of Zelda that you can only get if you're hooked up to this service and probably feeling slightly jealous, but also like, <laughs> I don't really care. I've got I've got enough stuff to be getting on with. Um, yeah, and they even rebranded or followed up Satellaview in Japan with this, another service called Nintendo Power, not be confused with the magazine. We always like to talk in these console specials about some extra peripherals. So many people would have been perfectly happy with their couple of probably two SNES controllers because I think this was also, I'm not saying that there it didn't happen before because, of course, multiplayer gaming happened before. But I think with the the burgeoning popularity of Street Fighter and things like Bomberman and Mario Kart, this was where kind of local multiplayer became more and more ubiquitous rather than just a kind of a, a bit of a niche deal. Um, there was an the- arcade stick, I recall, hmm. for, for SNES, but maybe it was a third party one. Yeah, I think it's third party. It wasn't like the NES Advantage, which which was yeah. a, a Nintendo product. Uh, but it was actually called the SNES Advantage, if I believe. I think huh. they got got a licensing deal down. It was probably made by ASCII. Yeah, was the uh, was the, the Score Master right? I had a Score Master. That was not case. Score thing. Master. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was, like... a, that was a cool one actually. Yeah, I didn't yeah, that... even know those existed till right now. That's interesting. Yeah, that was yeah. thing. That was Nintendo made that right. Like that was official Nintendo. I swear that said it. That said Nintendo Score Master and that. It was a license. I think it was exactly. It was the license, but maybe party. not ma- manufactured. Uh, oh, okay. in-house. makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. It had, yeah. It had the. Um, it, it had all the thingies on it. it had all the. Um, you had auto fires, didn't you? And then I'd like yeah. it. It had the classic yeah. slow motion, which is just auto fire on start. <laughs> Pause, oh, actually, yeah. 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 <laughs> so what I'm looking at right now it has a has a score master score master right next to a super advantage, as Mikhail was talking about before. They look very similar. Right. Yeah. So there were the two Maybe it's just a different yeah. branding. Huh. So that was for the people who wanted to play arcade conversions like they were playing at the arcade, basically. I don't know actually how good of a quality stick it was or buttons compared yeah. to obviously now we're yeah. in the realms of people really knowing their stuff with this and wanting the best parts and the best, you know, the best, uh, the best kit and the best states and paying 100, 200 pounds for their arcade sticks. These were probably like, what, 50 quid or something? Yeah, I can't. I don't think it was even that much. I swear, mine was like. Right. I don't think it was. I don't think mine was. I don't think mine was new. Um, I think mine might have been second hand, mm. but um, it was still really good. Nick, like the person who bought it, clearly hadn't used it a lot. Um, it wasn't mm. more than twenty quid though. Um, okay. but I remember. I, remember. I remember playing. Um, uh, you said I played a lot of UN Squadron with it. It was really good for that, and uh, quite randomly, quite a bit. Yeah, of, uh, yeah. Bit of Castlevania. Mm. It was good for Castlevania Four as well. Um, but yeah, I, well, I, 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 yeah, I kept one right till I kept one right till right till the end. Pretty much, yeah, it was a good day. It was a good piece of kit. I can't remember how much it was to buy a, an extra pad, like fifteen quid. I want to say it wasn't that it much. Came, was it came the Super Nintendo came with two pads in a box. Mm. Yeah, but if you needed another one, obviously yeah, it only we, had two ports. Yeah, yeah, you got Bomber a multi tap if you were playing Bomberman. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Brian, 
No, I would just say that we. I remember we broke one on accident one time. I think I stepped on it, or one of oh, us no. did. And we. And I remember it not being uh, cost prohibitive to replace it, as no. as in uh, much differently compared to now. You know, yes. where controllers are, are seem to be much more at a premium. They are. Yeah, you could get a mouse for the Super Nintendo. I don't. Yeah, know if you, you could, could buy one. <laughs> I had that with Mario Paint. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, could you that. buy it? Could you buy a separate mouse, or was it only? Did it only come with Mario Paint? I think it only came with Mario Paint. It's possible you could buy an extra one, but it did have the particular the the SNES plugin, you know, the port. So um, yeah, it plugged yeah, right yeah, into yeah, the console. Yeah. I I slapped so I many think... mosquitoes with that thing. The mosquito, <laughs> yeah. the bug swatting mini game in Mario Paint. Oh man, yeah. That's disappointingly. I think you couldn't use it with SimCity because it came out uh, a fair bit after after that. I think you're but, right. Yeah, uh, you you could use it with uh, Arkanoid. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, NES version, right. or yeah. Super Nintendo version of Arkanoid, and a couple of other games. Operation Thunderbolt. Uh, could Operation as well. Thunderbolt as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I don't think Arkanoid ever came out over here. I have a feeling. Yeah, Ar- Arkanoid. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did, uh, but did it came it? out very late, ridiculously late. Uh, 19, okay. 1997, it came out oh, in right. Europe. Yeah, okay. Ar- Arkanoids do it again. That's what it's called. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. My my home arc, I'd already played the first two Arkanoids on Atari 8-bit and Amiga by that point, so perhaps, uh, yeah, I was probably fully ensconced in uh, PlayStation and Saturn by, by the time that came out. I don't think it was a million seller. No, probably not. The Super Scope <laughs> was the inevitable... Uh, we talked about the Menacer on the Mega Drive show. The Super Scope <laughs> is pretty much that, but for the Super Nintendo, uh, was it any more or less ludicrous or popular? I, I, I hate it was to... a pretty big gun. I had one as well. Yeah, I never had one. I, I, I never didn't. had one. I even remember as like a twelve-year-old being like, "This kind of looks like crap." <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I was never interested. Normally, like you know, put a put a pink bazooka on my shoulder, I'd be down for that. But, um. I think I think a lot of us, um, at least I t- remember talking about my friends that like we we really enjoyed playing Duck Hunt with the Zapper and everything, but the the limited use of it, like there were only a couple games that you could use it, and there were only maybe one or two that you actually wanted to play. So I remember all yeah. of us kind of none of us really being excited for that. If you were cool though, you could get Lethal Enforcers and some Konami Justifiers. Oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> but I had a I had a Super Scope. Uh, me and my brother bought it at launch as well. We were pretty excited about it, but yeah, sadly it was never supported by, by with that much no, uh, yeah, for sure. quality software. So one one cool game, but we can go into that a little bit later. That we did get for it was uh, Battle Clash, which was like a, yeah. a mech uh, battle battle game. Uh, that was yeah. it was pretty decent. There was of course an action replay and Game Genie, or at least one, possibly more more than one version of each. I don't know. Uh, I never got into these i did end up using some similar devices for xbox and ps2 era stuff but that was for editing pro evolution soccer um, rather than cheating at games uh anyone have any cheat carts i know they were quite de rigueur for a while no i never no, I did. had one for the for the nes but never for the for the snes mm-hmm. how about the miracle piano teaching system <laughs> Nope, I do remember that existing, <laughs> but uh, but nobody learned piano that way. Uh, yeah, and a few other things, uh, most of which more obscure. The Batter Up, the uh, the Super Eight, and in Japan the Voice Kun. Um, but yes, I, I don't think over here, other than a multi tap, that was really the only thing you ever wanted, just to play yeah. more people at Bomberman. <laughs> <laughs> Magazines wise, 
the famous Nintendo Power in America. Over here, uh, my magazine of choice was Super Play, which was Future Publishing's yeah. uh, very kind of, it was quite hardcore, but also very fun-loving, uh, very much in the mould of things like Amiga Power that had come before it. It had uh, bespoke Will Overton-drawn covers every month, and they also had sections that were dedicated to import games and stuff like yeah. this. So it was uh, that was a great read. Um, it was very much modelled after Japanese magazines as well. Yes, it had yeah. even had some fake can, uh, uh, katakana on the front and stuff like that, I think. Yeah. Or, or if it I, wasn't fake, it was sort of nonsensical. The cool thing about Superplay was that it sort of really made you feel more like part of being, yeah, you know, playing a Japanese console with Japanese games on it, you know, with all Completely. those games like Pocky and Rocky coming out yes. and uh, Pop and Twimby and all those games. And then, you, you know, you got all these... Uh, Reading a magazines like Superplay really played into that sort of anime yeah. uh, and manga aesthetic that uh, you would find a, a lot of games on the Super Nintendo with that kind of aesthetic. Yeah, lasted until '96, and the last issue was pretty much devoted to the then forthcoming N64, and yeah. uh, closed down for a while before reappearing as N64 Mag, which went on to become N uh, N NGC. Yeah, lived on for quite a while. Um, Meme Machines, of course, sprang out of the loins of CMVG prior to the Super Nintendo's launch, and then then it became was it Meme Machines Sega, and then me yeah. and then Meme Machines Ni Nintendo was basically Nintendo Magazine System. Yeah, NMS Nintendo Magazine yeah. System. Yeah, yeah. So funny. I got hmm. I got lots of uh, issues of uh, Meme Machines and NMS still. Um, Still, always kind of dislike that they had to split it up because even mm. though I had uh, I agree. Nintendo uh, systems myself at home, I was really loved reading about the other systems as well, like what was coming out on that, and so that I could pass my friends. Oh, do you have that game? Do you have that game? Can we play this? Yeah, and can we play that on a that on was a Mega um, Drive? yeah that was one of the in interesting things. We were Nintendo Power subscribers uh, in my house, and mm. I didn't realize being a kid that I was basically just being sold whatever Nintendo wanted me to see. You yeah. know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. 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 It was a great marketing device, but um, then once once kind of video game magazines became more popularized at newsstands, and I could, could seek out other things. I remember picking up and reading about Genesis games and and and, P and PC games that I just I didn't even know existed in this world. And kind of as the as mm -hmm. the kind of the journalism around video games kind of started to expand, it was nice to switch from your Nintendo based stuff to then kind of see oh what else is out there in this you know this this world. It's 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 pretty interesting how that all played played out. Interestingly, our official magazines over here, although you could always, there, there were certain, some occasionally certain reviews where you would think, hmm, I know for a fact, because I know some of the people that worked on them, they maintained, absolutely maintained editorial independence from the company, yeah. despite having the license. So you would get negative reviews in, say, the... Richard Ledbetter edited Sega Saturn magazine. It wouldn't be like every every Sega game comes out and gets you know ninety five percent. You got to go right. and buy this now. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas America, I think it was a bit cloudier with that stuff. I see Nintendo Power, and I have I have almost a complete set of those magazines. I kept them like as a kid for sort of I got boxes of them in my basement that I look at from time to time. But um, and by time to time, I mean anytime I have to move them. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, there were not really any reviews. It was just kind of like long preview sections, yeah. then like right. tips and like maps and yeah. stuff. It was uh, it was pretty pretty. Like you know, ask Nestor, you know, about different stuff. 
Yeah. Nintendo Power grew out of the Club Nintendo magazine. Yeah. Uh, and mm. that was pretty much a promotional wreck looking, <laughs> yeah. you know, with, with, no, with no reviews uh, yeah. in it. So it was to a little charge bit you to buy a lengthy advert seems a little yeah. cheeky, doesn't it? Well, we, we were we were happy with those free Club Nintendo magazines, at least, because we got all the screenshots of the new games in there. That's what I liked yeah. about it, too. Yeah, we exactly. could make up our own minds if it looked interesting to us or not. Yeah. <laughs> of course, we had the multi-formats, as always, uh, continued on EGM and CBG and whatever else. Pamitsu yeah. in, uh, in Japan. And the other one I remember was also from Future. Um, again, unofficial, unlike the Nintendo magazine system, and that was Total. Uh, I only ever bought one or two of these, but yeah, the, friend me too. I, the friend I mentioned earlier who got his SNES before me uh, used to read Total every month. Um, yeah. It's It was, you know, it was uh, it was launch, launch edited by Steve Jarrett, who was formerly of Zap and later of Edge and that sort of uh, that sort of crew, Andy Dyer and people like that. So, again, it had a good uh, good um, provenance and all that sort of stuff. Um, Interesting. I actually, because I have one or two of those magazines as well, and I didn't realize it was Nintendo exclusive, uh, even. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent for Nintendo players. They used to yeah. say. Um, ben, did you have a, a magazine of choice? Um, I not an official Nintendo one in terms of just one format. I tend to. I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of really good multi-format ones around about the time. Mm. I generally read a lot of uh, Games Master, pretty much. Mm. Right. And then yes. And then graduated to CMVG in the start of the uh, PlayStation era, really. So I read games. Incredibly. Yeah, I read Games Master from, yeah, whenever it started, 92, 93. 92. Yeah, Yeah. 92 to about 95, 96, and then CVG from then on. It was skewed much younger, Games Master, which makes sense because you were were younger. Uh, But incredibly, that's literally only just closed the last couple of months, hasn't it, Games Master magazine? It lasted from 92 to 2020 or 2019 at least. Unbelievable. Uh, which is astonishing. It, yeah, it used to have the Channel 4 logo on the front because it was tied in with the TV show, but the TV show hasn't been on at this point for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. And the magazine just kept Still on, yeah. on trucking, so fair play. <laughs> so as always, with these format specials, we now move on to the library of games. And of course, yes. as I always say, <laughs> like, and, and like, one of the, th- the reasons I never... Uh, I was not that keen on doing format specials in the first place until Jay twisted my arm gently over a period of about four or five years or more was that I'm very much game a game's first person, like the consoles are le- of less interest to me. And I always think a console is only as strong as its library. But I do now, and he did make me see that there is merit to looking back at a library in not in quite in its entirety, because obviously we can't do that in the time we've got, but we can take a nice overview and just have a few fun memories of certain games, certain titles that meant a lot uh, and talk about what they did and and what they still do for us in some cases. So 1,757 games were officially released for the Super Nintendo during its 13-year lifespan, if you follow it all the way through to 2003. And uh, importantly, key third-party developers including most of those brought over from the 8-bit Famicom and NES era, included Capcom, Konami, Tecmo, Square, Koei, and Enix. Six companies, which are now three companies. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. yeah. There's some others as well, Hudson, Sunsoft, um, uh, Data East made some stuff, Jalico, like, <laughs> you know, basically all the... All Natsume. The, Natsume. 
yeah, yeah. M- many of the and also there were some western western stuff obviously us particularly uh things like cartoony platformers film licenses and stuff and some european computer game stuff that got ported like uh chaos engine became soldiers of fortune and uh, i think the first samurai came over uh Turrican, all that kind of stuff so things that were popular in the early mid 90s but we'll start off with these are the games that we have covered on the Kane and Rinse podcast. So we've done full shows, two hours or more, on all of these games. We will, of course, mention some of them again because they're critical, but all of the Super Mario Brothers stuff, we've covered the Street Fighter 2 series and Street Fighter Zero 2, which, of course, got a late port on a SNES. Star Fox and Starwing got a show, Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. We did a Sensible Soccer show. We've done the whole of Zelda, so that includes A Link to the Past. We did a Final Fight show, uh, but and I think we also talked a little bit about the SNES only sequels. We did a flashback show. We did a Secret of Mana show and a Chrono Trigger show. We did R Type and R Type Two, which Ben yep. joined us for. It's the first time, and we talked a little about Super R Type. Uh, no, Ben didn't join us for uh, for the oh, R Type no, show. Oh no, that's well, we right. We talked about his video. Yeah, talked you about saw, his that video. was when you first saw my video, wasn't it? That's yeah. Right. That's where we discovered. Yeah. That's where we discovered him. Um, yeah. <laughs> Super Mario Kart, we're still covering that series. We did a show on the first few Mortal Kombat games, and we talked about the Super Nintendo versions up until Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Of course, we've covered all the Final Fantasy series, so there's, uh, I think, three of those on SNES. If, uh, four, five, and this six. Should be, uh, no, I think it's just five and six, right? Yeah, five and six, and then the um, uh, Mystic Quest. Okay, right. Uh, yeah. We did a worm series. I'm sure there's a worms game on SNES. We, of course, covered Super Ghouls and Ghosts. <laughs> yeah, we did. Ben definitely was on that one. Uh, yeah. We've done a Pilot Wings show, and we also did a show on both Disney's Aladdin games, including the Super Nintendo Capcom one. We did a Donkey Kong Country trilogy game, and recently we did a Super Mario RPG one at the behest yeah, of Brian. We absolutely yeah. did. We yes. totally did, yeah. <laughs> Uh, back to Blue Weasel Breath from the forum at this point, who says, I first heard of SNES on the playground in first grade. I remember my first reaction being one of minor annoyance because my parents were just about to get me the NES at long last. And now this super version was being launched. So I felt like I could never catch up. I must have seen screenshots, but the first time I got my hands on the system, it was magical. It was a setup outside the KB Toys in a mall in Columbus, Mississippi, and was playing Super Mario World. The combination of the next generation sound effects and graphics really impressed me. For whatever reason, I remember being especially taken by the little sparkles that came off of Mario when he got an invincibility star. Hmm. I also thought the new controller was impossibly cool. Sometime later, on several special weekends, I got a renter's nest from the video store, just like Brian. The first time, I took home Super Mario World and Pocky and Rocky. I also got to play SNES at a friend's house, Link to the Past and Donkey Kong Country, are a couple of those that stick with me. After years of reading about games like Super Metroid and Contra 3 in game magazines, my father finally got me a SNES from a nearby pawn shop with a copy of A Link to the Past, in a box, with a manual and map too. The PlayStation was already out by then, but I didn't care. I always got consoles a few years late, and I wasn't that interested in the muddy, low-polygon look of the 32-bit system anyway. What a forward-looking guy. (laughs) 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 about three years ago i finally sold the system and all the games for it as i needed the money and figured i had to access had access to all the games in other ways anyhow 
Thanks to my complete inbox copy of Earthbound, I made over $1,000 selling the collection, but I was definitely sad to see such a happy part of my childhood go. I, this memory, just this this feedback or um, this contribution from Blue Weasel Breath, of the, it's like a memory so strong I can almost smell it. You know what I mean? The uh, like the kiosk outside the KB Toys yeah. in the mall, like that. That is just that's such the experience I had with this. It wasn't it wasn't a KB Toys. It was a Sears department store in the Galleria right. Mall in Buffalo, New York. But like, man, it just that that's just it's just like the whole segment is just like an of a time picture perfect of how mm. these consoles got to us the youth in america and this is how it happened and just like it just said uh, that's just really interesting to to read that perspective because it, it mirrors my own so much thank mm. you blue weasel breath for that our yeah. shopping so centers the- i remember when they were a thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> r.i.p debenhams um, <laughs> launch lineups minimal uh, as is often the case the original japanese launch lineup was small but uh well, you know, you had a racing game and you had a platform game. F-Zero was a new thing. Super Mario World was, of course, the big one. We know that was Super Mario Brothers 4. as It was actually called that over in Japan. And uh, we've covered that. I still would say, for me, it's probably the pinnacle of 2D platformers. And uh, I know some people will uh, still sing for its predecessor, but... Uh, for me, Super Mario World's the one. F-Zero, we've never talked about, and I'm sure we may consider doing a show on that series at some point. Uh, I was playing this this afternoon, and obviously I'm... I say obviously. I played way more of uh, X and GX than I did of the original. But going back to the original today, uh, it still had a good time with it. Obviously, it's a lot simpler. It's very flat. It's all Mode 7. There's no hills. <laughs> there's no ups and yeah. downs. But um, the intensity of the racing and the you know the the groovy music, it's all it's still got a lot to uh, enjoy. I'm glad it's on the the mini and the and the Switch collection. Yeah, I'm I am such a huge fan of F Zero GX uh, that I sort of I I felt this was the realized vision of uh, of the original F Zero that I never really particularly cared for going back to it until a couple of years ago where I suddenly got a hankering for that original F-Zero again. Right. And, um, yeah, it's just the music and the mood. It's, I think it has its own, its very own mood. It's very uh, yeah. evocative in a way, uh, these different planets that you raise on with the sort of mysterious skylines in the in the yep. background. You know, and that weird uh, mishmash of kind of cartoon comic book imagery and heavy, well, sort of rock, just slightly cheesy rock music. But also it goes, to some, sometimes the background music is just, jazz <laughs> like, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's that i think i'd forgotten this but uh, there was a game called bomboozle this was a computer game designed in england by tony crowther i think and mm. uh it was an amiga game first and it also came to the 8-bit computers i think by the time it came out on the super nintendo it had already been given away free on computer game magazines in the uk yeah. so the the idea of spending 50 or 100 pounds on an import copy of Bomboozle for the Super Nintendo seemed a bit crazy. But anyway, it released in the first... Mean Machines uh, slated it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a puzzle. It's a it's a very much a early 90s European computer puzzle game. Um, Zap gave it a good review at the time on the Amiga, but as a game to spend an enormous amount of money for your state-of-the-art new console, hmm, not so much. There's always curios like this in the uh, in the launch lineups, aren't there? I think... Uh, 
the North American launch lineup added, uh, didn't have Bomboozle, but added SimCity. So that really, uh, we haven't done a SimCity show yet, but um, maybe it wouldn't be the optimal pl way to play SimCity now. I don't know. But I think there was a certain cuteness and self-containedness that other versions didn't have. Like I had the Amiga version of SimCity yeah. and it was very cool, but it was very, very dry. This yeah. this version added cuteness, added the, the Dr. Wright character based on what I love Wright. this version. Yeah, yeah. same. Yeah. Right. Even though the control method is not ideal and you would actually wish you could use the, the mouse, the mouse, mouse yeah. for it, mouse for it, but it's just so lovely to play. It has fantastic music. music in it's it incredible. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just right. like very, very warm. Uh, yeah, personality-filled version of SimCity to play. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible. And was yeah, you're a fan too. Yeah, I didn't have you down as a SimCity guy. No, I loved it. Like there was a thing on um, on the uh, Reddit uh, retro gaming uh, sub forum. Uh, it would have been about twelve months ago now. Um, mm. Challenging people to try and get a uh, a Megalopolis, and I'd never got one. And so I watched a load of instructional videos about how to get one. And then I, uh, it t honestly, no word of a lie, to get it, it took me about three days worth of playtime because mm, there's huh. su such a lot of that game is waiting, just tweaking things and then waiting for a year so you can, yeah, get, all yeah. the, so you can get all the money again mm -hmm. so if you're doing it legitimately. And uh, yeah. I finally, uh, I, I finally got one, and it took, I got the, it clicked over to five hundred, it's five hundred thousand you need. It clicked, you can only get it on one map as well. That's how like finite the mechanics are in it. In terms of like, mm. there's only one map with your with your right amount of land and water and stuff to make the mm. to, so you can arrange <laughs> it. Um, but I, it clicked over to it's about three in the morning. It clicked over to like five hundred thousand. I got the thing and I got a screenshot and put it up on Reddit and, and I got, everyone yeah. was everyone was dead happy about it. And uh, of course you did. I found it's that. Uh, I found that. Fo I found the photo of the uh, of the actual thing the other day, like the the actual city how it looked and it just made me feel that claustrophobic i don't know once again yeah. if that is not just a sign of the times but it was <laughs> it's the most like yeah. it's the most compacted cityscape in the yeah, yeah. in the entire I saw world that, i saw that one yeah oh. <laughs> not, not ideal Me megalopolis clear yeah does five, this uh, does this never come out on re-release because it's licensing ea maxis type issues do we know or is it because this was a nintendo it was Nintendo published. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was Nintendo published, but it did have uh, Maxis, of course, on mm. the copyright notices on the title Maybe screen. they had some, they might have had some some weird one-time deal or something because they actually, yeah. just recently, Frank Cifaldi from, um, uh, got hold of uh, the one of the few existing ROMs of SimCity running on the NES, too. So wow. I know they were co-developing it for the NES and, and SNES right. at the beginning. So maybe they just had some, like a one-time deal yeah. and yeah. then that was it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it had, might be had, that they don't like the way it controls now. Had Bowser in, right, as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead of Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And then <laughs> okay. Bowser stomping the city. Well, no doubt the ROM is out there illegally, um, so you can add it to your PC emulation collection or your SNES Mini if you want. I wouldn't mind getting a, seeking out a cart, actually, of this again, now that we're talking about it. Cool. There's also a port of Gradius 3, which was also a launch title for PS2, weirdly, sometime later yeah. uh, on a <laughs> compilation. Um, and this was a game that was massively crippled by slowdown. Slowdown, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a t really, really tough game as well. Um, I think uh, you can you can get it as. I'm actually not sure if it's downloadable as a separate arcade archives title at this point. Um, but I mean, the Gradius series we're we're talking about uh, this uh, coming soon on Kane and Rince. There was quite a lot of slowdown in the original coin ops as well, so it was sort of yeah. semi-authentic, but but worse. 
Yeah. For the European launch lineup, we lost SimCity temporarily, at least, uh, and Gradius Three, but we gained Soccer, Tennis, and Super R Type, all the supers, which made yeah. sense uh, from a sort of branding point of view. Super was it soccer. called Super Soccer? Yeah, That's what it was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. not it's, Super Football. Uh, super yeah. Soccer. Super yeah. Soccer. Yeah, we we it was very common for football games to be called soccer over here. Uh, actually, even sensible soccer, which yeah, I mean soccer people really cringe at soccer. Football fans don't like it in this country in general, but it is a British term right. for association football. It's just that it's become associated with Americanese because of the whole American <laughs> football thing. Um, I have no problem with games being called soccer. I used to have a board game, uh, like a desktop game. Ben, you might remember this, where you push the heads. Oh no, that was striker. Used to push the heads of the players down to kick the ball. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, it was common for games to for just to be called soccer. It was, yeah. I guess, just it helped multi-region sales as well. And uh, I've played a tiny bit of this. I didn't have it at the time. I was a massive football fan, a football games fan, still am. Um, but this one was not a classic. But again, if you were buying a new console and you wanted a footy game and you wanted to show off your Mode Seven graphics. It, was, it looked nice. They're running right. running up and down the pitch, but uh, yeah, we. I, the funny thing is with the Super Nintendo, we've I've actually played so many games because we would try out almost every new game that yeah. came into the shop and then bring it back uh, a couple of days after. Yeah. yeah, there was just nothing to it. You were you were just running down the field, and then yeah. it would the, the let's say the the sweet spot was uh, very generous, so yeah. you would almost <laughs> score in exactly the same way. There was yeah. just really nothing to it to this game. Yeah. Yeah. What I will say is that compared to NES soccer, it's much more playable. Like NES soccer, I I remember getting that on Animal Crossing on the GameCube as one yeah. of the one of the NES games, and I couldn't believe how turgid it was to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. yeah. Uh, Super Tennis, a bit of a, a, a cult classic. Uh, yeah. Still great fun to play. I personally think the one that they've recently added to the Switch collection, the Namco one, Smash Court Tennis, yeah. is possibly uh, an improvement in some ways. It's a bit more, uh, a bit more variety to it, and a bit more. Um, the controls are a bit more friendly. But Super Tennis is still with two players. You can still have uh, as as fun a time as ever, really. Yeah, I think it's mechanically more sophisticated than Smash Court Tennis. Super Tennises. I don't know about... I don't know if I agree with that. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, but we, we got Super Tennis uh, together with F-Zero as our first separately bought games for the for the Super Nintendo. Hmm. Made by... I think the developer was called Tokyo Shoshinkai, but it was pretty much Nintendo published and branded. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they signed it up, I think, to give them more... More titles to have on the shelves in the shops. And yeah, Super R-Type, again, I assume in Japan it was probably released by IRM, but over here I guess it was released by Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it, was, a, it was another uh, crippled by slowdown yeah, experience. Yeah. The PAL version even slower. And it's this kind of mishmash. Spectacular of, music. Spectacular music. Though. Right. It's a mishmash of R-Type 1 and R-Type 2. And it's... Also, no, it's actually it's actually uh, uh, all R type two, but with some extra levels thrown in. Oh, okay, we did talk about that on the podcast, didn't we? I think you corrected yeah. me on that before as well. My apologies because <laughs> I've never played it. Um, but they also yeah. took out the mid stage checkpoints. Yeah, 
Brilliant. So you have to clear a, ch- a stage in, in one. Oh, game. really? Yeah. I didn't know. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Have you uncredited yeah. this, Ben? Uh, it's super hard time. No, I haven't, to be honest with you. I've had the, I've beaten it, but I haven't, uh, I've not sat down and then tried to, to progress through mm. it. As it stands at the moment, uh, the arcade version of R-Type, I think, is the only version of that uh, franchise that I've um, completed properly. Back to it. Yeah, I know, right? I have nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> So the best sellers on the system are unsurprisingly packing games mainly. Uh, Super Mario World, 20 million copies. Wow. And goodness knows how many since then, digitally, the GBA versions, the virtual console versions. Who knows? Uh, Donkey Kong Country was an absolute smash, but it was also a packing. That was 9 million units. Each uh, incarnation of the Donkey Kong Country series sold uh, fewer than the previous one. Um, Super Mario Kart, there was also a pack with that in 8 million, and Street Fighter 2 was not packed in, I don't think. There but were packs, I think. There were I bundles there with were. Street Fighter yeah, 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 so there, there was a turbo bundle, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. My, my friend had the uh, World Warrior. There I was got. a World Warrior one. Oh, okay. Yeah, my mate uh, had it. Oh, cool. Okay, well, 6.3 million anyway. Um, yes. And yeah. Uh, as we as we go down the sales list, uh, Donkey Kong Country Two is next with five million. Link to the Past four point six million. Yoshi's Island, even though it came very very late, well, say late, it was only ninety five compared to two thousand and three when the machine ended, but it felt late because the PlayStation was already out. I think uh, four million. Street Fighter Two Turbo sold a surprisingly low four million copies. I thought that was like. I thought everyone who had a Super Nintendo had a copy of Street Fighter 2 Turbo. I would have I would have put it at about 20 million copies. Um, mm. Donkey Kong Country 3. The, the thing 3. is, 5. I think maybe a lot of people were not keen to, to shell out full price again for an update on a game they already owned. Yeah, but I think everyone knew that Turbo was... As soon as it came out, everyone was like, okay, so Street Fighter 2 was great, but now this has got all yeah. the characters and it runs at an acceptable speed <laughs> so <laughs> i just thought it was i yeah i would have actually guessed that turbo it seemed to be in every shop i just um i just would have assumed it outsold its predecessor but it actually sold two-thirds as many yeah yeah i think for the general consumer it, that yeah there was not yeah, enough to convince set. them to buy buy the same game again uh, with quite more expensive features. as well right yeah yeah, yeah. and so yeah. capcom never released an iterative version of street fighter ever again Nicholas <laughs> Cage 183 from the forum says my favorite birthday will always be opening the Street Fighter 2 bundle there you go at the age of 10 I was originally planning to pick up a Mega Drive but my older brother whose sage like opinions held particular sway over my decisions convinced me to wait for the release of the new Nintendo I was slightly dubious Sega seemed so much cooler at the time not to mention I had been salivating over their overwhelming library of games available but the SNES is more powerful and has so-and-so more colours, parallax scrolling, higher quality games, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and they're getting Street Fighter 2. As was the case, the, my malleable little mind was won over. Playing my favourite arcade game at home cemented my decision. I made the right one. Not only did there turn out to be some of the finest single-player games of the time, but those memories of childhood friends crammed into my friend's bedroom like sardines playing Super Bomberman, Mario Kart, Street Fighter 2, Killer Instinct, etc. Cartridges and controllers often being violently thrown across the room by <laughs> the end. 
Even at the end of its lifespan, when 3D and CDs were becoming the norm, it felt like it was bowing out gracefully, with the likes of the Donkey Kong Country series and Yoshi's Island still pushing its graphical limits and creativity beyond many of its counterparts. Obviously, I'm very nostalgic for this console, but I think most people who have owned or played one can agree its games library is full of absolute belters, many of which are still very playable today. The fact that my Mini SNES still gets turned on regularly, certainly compared to its more ornamental neighbour, the Mini PlayStation, is further testament to its greatness. Other noteworthy games, I mean, there are so many, but uh, Earthbound has already been mentioned. Didn't come out in Europe. Thanks, guys. Uh, obviously, it started life as the sequel to a, well, the very Japanese sequel to a very Japanese RPG. Uh, Earthbound Toon Scottoon says the weird Japanese examination of the suburban American existence. Onet, Tucson, Threed and Foresight all have that same magic that Ray Bradbury's Greentown from Dandelion Wine has. That natural history museum diorama tension that comes from knowing something definitely did happen, but could never have happened exactly as we remember it. The SNES played no small part in bringing this story to bear with its bright colour palette and more specifically its SSMP sound chip playing the role of orchestra and pop band, all under the masterful conductor's wand of Hip Tanaka. It's, it's unbelievable to me that this game escaped me at the time, because it, uh. it, was, su- it was something that, that, like, stylistically is just so just in my wheelhouse. I, uh, right. I, played, I played Earthbound several times since on, on, um, on emulation previously. I now do have an Earthbound cart that I've played through the game on. It just... Um, I mean, just it's it just just such a such a weird in all the right ways game um, that I I never played at the time that the SNES was in its heyday and 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 I really feel like I, I'm not sure how I missed out on it, but I'm I'm certainly glad it exists because it's just a it's just a special it's just a special game. Escaped us in Europe, uh, but my intention is to uh, for us to cover them someday on the show. Certainly, the uh, Earthbound Beginnings, as it was finally officially translated on the Wii U and Earthbound, which is now easily enough available to play. So Kirby had started life as a NES and Game Boy character, but uh, they put together this uh, quite, again, this was relatively late in the SNES's life, Kirby Superstar or Kirby's Fun Pack, which was a sort of compilation cart of many of Kirby's adventures so far, plus a bunch of extra new mini games. This is now ubiquitous on services and devices. Uh, but it's such a such a little bundle of joy. Yeah, it's it's not exactly comp- some of the games are that are in there are kind of reworkings of the mm. NES and the Game Boy game, but there is uh, yeah there are new games in there as well and a bunch of mini games. Yeah, um, I never played Fun Pack, but I do have uh, Kirby Superstar Ultra on yeah. the on the DS, DS which is yeah. a very very. Very nice uh, reworking of that game. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. In America, they also got a Wii compilation, which included mm-hmm. a bunch of Kirby stuff, which we didn't get over here, which I'm still yeah. quite bitter about. <laughs> uh, I think the last ever Nintendo release for Super Nintendo, Super Famicom, was Kirby's Dream Land 3. I think it was about 97 um, and this has got a really delightful art style, sort of follows on a little bit from Yoshi's Island, but even slightly fuzzier around the edges still, perhaps not quite as spectacular. But uh, but again, this is one that crops up in uh, in all the places that you would expect. 
Now, we haven't covered the Metroid games yet on the Kane Rinse podcast. We are very aware we've been going nine years and we've yet to do Metroid. Um, mm. But I know, I mean, I know Super Metroid is regarded by so many people as one of the, you know, one of the pinnacle side-scrolling arcade adventure games. You know what? Uh, what's what's strange? I completely skipped over Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo um, mm-hmm. the first time around, right? Because uh, I was a big fan of the original Metroid on the NES. Yeah, and by this time we had seen games like Super Castlevania early on and Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which had just incredible sprite art. And I don't, I didn't think Super Metroid looked really good in screenshots. I, in, I agree, uh, actually. I do agree. It looked like yeah. a little bit like a souped-up NES game to me. I agree. So, yeah, it's really weird. But mm. uh, years later, when I worked at uh, Nintendo of Europe, there was a mag- uh, like a storage clean-out uh, sale, and I picked up a Super Nintendo card box uh, with manual and everything, a Spanish edition uh, for like three or four euros. And mm. uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it ever since. And I can't believe I skipped over it in the first place because it's so actually really atmospheric and really yeah. engaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's one of those things that you, you, that's the game. I mean, I know that Metroid obviously existed on the NES, but like, like when, when people are talking about Metroidvania as an entire genre right now, they're not, it, they might as well call it Super Metroidvania because Super Metroid just, it informs so much of the games that we play today. Um, yeah. And, and, and just, in in ways that where you you'll when playing through this game now like like I just was recently playing through Ori and the Will of the Wisps and they did something mm-hmm. kind of midway through I'm like Super Metroid did this exact same thing and it felt just mm-hmm. as original and innovative back then as it does now it's just yeah you can't say enough about it it's a it's a wonderful game yeah we will cover it someday I also have a, a slightly checkered history with it in that I did have it for my Super Nintendo but I just used to get very lost and confused with it and I didn't finish it until <laughs> I played it on the Wii in, in 2007 uh, so Super Punch Out was again another sequel to a game that we'd already seen on the NES and in the arcades as well uh, I'm not much of a Punch Out expert but I think some of you guys are yeah I'm a big fan of this Like uh, yeah. I I got this second hand not long after it came out and uh, it was one of those I, I'd always wanted to play uh, the original, but never didn't have a NES and didn't know anybody had one and couldn't play it. And it's super punch out, like because the, the, there's 16 kind of boxes you have to go through. And the first maybe five, that's a lot. Yeah, the first five you can kind of get through most of the time, trial and error. But once you get you start getting to kind of six and seven, you like you have to like study quite a bit and learn patterns. And it was one of the first experiences I had of like having to just start a. Uh, like start fight and then just watch to see what the computer did to see if I could see any kind of tells and I'd write them down in a notebook and mm-hmm. then I'd figure it out and everything. And, <laughs> and I like the funny thing is like I still I still play Punch Out now. I still stream it occasionally. Mm-hmm. Like I did it. I did a challenge not too long ago where I had to do that. I tried to do the whole thing and I had to get my average fight time to less than sixty seconds. Um, so I had like a, I had the spreadsheet working out how long I'd, I'd been beaten like every one for. It was a good laugh. It was, it was a proper good mm-hmm. laugh. But I still. I had a few practice runs beforehand and I still found myself kind of like counting like two, three, four, and then remembering bits. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy that the, that, that kind yeah. of stuck in my head. But yeah, I'm a big, uh, yeah, I'm a massive, uh, I'm a massive Super Punch-Out fan. Yeah, Super Punch-Out was one of those first games that like I could, I get the feeling that now, now I typically describe as the, the rock band or guitar hero feeling where you're, your fingers are going and you're anticipating what's coming next, but you're not really focusing on any one thing. You're just kind of in the entire experience. Yeah. And that's the way super punch out would be because you know that, you know, for, 
for example, if you get to like Narciss Prince in the first one, you know, like if he if he does the the if he does the the head punch combo that you can then, you know, gut shot him and then get him to his stagger state earlier if you just do the right things in this correct order and 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 based on the computer actions, you're just kind of it becomes less about controlling the input and more just by kind of like feeling it like it's a rhythm game yeah, like exactly. feeling what's in anticipating what's next and yeah that i super punch out is still and and ben like i told you earlier that you, you inspired me to go back and do a one credit clear super punch out which i did it took me a lot longer than i expected it to but, um yeah it was uh yeah it's just that I, super punch out is just um it's just uh, just one of my favorites on the one of my easily in my top five or top ten on the on the system for sure was it uh was it a significant upgrade on the Pre- on its predecessors would you say this is the thing uh again coming from the nes and being a massive mike tyson's punch out fan i always thought super punch out felt a little bit uh stodgy in comparison it didn't feel as nippy and responsive as the uh as the nes game did really uh and i only got a card when i rebought a super nintendo uh back when you could still find a lot of stores which had like cards for like three or four euros uh, up for sale you know uh and i I think I played it really seriously only once, and I got to Dragon Chen, who kicked my ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's number six. And yeah, but I I, yeah. I always I always kept uh, meaning to go back to it and give it a proper shot because I love these games. And Leon, you you haven't gotten into any punch out mm, game, not really. I think. No. But don't think of it as a as a boxing sim. Uh, it, these no, are no. really like action puzzle pattern yeah, yeah. recognition games yes. that you you need to crack the code of each and every yeah, opponent yeah. you face. And it, it's I like a bo- boss boss rush boss rush uh, action puzzle game basically. Uh, so they're they're really great. And mm. yeah, I, I definitely owe it to this game to give it a proper chance. I remember yeah. this one was included in one of the GameCube versions of Fight Night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had, but it had very, very scratchy audio or something like that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I specifically remember the fighter Hoy Carlo uh, as I was a, a young man, uh, causing me to throw my controller and leave the room multiple times. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. got a stick. He, he, That's at, not fair. He's got yeah, he's got a yeah, he's got a stick and That's not legal. He's got these alternate alternating high and low combos. Yeah. If you mess up, oh, yeah. he Go. he absolutely maddened me as a young man. Um, it's it's it was really fun to revisit a couple weeks ago on the on the switch online because um because yeah i, I was kind of la- he kicked my ass the first time i came across him and i just remember kind of laughing at myself and being like yeah. i remember when this used to elicit quite a different reaction out of me <laughs> yeah i mean Dra- dragon chen jumps off the turnbuckle uh and, and flying kicks you in the face true Where, where's the ref at that point yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of that in there <laughs> is this still boxing yeah. <laughs> area 88 was a japanese manga and anime one, certainly one of the two, if not both. And yep. the US uh, release and European worldwide was UN Squadron, came to the arcades, but then Capcom decided to kind of change it up a bit for the home yeah. version, adding in sort of uh, almost roguelike elements with a, a kind of currency and um, some sort of uh, overarching strategy elements and things. And I beat this game on PAL. It's a lot harder to beat the NTSC version um, but yeah. uh, one of my one of my SNES favorites. Capcom not really best known for their scrolling shmups, but I think they nailed this one. Yeah, they they have put out a lot actually over their history. It's just like you say, they're not really known for it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, we'll probably cover this one someday. I think um, Rich on the team is a fan as well. He added it to the uh, the big old spreadsheet not so long ago. 
Capcom also brought us the first two in the Breath of Fire series, which is, I think, now on number five or six. Possibly hasn't seen a new entry for a while. Forgive me if, if that's not correct. I played the third one on PlayStation, but yeah, it was same. barely any different. It was it was basically a SNES game on a PlayStation CD, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe with some slightly uh, enhanced music. But yeah, Breath of Fire 1 and 2 are now on the Switch online service. Demon's Crest is one that I've only really... I knew I knew of its existence, but I didn't yeah. play it until the Wii U Virtual Console. Uh, Even in its day, it was not very common, actually. No. To, so to this is a... Sp- see that game in, the, in, in, in stores. A Makaimura spin-off. Yeah. And for me, I just... I like, I haven't beaten this yet because I'm kind of saving it for when we when I think we will cover it on the show. But yeah. for me, this is one of the finest looking Super Nintendo games yeah. or 16-bit yeah. yeah. games I have Sprite ever seen. Sprite art almost second to none. It's so... It, and it's really fun to play as well. Yeah. But it's, and the music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of a... Yeah. And a less a less well-sung, um, slightly cult classic. But, uh, but yeah, I'd imagine uh, if we ever cover this on the show, Ben, you'd be up for uh, for joining us for that one. Surely it's part of your beloved heritage it's my whole yeah it's my whole gimmick yeah i'd, I'd take a bit of time to <laughs> a list of a list of games that i really should sit down and play through and this always kind of just about yeah. gets to gets to the top and then i'm like yeah no nah, i'll just play golden axe or something but um i, 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 I haven't played all the way through this either no nah, i haven't yeah. i've watched a few long plays like um it, yeah it does look very uh, yeah it does look very good it, it does does it keep the standard of, of art throughout or is it just the first few levels that i've seen no no no, no the whole thing all the yeah. levels are beautiful yeah the whole right. thing's yeah. really well designed yeah i am um, yeah. it's something i really should put a bit of time into realistically mm. nice. uh, i bought a card in 2010 i want to say for 20 euros which i thought at that time was a lot to pay for just a loose super nintendo card yeah uh, but i knew that it was pretty rare yeah. and i always wanted to play it so i felt like oh, okay I, m- I might as well mm. and then yeah if you look look up the price on ebay now it's well into 100 plus uh, oh really euros. okay yeah yeah and that's yeah. even despite it being widely available on the yeah. mini and and, well, and collect- collectors don't care they just want to have no, a, sure, uh, the original sure. card you know yeah. sure but i also think it's great that this one in particular does always find its way onto like the mini and the switch service yeah. because Which it shows great. nintendo knows that capcom like really made their machine sing with this one mm, for sure mr ixalite from the forum says i've never owned a snes and have barely played one either and yet i have a huge nostalgic affection for the system which I ascribe almost wholeheartedly to the small faded stack of Danish. And where's where's this going? Nintendo Power magazines in Good. my basement. <laughs> Local Danish news. <laughs> Growing up with just a Game Boy, they these seem like a window into the future, and I would pour endlessly over every image in them. Even though I skipped the 16-bit generation and got a PlayStation, to this day, SNES era sprite work constitutes the default answer to the question of. What does an appealing video game look like in my mind? There's just something about the richness of the colours and the striking designs that draws me to these games. However, even though I've had images of games like Demon's Crest burned into my mind for literal decades, I almost don't dare play them because doing so has often left me slightly disappointed. The games just never feel quite as good in action as I want, which may come down to excessive hype, and an awareness that the many tweaks other games have since made to the gameplay foundations laid out by the SNES, but it also probably due to my own weird case of snes 
As good as something like Super Metroid was when I finally played it, it could just never compete with the game my wistful young self envisaged, envisaged, <laughs> envisioned, envisaged, envisioned, as I saw the images in that four-page review with that 10 out of 10 score. Yeah, that is curious. Interesting. Yeah. Some may feel the same. Uh, so Mega Man X has recently had one of these uh, legacy kind of compilation series, I think, from a Digital Eclipse. Yep. And uh, I really, again, for whatever reason, I was never a Mega Man guy. We covered the first two NES games on a podcast a while ago. The X series was kind of where it got souped up for 16-bit. I've just played a bit of the first one of this series. I think there were three or four on SNES. Three? I think uh, i don't know i can't say confidently i think there were three yeah the series then moves on to yeah yeah moves on to playstation then doesn't it um there's quite yeah i can't remember what number they got up to but it's almost it's almost as long running as the mega seven i think right x7 so yeah yeah, there's 11 mega mans and 11 and seven mega man x's um but i know josh played mega man x recently and he seemed to have a great time with it so i think it does a few things to kind of soup up the formula things that the the NES games couldn't do? What yeah. you get in the game is that you can revisit uh, older stages and explore them with new abilities. So it opens oh, that up a little bit. That, that. that is a ma- uh, ma- major point. Uh, and you, your movement uh, options are, are just expanded. You know, you can do these wall jumps and da- dashes and, uh, and charge beams and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember it being... For as far as a like a mobility standpoint, it really changed up how Mega Man played, just because those those first six games are so uniquely identified by the limits of that Mega Man jump and run, and like how you could kind of the platform built around this one. Mega Man X, you had like full on, you know, spike knuckles you could climb walls with, and dashes and slides and everything else. So it kind of really kind of changed up the game. Yeah, you could learn and it. That- you could learn Ryu's Fireball as well, couldn't you? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. on that. <laughs> the thing with the what Mikhail said about playing the levels in different order works really well and you can go back to them and stuff because like for example um, if you do the uh, flame mammoth level like the bottom of it's like this molten lava and if you touch it you die as you might imagine but if you do a chill penguin first like um, <clears throat> uh, if you're able great to great names do, yeah honestly you'd spark mandrill <laughs> probably one of my favorites yeah from that, uh, from they were that. ahead of kojima with this stuff yeah 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. But uh, if, you, if you do the if you do the uh, the frozen level first then the thing is that you blow up the uh you blow up the frozen factory thing at the end and it like everything goes icy so what happens is that means the fire's out so you can go around and it's easier and, oh. and depending if you do them all in different uh yeah there is some ridiculous uh there is some very ridiculous names i do i always just remember spark mandrill <laughs> spark mandrill and flame mammoth also um, a good name for a like a Hollywood movie star of the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting about that. It sounds like um, the recent platonic game, Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, takes a lot of those ideas the, where you can go into the stage with whether it's flooded or yeah. not and, and yeah. have a different experience. Sounds like maybe they got some inspiration from that. Yeah, it's really cool. There was also, in the same way as there were... Konami in particular, we know that they did different versions of the same franchises for the two 16-bit consoles, trying to take advantage of their different uh, capabilities and strengths and and so on. There was also a case where, uh, as we talked about in the Aladdin show, Disney had separate licensing for different platforms. So while we got the wonderful Castle of Illusion world of illusion quack shop games on the mega drive 
but also Fantasia. Less said about that, the better. <laughs> we got on the Super Nintendo, we got the Magical Quest trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and those are nice games in their own right, too. I only finished the first one. Um, but, uh, but again, more inventive Capcom cutesy platforming with Disney characters. And there's a lot to like. They looked really nice, I think. They looked yeah. pretty yep. spectacular, actually. But I, they also got kind of lukewarm reviews by the likes of Mean Machines and uh, Nintendo Magazine System because they felt like the games were just a tad too easy and you could play through them uh, mm. very quickly. Which, Never uh, me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that 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 put that put me off, you know, because we I thought there was actually quite a bit had of- to save save up of a couple of. Yeah, we had to save up at least a couple of weeks before we could buy a new game, yeah. so we would, wanted something that would last us a, li- a bit longer. Now, the, 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 especially Mickey's here, Magical Quest, there's quite a bit of replay value to that for me, because that's the one with all the costumes, right? And you can technically yep. beat yeah. uh, you can beat the last boss with a variety of different uh, costumes, and there's a lot of different kind of clears I've seen where people have like only used the genie costume or only used the fireman mm-hmm. costume for when you get it and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of stuff like that. I think like, uh, I mean, we said it when we did the podcast at the time, but I think Capcom's Capcom's kind of platform gamers of that era all kind of had a similar feel to them. Like, there's a Super Ghouls and Ghosts doesn't play on like the way that a lot of these games, uh, a lot of these games yeah. play. But uh, yeah, I know, I know, I get your thing with them being uh, a little easier and a, a bit more kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a approachable. I suppose like um, like the mm-hmm. the kind of Disney ones, obviously aimed at maybe kind of younger younger kind of players. But yeah, yeah. I played the first two and I played the third one. Um, but yeah, I really like the. Uh, I really like the first one. I st- another game. I still keep saying I'm going to try and go back and no death it. I never, <laughs> I never, uh, never quite. Got, I won credit it, but I didn't. Uh, I think I died on mm. something or other. But yeah, it's it's just it's just a lot of it. It's just fun, isn't it? It's just one of those. You don't have to think too much to play something like that. Bit of a classic among certain sector of shmup fans, although not all of them love it. Is Axel A. This is the first yeah. of the Konami games we're going to look at. So Axel A. Is I think it's fair to say it's quite gimmicky. And it's yeah. obviously it's trying to sort of show off a lot of the the host hardware's merits, um, but it uh, it certainly used to pop out from magazine screenshots looking at that lava monster in Mode Seven and all that kind of stuff. I think apart from the uh, yeah the snazzy effects, it has again like uh, Demon's Quest top tier uh, sprite work mm. uh, on it. Also, the cutscenes look really amazing. For example. Um, yeah, me and my brother used to put our money together, and he wasn't really a fan of shoot 'em ups, so we would uh, we would always settle on something else, uh, to m- much to my chagrin. Um, but I think at, when X Lake came out, we were sort of buying our game, starting to buy our games independently. So I went to our regular toy store and got me a copy of X Lake. Uh, I remember really shooting my way through it very fast uh, as well uh, it being quite easy and i think um it felt a little bit empty at times you know like uh it didn't feel very mm, yeah intense um trying to avoid the slowdown I, I think yeah there's yeah i think so um but i'm recently i feel like i kind of want to go back to it and rediscover it again and you know and and see it because it has some really neat systems in there with the the weapons that the, yeah. the weapon configurations that you have and um if you get hit you you use your uh, you lose your active weapon instead of you die completely which might also have contributed to it being somewhat easier than your average shoot 'em up um 
And some of that stuff has been copied in that aftermarket or that homebrew game for the Dreamcast, uh, Sturmwind, that uh, German game, oh, yeah. uh, which also had similar sort of uh, weapon configurations. Yeah, I, c- I kind of want to go back to X-Lane nowadays, actually. Mm. They also brought us Konami, uh, the fairly legendary, I should say, uh, Contra 3. Now, we've done a podcast on Contras 1 and 2 or Contra and Super Contra and some of the surrounding games. I think we should probably come back and do another one on Contra 3 and maybe some yeah. of the next games in the series. Um, I mean, this one, for me, just stands up incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, my copy is called Contra Spirits. Oh, yes. Contra Spirits, yeah. of course, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Japanese name and of course it was localised in Europe because to protect the sensibilities particularly of the German market Super Probotector mm. Alien Rebels and <laughs> yeah. the useless robots that die in one hit protagonists useless. are no longer Rambo and Arnie they are robots yeah yeah but they got nothing on the Terminator or on Robocop plays they just the die same from, in one hit yeah yeah it yeah. plays the same. There's a lot of uh, things. There's a lot of standout moments in that, like when you like oh, uh, set pieces. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Of, yeah, like there's a, you'd think of the obvious ones, like the bit where you're flying on the back of that giant missile, yeah. or or on, <laughs> yeah. on the motorbike, or the bit where you get to the end of that, uh, the end of that level, and that giant robot pulls like the the metal aside, and he's got his, like, <laughs> yeah. his face kind of comes out and stuff, and like. Uh, even the first level is legendary. Yeah. I mean, yeah. think of think of just what what you go through in that first level. That think of that first stage. Like first, you run through the streets, then you hop on a tank that you can drive. Drive to get, uh, one person can drive, and the other one can stand on, on the back of it. Then the dive the, the floors get the, yeah. yeah. The, then the dive bomber, the floor gets lifted, then a, a building comes crashing down. Uh, yeah, it's just. This is, I think, where sort of set piece action uh, game design was really born. And I think Even, a, a lot of the coders on this went on to form Treasure, didn't they? I think yeah, that was, uh, yeah. yeah. A load yeah. of Mode Seven on it as well, isn't there? Any opportunity yeah. to get yeah. a bit of Mode Seven, like when you do the yeah. top, you do the top down levels, like um, yeah, yeah, that's right. So they they took the top down levels off of Super Contra, but they put Mode Seven in them to make to make them yeah. yeah so you actually you hear using the shoulder buttons to rotate the entire stage, yeah. which was uh, yeah. yeah. It was Ooh. odd. I think that that's that part is actually a little bit cruddy in. Uh, in this it's game. No, yeah, I yeah. don't think that's the. It's bit not that as good as the side, the side yeah, scrolling I, bits. No, I tend to agree. It's not. You can't get the proper ending either unless you play it on hard mode. Yeah, yeah. I only ever beat it on, uh, <laughs> on normal, whatever easier or normal. Yeah, yeah it same. was. Uh, it's pretty hard. Pretty hard, as that series is. At the arcades, we had uh, the Pop and Twin B scrolling shoot 'em ups and I think at least yeah, yeah, one of those came to the SNES. I was talking about it um earlier. But uh Rainbow Bell Adventures I think was Super Nintendo specific, wasn't it? It's was a platformer with using the same yeah. IP basically. It's very cute. Even and- even the sh- the the shooter uh Pop and Twinby was SNES exclusive. Um oh, it's a yeah. sort of spin off version of the arcade it's machines. A, yeah. Yeah, but it's a, it's a completely different game yeah, yeah. from De- from Detana Twinby or Bells and Whistles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. This series already existed, but this was uh, Ganbare Goemon, Yukihime Kutsutsu Amaki, but we know it as the legend of the mystical ninja. One of the most yeah. offensive localizations I can think of. Kid, Kid Yin Ying and Dr. And Yang. Dr. Yang. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but yeah. I, in in protest, I bought a uh, Japanese copy of it. Yeah. But yeah. you then miss out on 
understanding what's going on. But then you probably yeah. don't because I don't think the localization explains anything anyway. I think the <laughs> uh, the next one on the N64, they were slightly more sensitive about. Uh, but anyway, this is a fun kind of uh, multi-part, mainly side-scrolling action, but it's got yeah, various- Kind of multi-genre. Multi-genre. It's got bits of Gradius in there and all kinds of things. Yeah. Platform and beat em up, adventuring. We, yeah, we got uh, we got the sequel to Rocket Knight Adventures uh, called Sparkster. There was also a different game called Sparkster on the Mega Drive. There was a not perfect but still pretty decent fun port of Konami's famous uh, Camp Cowboy classic, Sunset Riders. Yeah, this is the yep. only uh, arcade coin op that was in my little town at this time. It was at the bowling alley. Um, so when this came to SNES, I, me and my friends were really excited about it. Um, and you, you have to play as Cormano cause he has a shotgun. So yeah. and a know, sombrero. Yeah. And, and a sombrero. Exactly. Yeah. And, a pon- uh, and a poncho. And a poncho. I couldn't believe uh, at the end of the first level when we first time we played this through the, you, you, when you beat the first boss at the end of the level, he, in the arcade version, he says, bury me with my money. And yep. that voice line made it made it over to the as we I remember me and my friend Jim literally standing up and shouting when that line came out of him. We we're like, yes, they did it. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, just it really we, we had a blast of that one. Absolute blast. Yeah. My wife yeah. bought me a, a Sunset Riders wallet for Christmas, like because Fangamer did a big run of the merch. <laughs> nice. that. And it's so got, um, yeah. And it's got it's got bury me with my money on the back of it. Like, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you need one of those, Brian. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I too. I'm. I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, that would be. I, I won't be looking for that at all on the internet right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Super Castlevania Four escaped me for years and years because I'd never played the NES games. That I assumed it was a sequel, but it's not really, is it? Because it's called Super Castlevania Four. It's a remake. Yeah, should have just been called Super Castlevania. Yeah, yeah pretty totally. much. Yeah. Uh, and then the next Castlevania game that came out on the SNES, like Vampire's Kiss, was like. A remake of the PC Engine version, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Rondo of Blood. Just confusing. Yeah, yeah lineage uh, legacy. We are yeah. again. We would love to. Obviously, we can only do fifty shows a year of Kane and Rince plus these specials. We we are we do talk about going back to the Castlevania two D series and starting at the very beginning and um, giving each game a show. But we'll see. We'll see. I did a Super Castlevania for playthrough yes. on Halloween on Kenerins' Twitch channel. It's on YouTube. And that's on the, it's on YouTube, yeah. There you go. Uh, the Adventures of Batman and Robin, I think. Uh, so they were making a lot of these kind of games of similar-ish genre in that they were creative, but they were pretty much side-scrolling, run-and-gun or run-and-punch type games. This tied in with the highly regarded animated series of the era. Obviously, it was an American Ameri- uh, animated series, but this was a Japanese video game. Um, I thought this was so cool, like um, such a such a, a neat take on on Batman. I was less interested in Robin, um, <laughs> but this was a uh, yeah, like a, a, a game with lots and lots of really cool stages, and it it embraced that Art Deco look from the from the cartoon, so it had a really sort of stylish uh, aesthetic. Just me. <laughs> Well, I, yeah. I guess I was playing that while you were you were all playing Turtles because I wasn't really a Turtles guy. I was a bit too old for yeah. Turtles. So Turtles in Time, as much as I loved the brawler of uh, scrolling beat 'em up, I gave this one a miss. Ah, it's so good! It's so good. Yes, um, it is. But we we uh, bought this one when it came out as well, and we cleared it on hard mode in one weekend. Um, so we mm. brought it back immediately, and I still beat. Yeah, for a long time I beat myself up over it because it was just so much fun to play and so probably very replayable as well so i've got a a japanese copy of this this now as well yeah 
can't remember if it's included on either the mini or the switch service but you can add it to your your mini even if it's not on there yeah and another one uh, that was again there were different games for mega drive on uh, on mega drive we had uh, buster's hidden treasure which was a fun platformer more in the mold of rainbow bell adventures but mm. on the snes we got this again really wacky multi-genre uh, yeah. sort of game Buster Bust Loose where every stage is kind of a different mini adventure some yeah. probably more successful than others no yeah I we um me and my brother played a lot of this and I'm I'm struggling to remember all the different type of genres that kind of mm. like get mashed up into this game um because I haven't played it in a while uh but Bull I fighting, remember Pie Factory Long yeah, Jump yeah I do remember things. like being like kind of overwhelmed like like even back then, licensed games, while there were the exception, um, weren't normally very good, or at least you couldn't expect a lot of quality from them. And I remember yeah. running this game and actually being surprised with the legs that we got out of it. Um, mm. But yeah, I just I, I, I have fun memories of playing with my brother, but I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> it, it really depended on what company was making these licensed games, really. Yeah. I mean, yep. if Konami right. or Capcom were making licensed games, or Sega even, then yeah, it was usually pretty decent stuff. Yeah, exactly. Suits. From the forum says, I'm currently into another Indian summer with this console. It's been permanently hooked up to my PVM for the last few months, and I've been welcoming recommendations, personal testimonials, and just trying bits and bobs out for myself. Once you get past the essential games on the platform, there's still many wonderful games to explore. This year so far, I've very much enjoyed F1 Rock, also known as Exhaust Heat, Art of the Mystical Ninja, Adam's Family Values, Mario Paint, Puzzle Bobble, UN Squadron, Final Fantasy IV, and another adventure through Yoshi's Island. The system has some very good sports games too. Often you hear that the Mega Drive had the upper hand with sports titles. Overall, this may be the case, but there's certainly a lot to represent the Nintendo system with great versions of Sensible Soccer and NHL 97. Then there's Super Tennis, Cal Ripken Baseball, and Super International Cricket, a few of my favourites. So, yeah, in the other column, uh, stop me if you want to say something about one of these. I'll just leave a pause. Jay can edit the lengthy pauses out um, and we'll just fly through as many as we can if we have something to say. Early game was Act Razor. This was, uh, uh, what was the team? It's, it's released by Enix. Enix, yeah. yeah. Uh, Quint- Quintet was Quintet. the developer. Thank you. Yeah. This is a fascinating beast and mashes up a side-scrolling sword slashing rastan style actioner yeah with a sim city style god game <laughs> it's re- it's pretty freaking great yeah mm. and the sequel yeah. chopped out the god game bit didn't it yeah it went yeah. just purely with the action action stages yeah yeah 100 percent uh, action it boasted on the box <laughs> yeah but actually <laughs> it's really interesting the the other stuff uh, yeah I think. yeah yeah Talking about licensed games, this one I only found out was actually well regarded quite recently after I got my mini, in fact, because I was looking for things to add. And Batman Returns. Yeah, I had this one. Mm. I was really sold by the spectacular sprite art as well, yeah. this game. Yep. Yeah, um, that was, yeah, was mine too. But it's kind of boring in my book. I, I bought this for full price back in the days on a, on a holiday in the UK, actually. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, I just have beef with uh, side-scrolling brawlers that don't have a uh, cooperative two-player mode, at least. Uh-huh. Yeah, There are actually a number of brawlers that were released late in this console's life that I haven't included on this list, but I, I see crop up in the sort of lower echelons of the best of SNES list. 
They were yeah. all, I think they're mainly uh, superhero based ones, but I think yep, because yeah. I'd already had Streets of Rage 2 and yeah. I'd already moved on to the next gen consoles, I think I gave most of them a miss, but there was a Spider-Man and an X-Men and, a, and yeah. various others. Yeah. The two Spider-Man ones that I think of, I put them down, down in my list later are uh, oh, Maximum, sorry, no, 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 not at all. Um, maximum Carnage and Separation mm. Anxiety. Those are two, um, basically the almost the exact same formula as Batman Returns, just like, you know, random wave of enemy, like in the, in the double dragon final fight style, but, but mm. lacking that interesting uh, factor, but, but the animations and the sprite and the art are just like fantastic uh, right. in both mm. those games. So, mm. yeah, Batman Returns has beautiful graphics as well. Um, yeah. Another beef that I had with it, just you're just fighting the exact same set of three, four enemies over and over again. Right. You know, there's oh, hardly but those, any variation there. Those clowns change color depending on the level. Yeah, <laughs> the color changes. Just yeah. like the film in that respect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, we got ports. We got. I say I had both consoles. There were ports of Earthworm Jim. Uh, one and two, but actually the consensus from the Cognoscenti is that you play the Mega Drive version of those games. Um, one of those games where the MD versions were perhaps a bit more technically adept. So yeah, uh, Suits mentioned EA Sports. Now we know that it can be a problem for a console if it doesn't have EA Sports on it. And obviously we were now at least a couple of years into the, the Madden era. Uh, I certainly played some Madden and NHL on the SNES, but I did always have that sense that these were conversions rather than the original yeah. titles. Mm. They yeah. always got slightly lower scores than the Mega Drive uh, counterparts. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. yeah, for sure. Curious. Uh, there was Equinox Solstice 2, which is a uh, European-developed isometric platformer, I'm thinking. Yeah. Arcade Adventure. Uh, software creations software right? creations yeah. indeed uh yeah. evo search for eden is one that i again i knew nothing about until relatively recently i remember seeing the box and thinking uh. okay um there's the <laughs> notorious as much as anything uh Haganay, the final conflict which which i like to torment <laughs> ben with just because it's widely regarded as one of the hardest kind of side-scrolling action games ever made it's really cool, though, because you have a stupid move list. Uh, you can do so many moves in that game. I watched a speedrun of it, uh, which is impressive. It's well, a you game can, you, you can, can probably learn. do it, then. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, That's how it no, starts. My execution. my execution is nowhere near yours, Ben. <laughs> uh, get to it before you lose those, lose those muscles. <laughs> the, uh, the Harvest Moon, now known as the Story of Seasons uh, series, began on Super Nintendo before it came to everything else ever in a million different versions and span off into uh, lots of uh, spiritual successes and imitators, the original Harvest Moon. This one mm. irritates me because I, looking back at my 12-year-old self, my 12-year-old self said, why would I want to play a game about farming? I'll pass. <laughs> and then now, as an adult who's put hundreds of hours into Animal Crossing and Stardew Valley and right. game after game after game, I'm sure yeah. I would have loved it. But yeah. never, never actually picked it up. There was a lot of, uh, they left, the early ones left a, a certain amount to be desired in terms of quality of life, shall we say. There was a lot of re repetitive busy work in the yeah. early incarnations, which I think would make them tougher to go back to. But uh, yeah, we're getting uh, re re remade versions of Friends of Mineral Town, which was, uh, I think, one of the highlights of the series. So hmm. uh, that's coming to switch, I think. Story of Seasons under that branding. Yep. 
So as well as Mortal Kombat, Midway was having massive arcade success with NBA Jam, of course. And mm. so we got some pretty decent arcade ports of NBA Jam on the SNES. The um the the original NBA Jam for the SNES was was pretty good, um, but they they released NBA Jam Tournament Edition yeah. maybe a year or two after, and that is yep. that game is still uh, my one my my one friend uh, who comes over to play sports games with me. Um, right. uh, my friend Joe, he comes over. We we always have a a lengthy session of NBA Jam Tournament Edition for yeah, the yeah. SNES. That's the version we're playing. It's a it's it's a pretty pretty great version of that game. Yeah, I still and- I still stream it, and people still. Do you know I mean, I still get loads of requests <laughs> for people to say, like, yeah. whenever I do, like, because obviously there's no sports on at the moment, I'll do like a couple of days of sports game streaming. I'll always say, "Oh, drop me a line. What do you <laughs> want to see?" Uh, like, 50, 60 percent of all the stuff I get will be a big list, and NBA Jam's nearly always on it near the top. <laughs> yeah, at least one version was biased towards the developer's favorite team believe there was some actual <laughs> there was some actual cheat code in there so that if you were about to beat his team i can't remember who it is might be chicago bulls uh it would oh, yeah. it would actually it would actually deliberately the code would kick in that it would make the the, the winning shot miss kind of thing i don't know if that's i don't know which that's a strong there. bias yeah, yeah that's bad uh toon scotoon says as a kid growing up in early 90s america who migrated between chicago and phoenix every year basketball loomed large in my life it felt particularly important in 1993 as the two teams from the cities I lived in faced off in the championship that season, which also happens to be the year this game posted up my first in my first uh, posted up first in my local arcade. Later the next year, NBA Jam dominated the cartridge slots of my friends and my Super Nintendo. Sure, it didn't have Michael Jordan or Sir Charles Barkley, sadly not British lads, in it because of licensing issues. But with the right codes, a big-headed George Clinton, yes, that George Clinton, could elbow the ball loose from any NBA star, cross the court in three turbo-aided dribbles, throw a lob to big-headed Bill Clinton, yes, that Bill Clinton, who would scrape the ceiling with his shoes as he performed a front-flip dunk all before the ball burst into flames. Is there anything more 90? (laughs) (laughs) Not really, not really. I associate Bill, um, Bill. George Clinton more with the seventies, but still, uh, we'll yeah, he was he was still around. He certainly uh, was. <laughs> Doctor Dre and uh, gangster rap, uh, made, uh, yeah, kept him relevant. Yeah, uh, Ninja Warriors again was uh, recently re-released on current gen systems as uh, what have they called it now? I forgot. Ninja Saviors, uh, yeah, one of my favourite games of of twenty nineteen. This is yeah. the just it's very similar, but this is slightly lower res original. Yeah, it's a banger, in my opinion. I I always wanted to play to get this card, but it was very hard to find as well. Yeah, yeah. it was so late and limited. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a side scrolling beat 'em up, but it's completely locked on the on the one plane, so it's not an in and out of the screen like Final Fight yeah. type of thing. But it does a lot with that, right? Oh, it does a lot. You got all these all these moves and uh, combos you can do. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a port, uh, a, a well-regarded port of one EA Mega Drive game that was Jungle Strike, which uh, for a lot of people was the pinnacle of the Strike series, even though it was only the second of five in total in that series. Six if you include uh, LAPD, whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a port of what was at the time a spectacular coin-op uh, the yep. very, very. I always found it very impenetrable and difficult to learn. Killer Instinct. You can play the arcade perfect versions of these on Xbox One now, 
But the SNES yeah. port was quite a big deal, as I recall. Yeah, and I I held off on buying it because uh, Killer Instinct was coming to the Ultra sixty four gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was but that was uh, if you went to the arcade, it would boom out to you. Available for your home in nineteen ninety four only on Ultra sixty four, <laughs> which never came to fruition, of course. Yeah, so, but I yeah. Nice memory. Or was it now nineteen? Not nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety five, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The voice said, "Yeah, it was there." Yeah, I remember Black Cartridge, right? Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so like it just stuck out in your rack of SNES games, which I assume most people had. Um, like, that's uh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's like literally like I've got like a, a drawer where it's just full of all my SNES games, and it's just just spot that a mile off. Like, None just, more black. Yeah, there you go. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Up to eleven and all uh, that. <laughs> Uh, cult RPG, JRPG, Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals gets a lot of love online, I see. As does a game called Metal Warriors, which again yeah. was late, but I, this sounds like something you'd know, McKeel. Uh, I do. I haven't played it, but I know exactly what it is. It's a uh, mech uh, side-scrolling shooter game, very mm. much in the vein of Cybernator, mm. aka Assault Suit Valken. Mm-hmm. Made by LucasArts of all people, That's but it's it. it's almost it's almost like a it looks and um, yeah it looks very Japanese actually right. it looks very much like they just wanted to make a spiritual sequel to Cybernator yeah. That's that's cool. That's uh yeah. And it it, ex- it expands on the concepts a little bit because you can actually get out of your mech and walk around like a tiny character on the screen and duck into small holes and, mm. and stuff like that. So yeah, I always wanted to get this game actually. Some Japanese turn-based strategy. I'm not sure if this one even came out in Europe. It did come out in no. US, I believe. Yeah. Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. Uh, some I know some people. I think our friend uh, Simon Cole, the Sonic Mole, is an Ogre Battle fan. I think maybe he's more about the N64 sequel, Person of Lordly Caliber, which is a great Person subtitle. of Lordly Caliber. What a yeah. subtitle. That, that's that one is. of the best. Yeah. Uh, but this is a series, again, in a world of infinite time, I would certainly uh, sit down happily and play. Yeah, I, I've got uh, March of the Black Queen on the virtual console, but I never really oh, okay. pushed through and got very far in it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. These always require a little uh, effort, I find. But once you're in, you really can get sunk in. Another European developed game right here in England. In fact, Plock, probably uh, best known now. Uh, Plock is now a comic book series with the the Pickfords, uh, the legendary uh, Pickfords, Steve and John, who I I know a little bit from social media and as the programmers of some famous 80s games. Uh, they now do, yeah, these uh, sort of graphic novels with the character because they own him. But also, this yeah. is probably as well known for anything as its uh, astonishing Tim Follin soundtrack. Yeah, and it's a very fun platformer. I bought this one back in the days, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really fun to play. It sounds amazing. Mm. Yeah, uh, Pocky and Rocky Two. We've mentioned Pocky and Rocky, a series I knew a bit less about. Uh, very Japanese indeed, in that it's actually kind of takes a lot of the cultural stuff from japan yeah. it's um folklore folklore yeah and uh ghosts and and uh tenukis and all that stuff but actually it's um it's a genre that's not hugely well represented on the console which is kind of top down shoot em up yeah i think it's the uh super nintendo's version of something like shock troopers on a neo geo yes <laughs> yeah but yeah, with a very different vibe right 
Yeah, exactly. But it's it's really fun, and there's uh, like all, all a lot of these fun co-ops co-op moves where you can uh, that you can do that you can mm. slide across the screen on your belly and and touch the other uh, character, and they go spinning out of control and start smashing into enemies and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I added these to my my mini. Uh, rock and roll racing. I never had this one. Uh, it's incredibly well known for its uh, soundtrack, which is uh, instrumental covers of rock classics. It's a sort of isometric sprint style game or skid mark. Yeah, RC program style. RC program style. Yeah, is it yeah. like did yeah. Blizz- is it Blizzard make it? Blizzard. Yeah. Yeah, Blizzard. Yeah. Yeah, nuts enough. It was Blizzard. Yeah, Blizzard uh, Interplay. They yeah, never bought it. They- They've never brought it back in the era of Overwatch and Diablo for some reason. It's uh, oh, wow. yeah, I remember this. Yeah, it was really good to be honest. It was really really yeah. random though that it had like like you say like um, instrumental versions of like uh, uh, yeah, I was Star by Deep Purple and and yeah, yeah. like Paranoid by Black Sabbath and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was quite enjoyable. So another game that I suspect we might go back to cover on the podcast in the future is, well, the next few uh, installations, uh, iterations, whatever you want to call them, sequels in the R-Type series. This is the Super Nintendo only one, although it later got a fairly disastrous Game Boy Advance port that we don't care about. Yeah. Uh, but th- this version, R-Type 3, the third lightning, uh, it's a bit of a stunner. Yeah. I think it, this might be one of the very best shoot 'em ups on the on the Super Nintendo. Not that it's saying a great deal, but there are a small library of really good games in the in the genre. It doesn't seem to. I don't recall it suffering with the issues of other games on the platform. Now, it's it is believed that this was pretty much Iron making up for uh, Super R type, yeah. showing that they could actually do something really impressive and great on the Super Nintendo. Mm. Yeah, we may yeah. come back and uh, revisit that one. Something more befitting of their legendary name, I should say. Yeah. Another fascinating case. This is an Australian developed version of a paper and pen RPG and a series that still goes to this day. And I think this has had a kind of uh, a sort of remaster on PC and stuff. This was Shadowrun. Yeah. Cyberpunk, uh, fantasy, isometric. Not necessarily the kind of game that you'd think, oh, yeah, Super Nintendo. No, exactly. It has kind of a... Um, you get a crosshair control on the screen as well that you would think, oh, this would be something you would control with a mouse, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's worth a lot as well now, isn't it? It's one of those one of those yeah. titles that's quite... Uh, I had it at the time and uh, put yeah. a bit of time into yeah. it. It's, it's, it's very kind of... I don't know. It's from that similar kind of dystopian kind of futurescape that I think Syndicate kind of plays into a little bit. Yeah. Like it's yeah. a yeah. very yeah. similar kind of... A, a very similar Beneath kind the Steel of Sky. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and you, you you wake up with uh, memory loss. Yeah. It also yeah. instantly reminded me on of uh, a flashback. Blade um, Runner, yeah. Total Recall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the I think uh, I haven't played all of them. In fact, uh, I've had some issues getting the third game in this sort of uh, trilogy. These are also quintet: uh, Soul Blazer, Illusion of Time, or also known as Illusion of Gaia, and Terranigma. The last of yeah. which came out quite late and, and immediately became hard to get hold of and expensive. The one I loved was the middle one, Illusion of Time. Uh, mm. But this is a, uh, a fondly loved trilogy that I've seen people clamoring for like a remake or remaster, re-release kind of situation. And they're kind of like in between The Legend of Zelda and an RPG, right? 
Yeah, there's elements of uh, real-time action in them. There's uh, Secret of Mana uh, sort of similarities and also uh, Oasis or Story of Thor, the Mega Drive games. They're a bit more like those, so they're not completely uh, dry JRPGs. They have certain elements of uh, real-time interaction. Uh, and they're mm. very, yeah, very sort of... Um, they have sort of the usual weighty themes of the JRPG, but they also have a certain uh, lightness of touch, I think. Yeah, I remember liking Illusion of Gaia quite a bit when I played it back then. Um, haven't revisited it in some time, though, so I'll put that back on the list for sure to go back to. I remember it to. being highly atmospheric, and it was in my first flush of JRPGs post-Legend uh, of Zelda and things like Soleil yeah. on the Mega Drive. Stunt Race FX was one of the carts that was uh, replete on board with the FX, or possibly the FX2 chip, which uh, gave the SNES a bit more pushing power for polygons but not loads <laughs> but uh, yeah it's uh this is actually a, a pretty fun racing game i think it's still enjoyable enough but it, i don't think visually it holds up terribly well no um i just remember just the incredible hype for the fx chip yeah. uh before star star fox came out yeah and just uh you know how how much we were reading features in magazine of what it could do magazines of what it could do and everything and yeah really jumped on that star fox train as well but uh yeah stunt race effects looked cute but never i never bothered with it either nah, same this is uh the dash traits money for nothing video on wheels Right. Yeah, yeah. Hal and whatever their names were delivering microwave ovens in cars. Yeah. Well, at least it didn't cost you $10,000. No, <laughs> we mentioned Super Star Wars, uh, the trilogy. Oh, what was the name of the people who made these? Forgive me. Um, it was fact, Factor, Factor 5. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it was Factor 5. Huh. Um, yeah. Anyway, the thing about these was at the time, because uh, there'd already been, I think people forget, but there had already been NES games for Star Wars yeah. and Empire. I can't, did they get as far as Return of the Jedi on the NES? No, to Empire. And yeah. I was a massive fan of the first uh, JV's, JVC yeah. uh, published uh, Star Wars game on the NES. Really loved that. That's right. So I was thinking, oh, I was so hyped for Super Star Wars. Like, oh, this is going to be even better. The graphics and the music. And the music. Yeah. And uh, we bought like this Japanese card, which I didn't know was a hacked card yeah, yeah. Uh, with invis yeah. inv invincibility set by default, which couldn't be changed. And we popped it into the uh, Super Nintendo with that with that uh, multi-region adapter, you know, that uh, that converter. And the, the the title screen came up, the John Williams score booming through the TV speakers, and we were thought we we're really in for something. And then yeah. it turned out, even though it looked very nicely nice with uh, some good some great animation on the main character mm. Luke and uh, amazing sound effects really from the film, amazing sound effects from the film, uh, uh, yeah, great sprite art, but it was just not fun to play. Um, I think if the invincibility wouldn't have turned on, you it would have made me even more aware that. You know, if you could just easily compare it to something like Contra 3 or Contra Spirits and see that it's just not, it wasn't just really well designed. Leaps you know, of you faith just, everywhere. Just, and, and leaps of, fa leaps of faith, yeah. uh, unavoidable hits, unavoidable damage. Yep. Uh, yeah, yep. bit of a mess. Totally. Bit of a mess to play. Yeah, I did buy the PS4 version just for, you know, to have one in the collection. Um, yeah. So that, that that is out there. I remember being around a friend of my then girlfriend's house watching her boyfriend play 
the final fight from the M- Super Empire Strikes Back against Darth Vader for literally about four hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't remember if he did it in the end or not. <laughs> and yes, there was also they they got us at least they got as far as Jedi with this one, and there was an indie as well, which I never played. Super Bomberman. Yeah. Now this series goes back a lot further. There were it started out on computers and uh, probably became well known at the arcades and particularly on PC Engine. But I would say this is where it hit its stride on SNES. I think there ended up being five mainline Bombermans on on SNES. Where there are only yeah. a couple on Mega Drive, maybe, yeah, uh, and I think there was a couple of spin-offs as well, um, but yes. So my beloved Saturn Bomberman uh, is That's for me phenomenal. the one is the one that mm. is 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 the Bomberman to to own all Bombermans. But uh, but if you just want some quick and dirty, simple multiplayer Bomberman fun, pr- pretty much pick any of the uh, Bombermans two to five on the SNES and. Uh, crack out the multi-tap and have a good time. Yeah, yeah, I've I've got uh, the uh, Bomberman '93 and '94, the Turbo Graphics PC Engine games on the Wii Virtual Console, and yeah. it's easy to collect. Connect five controllers to it, and you know you get five five player Bomberman on that. Mm-hmm. Gingertastic zero one says, "I need to give a special shout out to four player Super Bomberman via the multi-tap. It's probably the only game over the years that has managed to delight my parents as much as it did us." We would spend hours playing this as a family and is still one of my fondest memories of playing games. Yeah, the the finished version that is now available of uh, Super Bomberman R that you can get on the current formats uh, still brings a lot of that Bomberman fun home, it should be said. Mm. Super Double Dragon, again, this is one that uh, we did talk about actually on the double yeah. one of the Double Dragon podcasts, but uh, I would say again a bit from... Maybe this is just my lack of knowledge, but a bit of a, an obscure treat that I kind of had ruled out of, of being any cop. But you, I think you were, Mikhail, you were advocating for it. Yeah, me and, and James uh, advocated for it. Mm. And maybe me, James even more than me because of all the old uh, Double Dragon games, that was the one he enjoyed the most. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, we got this as a Christmas present, uh, even though we didn't really ask for it. Uh, but we had a lot of fun with it. It's, uh, I think it's certainly nostalgic looking back at this game now and the music mm. and the particular graphics and everything. Uh, but I think this game needed a little bit more time in the oven because it's a great game at its core. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just missing something like uh, some really interestingly designed uh uh, confrontations with enemies and, uh, right. and some more int- interesting levels but the fighting system is actually really cool where you can uh, sort of uh, you, you can have these holds where you uh, grab the enemy's limbs when they attack you and then start uh, yeah, uh, yeah, lightning kicking them in the face and stuff it's probably easier than the one you beat on stream as well. oh for sure <laughs> we, beat, we, we beat, beat this one over and over again yeah, yeah. Um, the Firemen, I remember coming in Super Play late on, and I've uh, added it to my uh, mini because it's a little curio. It's a kind of top-down scrolling action game where you play as firemen and you actually put out fires. So it's this kind of proto-burning rangers in some way. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Lion King, we mentioned licensed action platformers. Uh, it's got some yeah. brutal parts in it, but it's you know it's pretty well produced and uh, and made in a lot of ways. Yeah. If you like, the played this. Uh, played, we, I played this on the on the PC at the time, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it recently yeah. came out. There was a, a collection, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lion King and Aladdin games. That that uh, dream sort of section with all the multicolored uh, jungle animals mm. just uh, ra- made me rage like crazy. Like where you <laughs> yeah. had to hang hang off of a hippo's tail yep. and, oh, and the, the, worst. the head yeah. the hitbox was just like. You know, seemed so inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 claw hanging off the edge of anything was always the one that like would tip me over the edge in the Lion King game where I just had to put it down <laughs> and walk away. Just like if you see Simba's yeah. claws miss the incredibly tight window one last time, it's like, all right, let's go do something yeah. else. F this mess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. Uh, they, they incorporated quite a lot of Hans Zimmer's soundtrack into the uh, into the cartridge, I believe, on probably in fairly impressive form on the SNES. Uh, the Lost Vikings was certainly not an exclusive, but it seems to be that it's mostly associated with the Super Nintendo for some reason. Was that Blizzard? Yeah, too? Maybe like well, yeah, that was Blizzard. also Blizzard, yeah, yeah, and Interplay. So maybe because of that, uh, yeah. uh, rock and roll racing sort mm. of connection. Yeah, uh, interesting platformer puzzler is kind of the sort of thing I associate with um, home computers more than consoles. But uh, yeah. There was a there was takeoffs from that in uh, World of Warcraft because like there's the three Vikings in there and that the Eric Olaf and whatever the other guy's name is and uh, um, yeah one of them's ba- Bell, yeah, yeah one of them can run one of them's got a sword and one of them's got a shield right and like uh, yeah like those one like the boots and the sword and the shield come up as items in World of Warcraft when you're questing at kind of right. certain levels yeah. there's like a Lost Vikings like quest line where you can do different things and get all those so there's quite a few bits like that. Speaking of home computers, the incarnation of the licensed Lotus Turbo Esprit games, famous, most famous on probably on the Amiga, but also came to Mega Drive, uh, turned up on SNES as Top Gear 2. Yeah. I didn't bother with this. Top because... Gear 1 and 2, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think we borrowed it off a friend. It was decent. Yeah. But uh, felt a little bit old, old fashioned at the yeah, time. That's, yeah, that's, um, yeah. I had the original Top Gear. Not, I didn't, okay. never, not, not Top Gear 2, but I remember enjoying it quite a bit for what it was, but. Mm-hmm. And the current uh, Horizon Chase Turbo is sort yeah. of yeah. developed as a spirit- yeah. spiritual sequel to Lotus Esprit and uh, Top Gear 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that game's fun. I've been playing a lot of that lately. Oh, okay. That was PS yeah. Plus uh, a few months ago. Yeah. Umihara Kawase is a game I didn't really know until recently. I played it then at the National Video Game Museum in Sheffield mm-hmm. in England, which is currently closed and needs financial support if anyone's listening uh, would like to make sure that they reopen uh, check out them online um this is a puzzle platformer uh yeah with a rope and yeah, like a, fi- a fishing rod with a hook on well yeah, i suppose it is because all the collectibles are fish and all the enemies are fish it's it's yeah. it's very odd and very yeah. japanese if i can use that lazy kind of descriptor yeah uh but um it uh like Tanya, who isn't that much of a gamer, saw me saw this in the museum and saw me playing it and was immediately like, Oh, I like this. This is really cool. Like it's got it's got something about it. And I saw some video online saying that because it's really long and hard and got no save mode, some guy had yeah. it on for about yeah, yeah, yeah. fifteen years or whatever. This is what the game sort of what brought notoriety to, to the game. Yeah. Uh this this news article of this this guy just keeping his Super Nintendo switched on uh yeah, for, for uh over yeah. a decade. At least a decade, yeah. over a decade, yeah. yeah. Uh, Unirally is an interesting one because after the first 300,000 or so units were made, they had to stop making it, manufacturing yeah. it. Unirally or Uniracers, 
it's a pretty fun uh sort of stunt based very fast i think it was a might have yeah. been 60 fps side scrolling yeah. sort of trick and um yeah yeah uh you can play it one or two players unfortunately pixar decided that any animated unicycle was a ripoff of their animated unicycle wow. and so did the judge so yeah huh. what an incredibly specific intellectual property to have yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the lawyer's getting hold of that. Yeah. Well, we've got the old animated unicycle uh, market sewn up here, Dave. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah that, that's exactly what Unbelievable. happened. Unbelievable. Uh, and I can uh, verify the story because uh, Nintendo published this game in Europe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in the, uh, the, 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 the storage in uh, Großestheim in Germany is just packed full of uh, still of boxed copies of uh Unirally no. so I, I bought a copy in the uh one of the storage uh, clinic hmm. clearance sales yeah, yeah. I've, I've had a copy of Uniracers for years i absolutely love this game um it's like yeah. it's it's one of those amazing like the amazing sense of speed games like when when you're actually hitting yeah. these loops and these kind of like downhill swings and stride and yeah, holding the yeah. lnr button to do your flips and your trick like like you can really get that thing chugging to a point where you feel like you are just absolutely flying out of control it, yeah it's a blast yeah. I, I love that game it's kind of like a, so- a sonic yes. uh, the hedgehog racing yeah, game absolutely yeah. 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 and yep. uh, yeah. i think hello games when they made joe danger i think they had a bit of unirally universes yeah. in mind as yeah. well yeah. uh yes you can still find the rom if not one of those physical copies so uh, it's it's possible to experience it and finally, I just wanted to mention another Lucas game, which was Zombies, also known as Zombies Ate My Neighbors. And there was a sequel too called Ghoul Patrol. Uh, these yeah. are, yeah, I think these are still, these are a lot of personality, um, sort of gauntlet yeah. style. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, basically, yeah. you know, um, like the Nightmare Before Christmas meets Gauntlet a little bit kind of there. It's, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I love Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Um, it's actually, I think the cart is still relatively valuable now these days. Mm. I don't think they made a ton of them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun little, um, uh, fun little top down kind of, you know, running around the yard, avoiding the zombies, getting the, the your, you know, your weapons and your power yeah. and stuff. It's, it's a very cartoony. Time. Yes. Yes. Mm. I bought a European copy at the most recent convention visit that I did, which was, uh, stupidly priced down in a, one of those rare cases where the seller doesn't know what they're selling. Right. So, and, uh, we streamed it not too long ago, me and my kids on a uh, Sunday morning. Ah. Sweet. Yeah. Alex79UK says, some of my other favorites on the system were SimCity, Sensible Soccer, Street Racer, and of course, Super Mario Kart. My brother and I came to literal blows several times <laughs> while sitting and playing Mario Kart Battle Mode and other games for hours on end. In what is not one of my finer moments, I remember having a fight with him one day whilst playing Sensible Soccer and him saying something to me along the lines of, well, I can beat you in real football any day. And I came back with, so what? Name one game you're better than me at. Go on. You can't, can you? Oh, dear. <laughs> there is nothing about the SNES I'd changed. It looked incredible at the time and still does. It was the pinnacle of 16-bit gaming in my eyes. What a great library of games. What a great console. I love the SNES. We always like to check in on some of the notorious turkeys. Normally, we have less experience of these because most of us were a bit clued up. I'm always interested to hear. Please jump in if you ever played any of these. <laughs> I'm, balls I'm 3D. Sal- 
I was going to say, I'm salivating at the first one. Okay, go Balls ahead. Balls 3D, <laughs> yeah. which, which, don't, which, which... Don't salivate too much. Dan Clark, Dan Clark was, uh, was actually kind of standing for on the Mega Drive show as being <laughs> worthwhile. Brian, are you going to do the same? Um, no, I'm not at all. It's terrible. But I, um, uh, my aunt, my Aunt Margie, who's a wonderful woman, just knew I was into video games. Oh. So she must have gone to like the Walmart bin and I got a box copy of Balls 3D. And I just remember my father looking at her... It was. I must have been turning twelve or thirteen and being like, "Did you just buy your nephew a, a game called Balls 3D?" And then she didn't quite know what it was. I think she thought it was a sports game, but yeah, Balls I played the through Z. the. Yeah, exactly. I um, yeah, I I actually played quite a bit of it because it was one of those situations where it was a game I had, so you might as well play it at that age. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's real bad. It's real bad. But it's um, <laughs> I remember you could you could even execute some special moves where like your you, your little character who was made of balls would turn himself into a little ball tornado and spin around. Like it was, it's it was real rough. But um, I have very fond memories of that birthday dinner table of my parents just laughing at my aunt and everybody just laughing about the fact that she bought that for a kid. It was it was pretty good. That poor woman. Yeah, <laughs> she's a wonder. <laughs> she's a wonderful woman. It's just, uh, it just she 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 tried her best. It was pretty good. Batman Forever, not to be confused with Batman Returns. So if you like... The- Is that the the odd one with the Digidest yeah. uh, sprites yeah. where they sort of yep. try to put the fighting system of, of Mortal Kombat into a side-scrolling platform action-adventure game? Right. A movie tie-in that I'd never heard of, but I was watching a video and it said, don't play Baby's Kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if the film ever came out, even over here. Uh, some briefly popular 90s comedian no okay uh, another one i don't know captain novelin came up on a few this lists. was an educational game oh, about oh, okay. diabetes yeah oh right about diabetes yeah <laughs> about what about diabetes Amazing. that's the who's he idea actually is that? he's 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 a superhero that needs to take insulin shots so yeah <laughs> unbelievable he's actually kind of a, wow. yeah who wrote this I atari not, never heard of it not yeah. yeah. Terrible. <laughs> Screams Atari that does done it. You get to an arcade machine yeah. and there's four syringes. <laughs> Motion controlled. <laughs> there was a tie-in to the mid-90s Casper reboot movie. Now, I'm not one for hyperbole or absolutes, as you know, but I refuse to believe that there has ever been a worse video game made than Home Improvement Power Tool <laughs> Oh, it's really bad. Oh, yeah, it's bad. I was considering um, streaming that for uh, the Canaan's Twitch channel just oh, for a couple do. episodes. I think that could be a lot of fun. Uh, it's yeah. oh, it's it's. I I own that. I own the cartridge. I'm looking at it Whoa, right now. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. What happened I got to it you? At a gar- I got it at a garage sale. <laughs> what do you want me to do? A garage sale home improvement game for a dollar? I, yeah, fair well, I'm not going to say no. Has it got Wilson in it and and the other Al? And if if you think that I've played this for more than five minutes to check if it worked, then does you Tim Allen make that noise? <laughs> um, I think there's a digital version of a good uh, at the beginning. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. one impression that was. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of us, you know, you, we learned that in America school. That was you know, stunning. Really? The Tim Allen noises. I saw this show quite it. a bit, but I don't think I ever. I only ever saw him make that noise at the end on yeah. the credits did yeah. he ever actually do it on the program i don't know I has don't it know. got a level about the one where his kid gets cancer <laughs> probably wow that's probably the did that happen level, or did i know? make that up i don't know it probably happened probably a very special comes. episode yeah. pamela, yeah. I swear <laughs> pamela anderson was in home improvement wasn't she the first, she was the first yeah. season she, oh, I mean, yeah that they talk about that 
all the time. She, oh, it's it's so stupid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because there was a, a conversion of Pit Fighter, it inevitably appears on the, um, the list. Yeah. Uh, race yeah. driving. Uh, that that is the Super Nintendo port of hard drive. Here we go. Well, there oh, was an, go. Okay. It was an arcade machine as well, race driving. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a sequ- ah, arcade right. sequel. Oh, but this okay. you can't do a polygon driving game on the SNES without an FX chip, can you? Yeah, <laughs> that's what they did. Power PowerPoint presentation frame rate would be uh, yeah. overselling it. <laughs> Terrible. Another one I'd not um, ever heard of until researching for this show but i suspect this uh you might know more about this mikhil or ben this is rap jam volume one it's not a rap jam game it's a basketball game hmm no No, never heard of that anyway i think i I think i avoided that look it up (laughs) (laughs) um of course because there was a version of rise of the robots they took they took the laserdisc don bluth science fiction coin-op space ace and turned it into a apparently unplayable platformer mm. there was one of dragon's lair as well for the super nintendo that was all right that one I was think. better regarded yes much better yeah yeah uh, this game was so well loved it recently got a remake and a re-release on unbelievable Switch. i know no, it's not a re- it's it's not a remake it's a it's just uh, another game with the same name it yeah, it's like Shaq Fu, The Legend Returns or something. It's a very bad okay. uh, be- side-scrolling beat-em-up instead so of... So in it's an accurate homage. A fighting game. Yeah. Oh, okay. Shaq Fu is a fighting, is a fighting yes, game yeah. made by uh, Paul Cuisset and Delphine uh, after they did Flashback. Gets, gets a bit of a, of a rap as one of the worst games ever made, which I think is unfair. Okay. I mean, it's... It's a it's a well crafted, lovingly created bad game. That's what it is. There was yeah. an equally bad Super Nintendo basketball game called Michael Jordan and Chaos in the Windy City. Oh, that and that was a platformer. Yeah, that was a platformer. Yeah, so I I think yeah. Shaq Fu gets a little undue criticism when that game was an at least at best an equal amount of a piece of garbage <laughs> than Shaq yeah, Fu. Yeah. And again, I don't I yeah. want to say piece of garbage. It's being very um reductive and there are a lot of people that worked very hard on those games but i mean it was right in the it was right in the, seriously but it was right in the middle yeah, of like sure. shack fever in the united states i mean you couldn't escape him he was everywhere and and so this is he had a he had a rap album and a video game come out in the same year so you know i mean i guess yeah. it was just it was the year of shack and he was the unofficial uh fourth member of the rap group the fushnikas the fushnikas where, yeah. where yeah. where his uh shack food nickname yep. came from yep and then uh, he released an, a rap album called shack diesel that God so, yeah i i owned it proud owner i'm sure i could dig it up somewhere yeah but. a lot of dirt coming out it's mad you talked about nba it's mad you talked about nba jam earlier though because it's like all the people who they couldn't afford the licenses for all just made their own games that were largely right. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. What a Charles Ch- Charles Barkley. What was Barkley Shut Up and Jam, wasn't it? Shut Up and Jam. Shut yeah. Up and Jam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our last yeah. four on the turkeys list are all licenses. We've got The Wizard of Oz. I didn't even know about that one, uh, but I've watched a bit of footage and I don't want to play it. <laughs> Staggeringly enough, the tie-in game with Time Cop. Oh, God. I bet that was garbage. <laughs> Is not is not well regarded, <laughs> nor is Ultraman towards the future. Was that the first Ultraman game that came out very early? I don't know. Because I, I have no idea. I, I've I'm never heard of that. Fairly one. sure. Uh, I'm fairly sure. Um, 
I've played that. It's like a uh, very primitive fighting game in which you only have like two moves. I associate all Ultraman games with being rubbish, but I don't know if that's accurate <laughs> or fair. <laughs> And finally, Wayne's World. I have yes. that one too. Same yeah. garage yeah. cell. The same garage cell that I got home improvement. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah, yeah. They saw you day. coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this is uh, sort of the exemplary, badly designed Western platformer. You know, with levels that stretch just in every direction, <laughs> yeah. and with in- uh, like infinitely uh, repeating tile sets, and you have no idea where you are, and then. You finally find the exit to the level, and the next level looks exactly the same, oh, yeah. just with a, a, a different random mis- mismatch of, uh, of of platforms and uh, constructions. It was basically yeah. the, like, what did we not learn from the NES Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure game? Let's apply all of that logic <laughs> to the Wayne's World Super <laughs> Nintendo game. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad some of us had some of those. Uh, <laughs> right. We, uh, we've gone very long, so we just need to check in with a few more key titles that were personally important to us uh, starting with ben you've got uh, a game that was known by a different name in america which i can't remember space defense force or something space mega force space mega force uh, yeah. that's it yeah. super elite yeah. better yeah uh, a cracking uh yes. dad, dad 90s but fantastic for it um scroll and shoot them up uh vertically scroll and shoot them up yeah. really good yeah. made by uh toho, toho. i want to say yeah mm. he's got that voice at the start hasn't it that presented oh. by toho yeah. uh, it's really good uh, it, it's uh it's published by toho but it's uh, actually created by a uh, compile oh, okay so it follows on from there last oh, yeah. 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 Uh, there was yeah there was yeah. a master system one as well and a mega drive one yeah i am um, yeah power strike my, my yeah. friend who had uh it was one of the greatest street fighter 2 players i ever played against um had street fighter 2 and this for ages for about a year basically and uh i uh, had a few different games and i i lent this off him and yeah i just it's one of those things where if you haven't got a lot of games you just invest so much into it and i, I played this in an absolute boatload it's like for me it's one of the best uh, shoot 'em ups on the snes really like everything soundtrack's yeah. fantastic plays really well weapon systems dead good bosses are cool like it's Yes, it's- I definitely finished this one. I just uh, going back to it now. I did add it to my mini. Just find some of the levels are a bit long. Yeah, it has that uh, compile thing where, it, uh, which you also find, for example, in Gunhead or Blazing Lasers mm. on the uh, PC Engine, where some levels are really short and some of them yeah. are really long. They they all really vary in length. Yeah, uh, curious. yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. But really fun, though. I agree. And I, if Ben would have me- would not have mentioned this game, I would have. This is, yeah, I, I was considering putting it on my list. So this next game is a future sport set in the far-flung, crazy, sports-mad year of 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of 2020. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The crazy thing yeah. is, if you look at the Super future. Baseball 2020, all the... Uh, yeah. All the crowds are like uh, all under glass domes. I mean, you won't get away with that now, would you? Ah. <clears throat> but uh, this was on mm. the uh, Neo Geo originally, mm. uh, the mm. AS, yeah. and then there was a uh, a Mega Drive uh, and a SNES version. And uh, I had the the SNES version. It was one of those yeah. one of those weird games that like uh, I used to go through. As, as imagine a load of people did my age. I, a load of my games were secondhand, and there was a a shop not under the uh, bus station where I used to get in, and they um, you'd pay like take a game in that you'd finished, you'd pay three quid and swap it for another one. And this was in for ages. And I just kept thinking to myself, I'm going to pick this up. And I did. And and I, I don't think I ever got rid of it. Like, it's just, you can put a lot of time into it. Like, you can have, like, a full season and, like, you you can power up, like, your players as well. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really good. It's really, it's like baseball really well done. 
And uh, another arcade. I did, don't really remember ever seeing the SNES version of this because I was a fan of the coin-op. Um, and there was a, there was also a sort of hentai version of the coin-op. Of course there was. I don't know how how uh, how <laughs> nudie uh, specific the SNES version of Side Pocket was. Yeah, not really. Not, I mean, you, not really. You know, yeah, you're playing pool to uh, to uh, win the affections of a woman who looks a bit like uh, Glenn Close, quite uh, unfortunately. Mm. But um, in mm, Fatal Attraction, yeah. But it's got the crazy thing is it's got all the uh, it's got all the trick shots, which are loads of fun to do, and the, the, the very improbable, incredibly improbable trick shots where you're like trying to jump the cue ball over pint glasses. Uh, and stuff like that, but yeah, it's it's like the soundtrack's really good as well. I streamed this the other night for a bit of a laugh, and yeah, it's it's, it's still a, it's still remarkably playable. And do you know what? The physics isn't mm. that bad either, to be honest. No, but no, it's only when the balls slow down that you go, oh, that's weird. But yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm a fan. Magic Sword, another. This, this is Capcom converting their own coin up, presumably. Yeah, they, they did quite a lot of these, didn't they? Like there was this and mm. King of Dragons, weren't there? And they did Knights of the Round, and yeah, I loved Magic Sword. Had that like. It was kind of a halfway house between uh, what they'd go on to do later with the Dungeons and Dragons scrolling beat 'em ups that had more of a uh, an RPG kind of bent to them and and kind of that King of the Dragons kind of a uh, thing. But this was a bit more platformy as well. So it played a bit like uh, yeah. played a bit like uh, Black Tiger a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Black Tiger. Yeah, no, but you got like companions who did different spells. Yeah, I was a big uh, yeah, I was a big fan of this. I th- I had the uh, American I had an American version of this, and yeah, me and my uh, I used to play this with my brother quite a lot. I always love the uh, the coin up version. That's just so so loud and so noisy, going ooh yeah, ooh yeah, ooh yeah, all the time. <laughs> I'm a fan of this next one, uh, Hebereki's Popoon, with uh, Jennifer the Weird Fish who sicks up milk. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the key thing about this Puyo Puyo style game is that the the counter weighting on every fight is absurd. So you just have these ridiculous ding dong battles. Yeah, it's mm. like if you were. It's something like there's four colored tiles, and if you were yeah. depending on how many different colored tiles you blow up in a combo, you do a progressively more powerful attack from uh, from like I say, throwing a couple of things over to throwing a wall of things over yeah. to then doing ridiculous things like like you say, drop like uh, dropping a sixteen ton hammer on your own thing so it clears the entire thing out, nice. or uh, freezing your opponent's blocks so they can't move them. Loads of stuff like that. yeah, but I'd, I'd really random, but um, I, I uh, yeah, I love this. It's just loads quirky, cute characters. Sunsoft, right? Sunsoft, yeah. 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 There was a sequel which uh, came to SNES and also the next-gen systems called Popoito. Yeah. Uh, But it wasn't quite as good. No. Heberica was a a Sunsoft IP, all those little weird characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, they're they're still around, actually. Uh, A friend of mine has used the the eShop, the Switch Japanese eShop, to play some more recent games featuring these self-same Sunsoft Heberica characters. Uh, yeah. including yeah the super cute ones and the slightly weird off kilter ones. Really cool stuff. I want I want this as well. I think it was uh, Japan and Europe exclusive. This never came to the US. Seems quite likely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A uh, bit too weird for those Americans. <laughs> I bet Weapon Lord came out everywhere though. Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit, I, the crazy thing with this was like was all the hidden stuff. Like for a game at the time. Like uh, people yeah. had, you were used to maybe the Mortal Kombat's where characters would have like a, one finishing move and, and a few other bits and pieces. Like in Weapon Lord, everybody had about six. It was so strange because like you could you could interrupt them into other things. So you'd win the you'd win a uh, it was a one on one fighting game, weapon based one. But like uh, you'd win a, a fight and then 
you just have a, a multi-part, and they, they weren't hard to do either, but you had a big multi-part, like, fatality. It was so weird, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it was one of those yeah. ones that I never saw. It came out, and then all of a sudden it was cheap straight away, presumably, I imagine, mm. just because it yeah. didn't sell very well. Um, but, yeah, I really... Um, yeah, I really, I really got a lot out of this. I played it. I played it an awful lot. Uh, I have a little bit of history behind this game, oh, yeah. actually. Uh, so it was uh, designed by uh, ex Capcom USA guy uh, D James, who was also the uh, uh, you know the, the the guy who was instrumental in uh, the design of the character DJ for Super Street Fighter Two. Right. And they were kind of him and his uh, guys were sort of like tournament players for Street Fighter, and mm. they wanted to make a game that was really geared towards uh, tournament players. That's why it's incredibly complex for a 2D fighter of the time. So you got all these parries and push blocks and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like di- disarming. And uh, it's just really a lot that goes into that. It tra- takes proper studying to take to be yeah. good at this game. And it's there's a combo system in there that's really weird. Like the, the fatalities that Ben was talking about, you can actually uh, split your opponent's skull open launch the brain into the air and then start juggling the brain at the end of the match and just keep going on it. There's ridiculous combo movie combo uh, movies on YouTube of this game as, as well. Set the uh, set the tone for the later Mortal Kombat and also was possibly a spiritual predecessor to the Soul Edge series. Kind of, kind of because it was uh, published by Namco, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for those, Ben. Brian, you've got some uh, some sports in your yeah. your mix cuz uh, you, you like me although it tends to be you're slightly more in the in the US sports direction. Uh, you like a sport game? Yeah. What was good I, on the SNES? The SNES had some had some interesting ones. A lot of the other heroes that I was going to talk about, we we kind of talked about up above uh, beforehand. And um, uh, Super Bowling uh, is literally the most generic title for a game to come out on the Super Nintendo. Every almost every major sport got a Super something. Yeah. You know, um, but Super Bowling itself was a really interesting, um, like a really cartoony game. It was like an arcade bowling game. There wasn't much you can do. There was no campaign. There was no career, no anything. It was pretty much just straight bowling. Ten pin, um, yeah, yeah, ten pin bowling, and uh, it's where I first learned, like you could adjust the oil on the lanes and the the weight of the ball. And I when I first learned what a turkey was, getting three strikes in a row. Yeah, and um, <laughs> my brother and I, we actually we'd gotten into this game so much that we um we would change the oil levels and we would we would use graph paper to chart our games and like have long <laughs> tournaments against one another. It was a it was an absolute blast. Um, uh, so I wanted to make that up. Um, also, uh, the same day we got that, because these were both bargain bin games, um, was uh, Jack Nicholas Golf for the mm. SNES. And the thing I really uh, liked about that, it was the first time that I ever, um, on on the SNES, like, it was attempting to simulate actual golf, like, in, like, like you, you saw your golfer, you were looking down the fairway, it was no longer that top-down NES Open version of golf. And I just remember being blown away by that, and, and just kind of the potential of where games could go. Uh, from that perspective, so I we we played a lot of that. Um, I also put down here the uh, SNES version of Doom. It was a big um, deal for a lot of people because if yeah. you couldn't afford a PC, it was a way of playing a passable version of Doom. It was the first time I ever played beyond the shareware level right. of Doom. This had um, FX on board, didn't it as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's looking back at it now. I mean, it's just it's a it's a hot pixel mess um mm. but uh the music's there and the music sounds good and um it's also uh being a 12 year old and being able to play doom it was also a red cartridge which um what definitely Ooh. made me yeah very <laughs> fancy i'm looking at it right now over to my left i don't um, think it was over here i i 
pretty sure that the PAL version was not a different coloured plastic, but hmm. I wouldn't swear to it. Let me know, listener, if you know. It's, well, then it couldn't couldn't have been nearly as good then, obviously, nope. as we no. know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tecmo Super Bowl three. Um, so obviously yeah, because you love football. You love the earlier versions of these, right? Yes. Uh, NES games. And and so Super Tecmo Bowl was on uh, was on the NES. It was the second one of those. So Tecmo Super Bowl three. They made three Tecmo Super Bowls for the Super Nintendo. And, oh wow! And okay. Three was the one that really um, a lot of people credit Madden with the advancement of the football simulation game because mm. te- these games are definitely more arcadey in the sense that you could score a lot higher than like say a regular game would score. Um, but this is the first game I ever remember having um, creating your own player. Um, you could you could make your own player and like uh, and draft them to get their stats oh. higher. Um, and that that those um, features went on to be like highly. Um, Highly used in, in the future American football simulation. So I think it was an incredibly influential game and also had really some pretty amazing graphics for the time, too. Mm. And um, last but not least, it's yeah. probably my favorite sports game for the uh, for the, uh I SNES. saw this one crop up on a few just, you know, greatest SNES game lists. Oh, it's just, it's just incredible. Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball. So just to, to briefly tell a story about it. Um, so Nintendo owned the Seattle Mariners. The, the baseball team, the American huh? baseball team that Ken Griffey Jr. played for. Right. And Ken Griffey Jr. happened to be a gigantic star. He was, you know, he, he was one of the, the most dynamic players in the league. Um, so naturally, they were going to make a game featuring their star player. However, this was back in the days before, um, like, the Major League Baseball Players Union was kind of on on board with everything. So the only actual Major League player in this game is Ken Griffey Jr. Right. There are no other players. So... So every every um every other team there's all the other teams in the league but they all have fake player names and they're all themed. Yeah. So like so the Texas Rangers for example is all like Wild West characters so like yeah, their first baseman is Ooh. W Erp and their third baseman is P Via, you know what I mean like dumb things like that and it was really cartoony and fun. Which was the, the game with Bobson and... Dugnut in? Was that this one? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um you also had um No uh, way. Yeah. So um so yeah, it's just this game, it was also on top of everything. It was a really, really well-made baseball game, and it was a ton of fun to play. You could play an entire 162 game season if you wanted to. You could play shortened versions of the season. It tracked all your stat. It was just a fantastic baseball game, and and probably close to one of the most hours I've ever put into a video game. My brother and I would just play season after season after season of this game. It really had legs for us. So those are most of my kind of deeper cuts. Carl Dandleton. <laughs> yeah. Willie um, Dustis. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's, yeah. that is one of the greatest. I, I saw that meme so many times, and I, yeah. I'm not sure how it became a, a thing, <laughs> but uh, that is a really funny list of names. Yeah, yeah that's really... <laughs> and you got to think, like, by the time they're coming up with, like, the 25th, 26th yeah. entire team names, like, well, what are we going to do this? Like, oh, just come up with the two most ridiculous words. You can come up with a sentence. This will be this guy's name. And- uh, right. Okay, which brings us to Mikhail with a few uh, other niche, obscure, and fun titles that we've yet to even mention. Yeah, uh, first up, Super Adventure Island. Um, yeah, basically sort of a more modern reworking of the concept of the original Wonder Boy, mm. complete with skateboard skateboard and uh, stone hatchets. Yeah. Uh, very, very friendly, tropical adventure-looking uh, game, uh, lush sprite art, and a super funky Yusuke Kashiro soundtrack. Mm. So yeah, 
it's uh you know not not the most um involved and uh, uh deep platformer but uh, a, d- a ton of uh, simple fun i think yeah parodious nonsense fantasy yeah do i do i really need to say more just uh, it's a straight port right of the coin up yeah it's a port of parodious da yeah 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 so yeah it's just uh Really funny, really charming, uh, really nonsensical. Uh, Technically runs better than Gradius 3 as well. Definitely, much better, yeah. So that that kind of take on uh, on Gradius. Um, Sunrio World Smash Ball. Um, I saw this game originally back in uh, Nintendo Magazine System, where they were covering it as an import game, and they called it Fishpuck. Uh, (laughs) And um, yeah, it's it's a... Sort of um, windjammer style uh, air hockey game with uh, Hello Kitty characters in there of uh, the world of Sa- Sanrio, and it's surprisingly good. It's actually really, really, really good. Uh, it's it's a bit simple mechanically, uh, but it's fast, frantic. You got a super shot that you can build up, and the real fun comes in with all the weird uh, levels with all the sort of Arkanoid style blocks that you can break and power ups you can get in those uh, in there. Like really superb two player fun. Mm. Uh, the Adams Family Pugsley Scavenger Hunt is a game barely anyone ever talks about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a simple but very challenging uh, Mario-style hop and bop platformer to kind of um, shout for a European-developed platform game. No, but it's a really good one. Uh, maybe a little bit too unfair in places, you could say. But uh, you know what? The, what is there is is really good, and it's. Highly polished, like uh, really lovely, lush graphics, and uh, yeah, spectacular score as well. Um, yeah, is, if you just like si- simple jumping and running and uh, jumping on thing things, I would uh, recommend is the it. original Adams Family. That was also quite well regarded at the time. Yeah, I like that a lot as well. Uh, it's it's more. Uh, it's like a uh, that that one is more like a almost exploration-based Metroidvania-style game. I had the uh, Amiga version, yeah. Yeah, and the interesting thing, going back to that one nowadays, is that it's actually not item-gated at all. all. So it's completely skill-gated. Like, you need to become better to access the more difficult areas, (laughs) uh, which is a very interesting uh, concept now that everybody's doing Metroidvania games that are purely item-gated. So, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a refreshing game to go back to, actually, that Mm. one. Yeah. And uh, Capcom Disney? Yeah, Capcom Disney's Goof Troop, a uh, really fun puzzle adventure game, two-player, in which one character controls Goofy and the other one controls his son, Max. And uh, we streamed it recently, me and my kids, and I forgot to mention that I suspect this Shinji Mikami programmed game yeah. um, is, I, I think that he sort of just took the license and wanted to actually make sort of a sp- spiritual sequel to pirate ship higamaru because it has the pirate theme going on it has the barrel picking up and the barrel throwing in there uh i think it's very much a sort of uh, expansion on the pirate ship higamaru concept with uh, a disney license oh, thrown on top cute. of it yeah really cute very uh very recommended as well more turtles turtles yeah turtles tournament fighters uh, i think is one of the best uh, straight up one-on-one fighting games you can play on the super nintendo that's uh, originally developed for it um 
plays more like an SNK uh, fighter than a Capcom yeah. fighter with four four face buttons and it has a super bar meter. Very very early example of that sort of you, you can build up a bar to unleash mm. a super attack. There are a couple of yeah, uh, I- decent SNK one on one fighting ports on the SNES as well, aren't there? That we haven't mentioned. Yeah, There's an art of fighting possibly a fatal art Fury. of fighting, a Samurai Showdown, yeah. uh, Fatal Fury as well. Fatal Fury two, two yeah. is supposed to be quite decent. Yeah, decent. There's probably better ways to play them now because. You can just yeah, play the, exactly. I would play the I would just defer to the Neo Geo versions yeah. uh, instead of getting. However, if you were building parts. a collection, yeah, yeah, something to consider. But Tournament Fighters is uh, Konami at the top of their game on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty damn. Who does the roster include beyond the turtles, the villains, and yeah, but all sort of Shredder is there, but he's sort of like Cyber yeah. Shredder. Red King. There's a shark shark with legs in there. Armagon. Oh, okay. Uh, Red King is an unlockable boss character. He's very overpowered, yeah. I think. Um, Neither of them two are the last war, boss, are they? War is sort of... Uh, like yeah, Karai no. the last boss, I remember, right? Yeah, she's also really uh, overpowered. overpowered. Yeah. Mm. War, which is a, sort of a spiky purple alien thing. Uh, Chrome Dome, who is an interesting character concept as well. He's like a cross between Delsim and uh, Zangief. Uh, you know, he has stretchy limbs, but he can grab you and do spinning pile drivers in the legs. So very interesting character concept as well. Um, yeah, really cool. And actually, people still play this game at uh, tournaments, at uh, fighting game tournaments on, yeah. on the site. Right. And there is a patched, uh, rebalanced uh, scene created uh, yeah, hack of this game as well that's actually now the, the tournament game of choice. Amazing. Very interesting stuff. Now, uh, this, was, this next one is another one that I'd always kind of ruled out based on the name just being annoying. Yeah, it's annoying. Uh, I remember <laughs> Superplay uh, lavishing praise on this game and saying, if you hate clowns, you need to play this game because the um, amount of punishment the main clown character takes in this game is, <laughs> ma- is, is yeah, out of this world. And I played this, this with... Kemco. Yeah, Kemco. And I played this game just to refresh my memory before the show today with my son uh, taking turns grabbing the controller. It's really fun. It's an isometric run down the screen sort of platform obstacle mm. game in which you need to create, uh, collect four um, playing cards inspired icons on the way to stop a bomb from exploding. And there's just a lot of stuff stuff that can happen to your klutzy kid clown character he can get run over by cars he can be set on fire he can be flattened by boulders and uh and rolling logs uh he can uh, get his you know get his feet stuck into spikes uh, all sorts of craziness can happen to him so that's where the punishment comes in and it's it's re- actually really funny and charming the animations are really uh really great in this game and i've never paid it any attention at all yeah check, uh, check it out game boy advance port Really, it did. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah check and, it out. Uh, it's uh, it's quite quite a lot of fun actually. It's I feel it's more it's kind of like a uh, more like an arcade game really uh, that never got released to the arcades. You know, it's sort so, sort of like a home exclusive arcade style game. And a couple of Japanese. Oh, actually, no. Sorry, wild, wild. Well, they're all Japanese, but yeah. uh, Wild Guns is it's another not game. Japanese exclusive. Came out everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this also got a remake on uh, recent systems, yep. not so long ago, from the same team as who did uh, Ninja Saviors. Ninja Saviors. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have this one on PS4 as well. Yeah. So this is uh, a bit like Cabal. A bit like Cabal and uh, Blood Brothers. It's a sequel. So yeah, cro- crosshair shooter. 
Really great. Uh, melts together uh, the uh, uh, Western and sci-fi uh, science fiction uh, themes, similar to like a cartoon like Brave Star. Um, yeah, uh, I think everybody that knows about the Super Nintendo knows uh, about how legendary this game is, and it fetches a pretty penny. Uh, I've got it on the Wii U Virtual Console, actually. Yeah, yeah, you can just get it on PS4 now if you want. Yeah, I've got that version as well on the Switch, the uh, reloaded version. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah, both the original and the and the remake. Uh sexy homoerotic shmup, Choniki? Uh this is a fighting game based on the same oh, okay. universe, but it's not right. a it's not a you know the uh I'm not even talking about the sprite art, which is done by the same team of Messiah that did uh, Gainook as well and the original Choniki shoot 'em up on the uh, PC engine. Right. Yeah. Homoerotic is what some people would say. It's just like weird Japanese bodybuilder humor for some reason. Like campy bodybuilders <laughs> are hilarious to some people over there. But even yeah. if you speak to the average Japanese uh, person, they think these games are kind of weird. Uh, I also stream this with my kids. It's uh, yeah, just really campy, oddball fighting game. Uh, but it's really fun to play because it's also uh, unusual in the sense that your uh, your fighters are all airborne, so you have to sort of fly around each other and do dive kicks. Maybe almost not too dissimilar in the way you move around each other to the game we've been playing uh senko no ronde too yeah mm. yeah really yeah. really fun and that same team went to a different developer uh, the graphical artist behind uh, the, uh, the those games and made gurume sentai barayaro which translates to gourmet team uh rose rascals and um yeah it's a really weird uh, but uh exquisitely uh, detailed in its graphics, um, beat him up also with some bodybuilder humor in there, thrown in for good measure. <laughs> what you um, mean? Yeah, post post uh, apocalyptic landscape in which food has become very scarce, scarce, and a uh, team of uh, gourmands uh, teams up to uh, take uh, food back from uh, from the rose rascals, from uh, a band of uh, bandits, and sure. cooks uh, delicious meals in between each level. Yeah, good. I do like delicious food in between levels. Yeah, you need to sort like of... Like Monster Hunter. So you, the, the funny thing about this game is that you don't actually get health refill items. You actually need to gather food ingredients, kicking them out of enemies, and then, uh, yeah, handing them over to a chef uh, at the end of a level and have a fancy dinner with, uh, with you know, a fast, fancy costume dinner uh, with a robot chef cooking up the meal that you've uh, selected with the ingredients. I think should use that mechanic. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I got this actually, uh, the sort of official re-release by uh, Pico Interactive, uh, the Super Famicom re-release, because the original cards are very hard to find and, uh, and sought after. And uh, yeah, my, my guy Howard sent it to me from Japan. Nice. Just a few from me. Alien 3, I don't think is any kind of all-time classic video game, but it was one of the games that I was so alien and aliens mad at, at the point that I was getting my SNES that... Uh, it was it was an exclusive in the sense that although Alien 3 existed on other consoles, and I actually really enjoyed the Mega Drive incarnation, they made uh, the same team or a, or a related team at Probe made an entirely different game yeah. for the Super Nintendo. It's almost um, more uh, the 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 animation uh, detail reminds you a little bit more of uh, you know cinematic platformers almost, right? And it yeah, ha- it's more explore exploration based. I also bought yeah. this game back in the days. Uh, yeah, mm. decent. Yeah. Uh, up to this point, uh, although I loved obviously the computer football games like Sensible and Kickoff, uh, this was 
uh, international superstar soccer, particularly the deluxe version, uh, Jiku World Soccer 2 Fighting Eleven in Japan, was an absolute dream come true for me. Uh, they, it was just incredibly, uh, you know, big, vivid characters with distinct looks and hairstyles and different coloured players and um, amazing uh, kind of crazy action in the style of all those Japanese arcade uh football coin ops like uh, tecmo world cup and uh kick and rush and stuff like that but um but brought home and with loads and loads of cool modes they they even did a direct one-to-one conversion of this for the ps1 that's how uh and that and obviously that kind of led into the two series the iss series and the pro evo series which eventually just became pez uh, there was Assault Suits Vulcan, aka Cybernator, as I call it. Pal. Uh, amazing gank orchestra stab based music and, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, good fun kind of mech action. The Western version has most of the story uh, stripped out of it, um, apparently. But yeah, so it would be it'd be nice if there was a full blown um, translated conversion at some point. There's a PS2 remake, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And there's a there's a PS4 version of uh, Assault Suits Lanos, but yeah. Um, Panel Dupont, also known as Tetris Attack, uh, is uh, luckily you can play variants of it on all sorts of systems, uh, GameCube, N64, DS. But just uh, this is where it started, and is uh, an absolute work of genius in my book. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Kirby's Dream Course, aka T Shot, because when the SNES Mini came out, I saw loads of people going, oh, "What's this rubbish?" and <laughs> words to that effect. But I absolutely love Kirby's Dream Course. It's uh, either a superb golf, crazy golf style puzzle game in single player, or a fantastic knockabout, uh, pass the pad multiplayer game with two people, and it's also incredibly cute. And has cool. wonderful music. So I love Dream Course. And finally, one that I only became aware of in the mid-2000s or something, and it came to the Wii Virtual Console as part of one of the Hanabi festivals, is a Hudson Soft platformer called Doremi Fantasy Milan's Doki Doki Adventure. And it's just a ridiculously sweet twee platformer. Really nice soundtrack as well. And really nice. Yeah. Nintendo ceased production of the SNES in North America in 99, which was about two years after the final cartridge, uh, first-party cartridge, which was Kirby's Dreamland 3, and the final third-party... Sorry, that was a final first-party game. The final third-party game was Frogger, <laughs> which I imagine was some kind of souped-up version of Frogger, uh, but I don't know. Uh, and in Japan, as we said earlier, the Family Computer and the Super Famicom ceased production in September 2003, and the final release was in 2000 with a game called Metal Slader Glory Director's Cut. Nice. I know nice. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and to conclude, Joba Bonobo from the forum says, it wasn't until my secondary school days during the early years of the PS2 generation that I got more acquainted with this SNES. There were a, uh, there were a few friends introduced me to the world of emulation. I was shocked. I could play old console games on my new PC. No way. So after one of my more computer-savvy mates got me introduced, I got a SNES emulator and grabbed as many ROMs of all the games I missed out on. Super Mario World, Yoshi's Island, Link to the Past and RPGs that us poor Europeans never got, such as Earthbound and Chrono Trigger. 
It was through emulation of these classics that I started to fall in love with JRPGs and allowed me to access games which were, at the time, not available to us. So bizarrely, most of my SNES memories are heavily intertwined with emulation, which continued with the Virtual Console when I had the Wii. The SNES is a strange one for me in that I'm far more familiar with the games themselves than the actual machine they originated on. Nevertheless, the leap in quality between generations was one of the biggest I've encountered, and I'm doubtful we will ever see anything like it ever again. It represented a pivotal moment in gaming when games were starting to become experimental with graphical styles, ambitious with storytelling, and introducing new ways to play while refining the old. In terms of both critical and commercial success, this was an incredible time for Nintendo and gamers alike. Together with the Mega Drive, the 16-bit generation was 2D gaming at its absolute peak. It made sense that the next generation had to enter a new dimension to fully evolve. Yeah, and I think that sort of sums up what my summary would be. Uh, I, yeah, just wanted to say that I think if there was a, ever a, the, the grim conversation that I had to have of you've only got one console for the rest of your life, I think the Super Nintendo would be in that conversation. It never ceases to bring me pleasure and joy when I boot up some of those old classics and also some of those like things like Demon's Crest and, and uh, Milan's Doki Doki uh, adventure that I just mentioned there. Games that I've never actually beaten because they, I became aware of them much later in uh, beyond the time that they were contemporary. And now they're just wonderful new games as, good, as far as I'm concerned that I've yet to play. And at a time when we're seeing so many 2D games coming out from independent studios. And while I don't think that's a bad thing in itself, um, and I think there are certain advantages brought to those games by modern hardware, uh, there are there are little touches and, and certain things. And I think generally developers now have, even the, the small studios have a much better idea of what makes a great feeling game than yeah. a lot of developers had back in the early 90s. So you were still more likely to find on the SNES probably a game that was just horrible to play. Um, but yeah, the library speaks for itself. We've spent a good couple of hours just talking about just skimming the surface of the greats uh, and including also we we mentioned there that we've already covered however many 10 or 15 super nintendo games on our full-length podcasts so go back and check out some of those as well and yeah um i understand why this super nintendo is held continues to be held in such high regard and in some ways so yeah represents a kind of an early peaking of the medium of video games for me um brian Okay, so for my summary of the SNES, um, I have a lot of really fond memories of this console. Um, we talked about it at great length before, but um, I just, like, the SNES was the first time I realized kind of where video games could go, what they could be. It's that evolution from the 8-bit to 16-bit era, for me, is my perspective with my first console being the NES. The SNES just took things to such greater heights not just from graphic perspective, but like even like storytelling perspective. Like if you look at the difference between the Legend of Zelda and then the Legend of Zelda: A Link to the Past, like the Legend of Zelda is unarguably a, a classic, a great game. But then you look at like what things they were able to do with Link to the Past in like guiding the player where to go, telling a story, um, quest design, um, world design, the scale, the scope, the music, the everything. Like you look at just the leap from that original Legend of Zelda to Legend of Zelda: A Link to the Past. That just showed to me that was representative of the, of the entire potential 
of what video games could be, where it could go, where it could grow from. Now, Nintendo's obviously been at the forefront a lot of times when it's come to advancements in gaming, and specifically in these early generations, Nintendo kind of defined what a lot of we thought of as modern video games. But across the board, whether it was third-party catalog or or their own first party, you just saw the potential of how this industry could grow. And before, where, like for my parents, like I said before, they couldn't really see, like, where... Like, why would we get another console? Why would we move on from the NES? We already bought you all these things. Um, and then to see the SNES and what they could do there. Like, for me as a kid, I remember thinking, no longer was it, oh, my Super Nintendo's great. It was, my Super Nintendo's great, but what are they going to do with the next one? And it just it gave me that idea that, like, the things are going to, these things are going to look better, get more complex, get more involved, run better, the whole nine. And uh, so the Super Nintendo, for me, is is incredibly, um, incredibly important. And... And honestly, it has some of my favorite titles that I've ever played. So I um, couldn't be more thrilled to be on this podcast and uh, and just talk about what an amazing console this was and, and how it kind of shaped who I am in respect to video games. Mikhail. Um, Very much the same way. When I have to name like three or four games that I consider like my holy trinity... <laughs> <laughs> that would have to be three then. Three then. Four games in your trinity, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's four games in my trinity. I think Doom for the PC. I also started to to play around that ge- that game. That's just as, uh, around that time. That's just yeah. as formative. But uh, the Legend mm. of Zelda: Link to the Past, Super Mario World, and Street Fighter Two. Street Fighter Two. Mm. I start started playing in the arcades, of course, but played a ton of it on the Super Nintendo. Those are sort of my formative games. That's that. Those are the games that became leading for my taste, and still, to some degree, subconsciously maybe sort of the standards that I hold all other video games to, you know, that I sort of use as a measuring stick. Um, and that, yeah, that that's just how crucial the Super Nintendo is for me. Bitmap Books does these lovely sort of coffee table mm. picture books with sprite art of all, <laughs> for all sorts of systems. And I would love to own them all. But as you said about if there is one game system that you could, uh, that you had to keep... Well, if there is one system that I would have had to buy this book for, it would have been the Super Nintendo. Uh, I think 2D sprite art actually did move on from the Super Nintendo uh, when you look at the Neo Geo, of course, and if you look at the Saturn. But there's just something of that special Super Nintendo sprite art that's a part of me. And uh, that's why I had to buy that Super Nintendo pixel book as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just... This con- console and its library is part of my fabric. And uh, even though I started gaming earlier than it uh, at home and I had an NES and that was really special to me. This is uh, this is maybe, yeah, my heart and soul, really. Oh, well, can't, can't be any stronger or more unequivocal than that. Mm. But is <laughs> the man who painted almost a quarter of his body in honor of this machine <laughs> or the games anyway. Ben. Uh, I use the phrase memories of a simple time a lot. And it's borrowed from a film called clerks too. If you recognize it, it's a scene where uh, Dante and Randall ride these bumper cars because they're having a really bad day. But that simple act reminds them of a time in their own worlds where the world was, they say the world's spinning a bit slower and kind of, that's what the super Nintendo is to me. 
Like most days, I'll either play some Super Nintendo or listen to some SNES music or maybe watch some long plays or listen to a podcast about these games. And it happens like almost every day. And for me personally, this is the single best console that's ever been made. And its influences have shaped who I am and what I do from the day I first played it. And it still does clearly, or you wouldn't be listening to my voice right now, I guess. It's perhaps <laughs> the most perfect planetary alignment style situation that may have ever happened in my entire life. It was like, the perfect machine with the perfect controller, the perfect games for the perfect time. And as long as I'm able, I'll always sit down with a cup of tea and play some Super Nintendo. It's really that simple. I think a lot of things claim to be era-defining, but I honestly think that this is. And it's quite simply 16-bit perfection in every way imaginable. Absolutely spiffing. Uh, Mikhail and Ben, thank you so much for your epic amount of time we thought this might be three hours it's uh, at the time of recording we're looking at closer to five mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's how it goes usually well yeah but uh i hope it was worth it but we may as well uh for those still listening plug your other venture go on mikhail i i take this yeah, right, then. yeah let's 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 do it then uh video visits is something that me and ben are uh working on with a lot of pride and a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of passion. Um, It's a time capsule-like podcast uh, in which we home in on a specific month uh, of the same month that we put it out in, but in a random year of the in the 1980s and the 1990s. And we don't just talk, we we center the conversation around uh, the arcade games that were out at the time and that were popular in, uh, yeah, in, in arcades and all the places that you would find arcade cabinets at. Uh, but we frame it with what else was going on at the time as well. What was in the news? Uh, what, what music was popular? What, uh, what movies were playing in the cinemas? What, what were our personal memories and our uh, personal histories Um, and we make it a little bit of an audio experience inserting ambient sounds and and sound snippets and uh, musical illustrations of what we're talking about as well and yeah we love it and I think everybody that listens to it will uh, at least appreciate it as well. Video Wizards check it out Uh, thank you everybody it remains for me Leon to thank Brian, McKeel and Ben as well as editor Jay and all of our correspondents. Thank you for those wonderful memories and stories and opinions. And to all of you for listening. I know it's been a long one, but hopefully you can get the most out of that. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you're not already, please consider our Patreon, patreon.com slash rinse. If you've not signed up and you do sign up, the next one of these will already be available. That's how it works. Just $2 a month. Until... We speak again. Goodbye.